On this last episode of No Borders, No Race, I am BC Rowe from Black Compat, one half of Black Compat, and have known KBD for many, many years. I am so thrilled for what comes next for him and for what you're about to enjoy for the next few hours or so. So congratulations for all the amazing content, the reviews, the introductions to new artists, new music, and just general joy in listening to No Borders, No Race. I hope you enjoy this episode. And now, the Boston Bastard Brigade, Electric Sisterhood, and Arm Mystery Hand proudly present No Borders, No Race, The World's J-Pop and Alternative Hotspot. To no borders, no race. The grand finale for now. I am your King Baby Duck, Evan Borgo. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. And like I said, this is it. This is the last episode for the time being of No Borders, No Race. Maybe someday it'll come back, but until I know what my workload in Japan is going to be like, I will leave its future up in the air. And for a finale like this, I, of course, cannot be alone. So joining me today are a group of friends and buddies that I've made over the last, God, maybe 15 years of sorts. And I'm going to start with my Pokemon master and my con buddy for many an anime boss and another anime convention, Elite Four Derek. That was also your RA, too. Yes, you were my RA. <laughs> like, literally the longest out of, out of the... Out of this whole group. Yeah, I have known you the longest here. And then, over here, we have fellow Japanese music lover and host of the Abstract Japan podcast show, Tyler Abstract. Hello, universe. Yes. And then we have former Wicked Anime co-host and now regular human being and teacher, <laughs> John Starr. I suppose this is a better time than any to say that I hate everything you stand for, you, and I'm glad you're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> we have, for the, <laughs> for the first time, and unfortunately the last time on the show, he is the king of New England future funk, whose work has been featured in the likes of League of Legends and the Silver Gunner YouTube channel, DJ Mereno Tilde. Hi, what's up? Yo. We have also former Wicked Anime co-host and the governor of Texas, security guy Greg. Uh, what? (laughs) It's not my fault you share the same name as him. (laughs) And, of course, the former Wicked Anime co-host and the creator of the webcomic Solarian Sun, AFLM. Hi, I'm very famous right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> so today's episode, first off, how is everybody doing today? Good. Good, yeah. awesome. Good to see you. Good to be here. Yes. yes. Going to Japan. I know. It's so surreal that this is actually happening because I have been working so hard for God. So the first time I went to Japan was back in 2007 and it was like day three of that trip where I realized this is where I got to be. So I spent the last 15, 16 years like trying to figure out how do I get there? Uh, how, how hard do I have to work? And getting that like knowledge and getting that experience to actually have this opportunity to go over there and teach English to junior high school kids mm -hmm. over in Tokyo. Like, it, it's surreal that this is happening. It sounds like, like a blast. I mean, it was all <laughs> your pure drive and hard work. Like, we, we all saw it. And mm -hmm. it also it also lets us know that it doesn't matter how old you get, you can still go over to Japan and teach English. Of yes. course. Yes. I, I actually thought that there was, like, a legit cutoff period. Yeah. For, so for such a long time, I felt like my time had passed and my chance had, had, was too. gone. Yeah, yeah, I literally just moved back from Japan on, on the same program that you're going to. I was in very much uh, the middle of nowhere, but uh, <laughs> definitely uh, it's not handed over. Uh, it's a lot of uh, hard work, um, especially with the program that we're doing. It's kind of the... Uh, uh, the be all, the end all. Yeah, yeah it's uh, through the Japanese government, actually. So uh, it's highly competitive because uh, there's lots of, also, there's a lot of shady uh, English teaching jobs in there taking advantage of people who will just like give up everything just to move over there because it seems awesome. Right. At first, uh, but sadly, people, you know. Uh, some get taken advantage of or just get paid, not compensated enough for the jobs they're doing. Basically, it's a variation of the gaijin hunter sort of thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, we, we know this guy will do anything yes. to stay yes. here in Japan. So, so we're going to work him to the bone for the bare minimum. So you did it right. You played your cards. You were patient. You know, built up, you know, your... Uh, experiences or a resume or whatever and mm -hmm. then did it like I got rejected the first time around Me too. second time got waitlisted and then on my birthday boom I got an email oh you're uh you, you're gone. That's you see, I had, the yeah, right? I had the complete opposite habit yeah. to me on my first time. On my birthday, they sent me a rejection letter. This was the worst day of my life. They just <laughs> wait for everybody's <laughs> birthday? No, it was like an energy exchange. Sorry. But like, I'm glad that the opposite happened the second time because I was battling COVID when I got the, the first round acceptance email. It was like, okay, this parked me up very well. But good on you, really, like, um, I'm proud of you for your hard work to, to do that, and you're going to have a blast. Thank you. Going. Like, I know. Yeah, like, how how did the world you pull out Tokyo? Like, Apparently it's, it's rare. It's yeah, very rare. It's super, super rare. But it would have been fun if I was in the countryside, yeah. because, like, I've been, uh, that's where I was last summer, and I freaking loved it. And if you don't like it, you stick it out for a year or two or whatever, and then you can be asked to be moved. So, like, yeah. Okay, and good, if, good. Especially if you say, put me in the countryside, of course they <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, right. They're just like, okay, yeah, yeah. spin the wheel. I hope you like, I hope you like noodles and rice. <laughs> I mean, we have lots of it. We have a friend who's been there for seven years now. He did the jet program for two, and then, and now he just lives there and they hired him full time. Yeah, yeah. Right. there's that possibility too. Uh, and there's, that is there's my like goal. A five year, five jet program. Um, is it okay if I say what? It, yeah, 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 of course. I, I mentioned it on my podcast. Okay, yeah. uh, you get five years, uh, kind of maximum. Um, but 
you can be hired uh, and, you know, not, locally and just stay there forever. And yeah, knock on whatever awesome. is this table is made out of. That's that's my hope and that's my goal. <laughs> yeah. awesome, awesome. Well, you've worked hard for at least this far, so you can, you can yeah, really keep mean, taking it further. Yeah, if you put it – this is that's anything you put drive into. Like if you show passion and you show that you're a hard worker, especially in Japan, they're looking for hard workers, you know. But, uh, you know. Might I also, Don't take vacation days. <laughs> might I also just say too, Evan, that like your hard work has also been shown like just from around this table. Yes, like your exactly. infectious personality <laughs> that has drawn in yeah. like all of us I, here. I introduced him to everyone at, like who also is into uh, Japanese uh, culture and stuff and uh, media sharing. Like this is the hard, most hardworking uh, Japanese content producer locally here, and dare I say, in, like in the states or, or even Thank the world. Thank you. Yeah, really, you're, you're, uh, you've you've interviewed some crazy people uh you, every episode is like 110 percent gas uh-huh. gas no brakes yeah, you know i will say that, that you know uh, shows, i appreciate shows, you saying i give 110 percent, but there are a few episodes where it's like i'm tired i'm just gonna do all music <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done that too. Hey, this, that's completely fine but still you put something out there that's already uh more than yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Like, because because it's your show, you could easily skip a week. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and, and think about this: like, up until 2017, I was doing this every yeah, single yeah. week. Yeah. And then there was just like, I don't know, like my body, yeah, like my mind. Just, podcasters need mental health days too. Right, my mind is like, <laughs> you can't do this anymore. Every week, we're gonna do this bi weekly now. Tunes. Still put up some tunes. Hey. Yeah, yeah. I'm not all about that. How much work goes into recording and editing yes. and doing oh, all yeah. this stuff. Especially the editing part. Oh my god. I, if I could pay someone to edit my show, it would I would go back to doing it weekly. Yeah, I did it for maybe free. Talk, you know? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame you're saying all this stuff on the last episode. I probably could have helped. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, hiatus, you know, we can uh, there's digital media we got internet. We can do this uh, cross international. Okay. So thank you all for the very kind words. Yeah. <laughs> and so on today's episode, it is about reflection. We're going to be looking at all the things we have covered since 2006, from the college radio days and origins of the original Boston Bash Brigade podcast, to stuff that we've chatted on both this No Borders or Race podcast, and even maybe touching on stuff from Wiki Anime, and even the couple times that I was on Abstract Japan. And we also have some special messages from friends of the show to help, you know, send me off, hopefully proudly, into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> and see how good you treat us. Yeah. <laughs> we bought us pizza. <laughs> we got pizza. <laughs> and then today's featured artists are bands and musicians that help to evolve No Borders No Race since the beginning. People who give me a hope of a bright future in music, both in Japan and the English-speaking world. Granted, not all the bands, because then it would be like a seven or eight-hour podcast show. <laughs> oh, dude, it would be longer than that. Were you nuts? <laughs> so, 13 artists that I do feel like helped make No Borders, No Race what it is today. So, as always, remember, if you do like what you hear and you would like to support these artists and musicians, because I don't just play these artists just willy-nilly. I want you to go out there and I want you to... Find their stuff, listen to their stuff, buy their stuff, because I think they're great. I think they are 
better than anything that you'll hear on fucking Kiss 108. <laughs> <laughs> Is that still a channel? That's yeah. still a channel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they took... They took away our WFNX. They took away our BCN. They took away our AAF. All we are left is the same fucking ten songs every fucking hour. So to the mercy of college radio and a lot of just, I think, switching digitally to just like podcasting instead. And you have to be locally within the reception. Exactly. Which is pretty limited for those things. So, yeah. <laughs> Going to CD Japan, Amazon, Yes Asia, Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, the Bands official sites, your local independent record stores. Always support those independent record stores because those are where, like, the gold, old, golden gems are going to find there. So, the first act I'm going to play is a group called Sakuron Zansen. And this is a band, um, Mike Rogers, shout out to him. Um, yeah, who, shout out to Mike Rogers. Mike Rogers, awesome guy. He sent me the music video of their of Taxi Man, which is just one shot and just wild, batshit, crazy. It's so hard to explain. You just have to watch it for yourself. And you're like, these guys are awesome. They remind me of like the Japanese hives. They're, they're so good. Um, in fact, the album was, their debut album was so good back in 2020. I am Sakura Zensen. It was my Japanese album of the year pick that year. But right now we're going to play something from last year's Odd Real EP album. And this is Darwin.
My name is Kristen. Evan and I have been friends since college. When we met, we bonded over a love of anime and music. We've had a lot of great adventures together over the years. Some of my favorites include going to shows at the Middle East, seeing a magical adaptation of The Tempest, seeing a very special screening of one of the One Piece movies, and then just plain old hanging out and playing Wii games. Evan, I'm elated for your journey to Japan. You're one of the hardest working folks I know, and seeing you achieve your goal is such a heartwarming inspiration. Your future students are lucky to have you as a role model and a mentor. I can't wait to hear all about life overseas. Good luck and safe travels, my friend. Japan. I can see him now whenever the hell I want. 
knock on their door. <laughs> hey, Chai, you want to play for me? Thanks. <laughs> so, the first thing that we're going to talk about are, well, it is the music that has influenced us. And I want to start with uh, Mere, with you being here for the first time, and on top of that, being the big musician here on our show. I want to ask you first, who is the artist that greatly influenced you? Yeah, so... Um, oh shit! <laughs> kind of like having a moment here. Just, 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 just edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> now that you've said that, the rule of podcasting is whenever you say "just edit that out," it stays in. Yeah. <laughs> clip that for, clip that for us, chat. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so I could like start with like Daft Punk. That is like the first big like electronic music. Because mm. before that. Like, the first artist I, like, ever checked out was Black Sabbath when I was, like, 14, which is completely different from what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. but that got the ball rolling, you know? And then my dad came home, he brought home a Daft Punk CD, and I listened to it, I was like, whoa, I didn't know music could sound like this, like, I didn't know it could just be, like, it's kind of repetitive, you know? But, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I kind of mm-hmm. like what they're doing here. It's making my butt shake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, I could say, like, Daft Punk, and then over the years, it's just been a bunch of different things. Like, I then got into the Future Funk scene, which, if you don't know, Future Funk is kind of like an offshoot of, like, Vaporwave, so it's like an internet genre. Mm -hmm. So, I got into that scene, and I started, like, joining these communities, and all the people, the Future Funk scene, like, the people in that scene are amazing. So, uh, say, like, ev.exi, if you want to hear some artists. That's uh, Pop-Up and all these kind of guys. So what happened was I would hear these guys, I would talk to them, and then I would hear their music. Melanie's another one. That's another artist. So I would hear their music, and it would just inspire me. You know, I was just like, wow, these guys are just like me. You know, We're around the same age, and we're all coming from similar places, and I could do this too. So, yeah, a lot of those guys inspired me too. It was like a lot of that kind of... You know, it was a community, I'll say that. That's awesome. Do you remember the first album you fell in love with? The first album I went to. That you fell in love with? Yeah, the first album I fell in Lou love Bega. with. Lou Bega. number five. It's <laughs> effective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So I would say probably Homework by Daft Punk. Yeah, nice. that was just like, it was a completely different sound from anything I was used to. It sounded so raw, you know, just like compared to everything else. So, yeah, different from there, I would just check out related artists, and, and that's where it all took off. Yeah, I wanna, uh, I wanna kind of kickstart you a little bit, but we, me and you, uh, before the show started, we were talking about Sega Genesis. Oh yeah, yeah, that's, I, that's another thing. So, <laughs> I still remember this sound. So, one of the first games I ever played was. Streets of Rage. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah, so yeah, yeah brother. Like, so yeah. I, have, I have memories of me being like a, a little child and they brought out this crazy system. I was like, what is this? It's like a black box. Mm-hmm. And they, they turned it on and man, there was Streets of Rage. I had the most amazing like dance music. Oh, you know? I still listen to that sound. Like I don't, li- sure. I don't listen to video game soundtracks at all, but I'll throw on some huh. Streets of Rage because it's just, yeah. it's legit music. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, dude. Yeah, and I mean, we're talking about like Daft Punk and all that kind of stuff. So 
like all that all that house music was what inspired Yusuo Koshiro. He was the composer, so he wanted to bring that into. He wanted he wanted like a different kind of sound for their new game that they were working on, Streets of Rage. And uh, so he pulled influences from like actually going to clubs, you know, which I found really inspiring. Reading his interviews, how he would go to clubs and hear what they were playing, and then bring that home with him, which is something I've been doing too. So mm. that really spoke to me. And um, yeah, Streets of Rage one, two, like they're amazing. My personal favorite would be three, which is just on another level. I think it's very underrated for a soundtrack. Yeah, as for a soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, and the game is great, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk more about video games later, though. But Got yeah. it, got it. Yes. But yeah, for the soundtrack, he kind of developed his own software that like randomly generated notes and rhythms. And Whoa. when you listen to the, to the game, snap. it just sounds really experimental and like ahead of its time. Like something like Apex Twin would do uh, later. You yeah. know? <laughs> it's just like... But it's like rooted in like that 90s club scene, uh, the sound of the 90s club scene that I like. And it's just like a lot of hardcore techno, which, I mean, what other soundtrack is doing that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I really love, I really love the whole Streets of Rage soundtrack. And I just like the Genesis, uh, the chip, the FM chip, which is, I really love those like, you know, kind of mangly sounds, like very, very <laughs> metallic. I love it. It's oh, great. Yeah. It nice. works amazingly for that genre, like dance music. Cool. And amazing bass lines, too. Uh, absolutely. Greg. So, yes. <laughs> Tell me about some of the musical artists that have greatly influenced you. I don't know if there are any that have really greatly influenced me, but because uh, I kind of am one that listens to a little bit of everything. Like growing up, uh, especially in grade school, apparently what spoke to me back then was Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, <laughs> which I'm, you know, kind of uh, embarrassed to admit now. But if it helps, so like I grew up on the New Kids on the Block when oh, I was a kid. Yeah. All right, yeah. So we're kind of riding the same wavelength, um, and then that kind of went uh, out the door for me when somebody when I was singing apparently too loud in the middle of history class in the fourth grade, and someone battled on me. Oh yeah, someone legitimately tattled on me and the history teacher in front of everybody just yelled at me, you know, Mr. Abbott, this isn't Yankee Stadium, you have to be quiet. What song was it though? I think I want it that way. <laughs> Tell me why. Ain't nothing but... Okay, can't copyright. Anyways. <laughs> um, once, like, that phase kind of ended, I think it was more, um, I want to say punk rock, if that's the right genre, with... Um, who am I thinking of? Uh, Lincoln Park. Or, I would say they're more metal based. Yeah, they're, they're, they they entered the scene on on like new metal. When new metal was hot, they were they were more like in the new metal scene. Mm -hmm. So new metal. So I would say you know them or like Good Charlotte or that's that's, that's pop punk. That pop would be yeah, yeah. That would be like okay. Pop -punk. So like kind of bands in that late nineties, early two thousand genre yeah. were what yeah. I really grew up on. Mm -hmm. Kind of alt rock. Yeah. yeah. Alt-rock. Yeah. This umbrella term there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alternative. It's, uh, different. <laughs> it, it's, it's definitely something. Yeah. It's something. Hey, listen, that's how, that's, how they came, that's how they came up with New Wave with the Talking Heads. They were like, we don't know what to call that. Because <laughs> they called it punk rock. They yeah. called Talking Heads punk rock. Yeah. I mean, the police were considered punk rock as well. Uh, Diva were considered punk rock. Yeah. yeah. Which, I had a weird dream. I had a weird dream a couple of nights ago where... 
my parents and I went to see Devo perform live in a bar, and like we were the only ones there. <laughs> I've had a couple. Of, I've had dreams like that before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just go around everybody. Don't you know who this is? <laughs> Devo. <laughs> Here, Evan, you have my Hydra hat. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hydra hats are everywhere. <laughs> But was Backstreet Boys, was that like the first album you fell in love with, or was there something else in that era? Not that I can remember, that was like a long, long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Andrew. So, um, I've been on the show enough, including your music shows, where I've, I've coupled along with the countdown with you. Yeah, those, that, those are always a blast to record with you. Yeah, tell me about it. Uh, and... Everybody knows that I'm a metalhead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but that that's such a blanket term that I could explain so much about it, especially because at a younger age, I wasn't really allowed to explore music super freely um, just because I didn't have the means. Like when you're a kid, you don't know – like you listen to what your parents listen to. You, so, I mean, I'm very much into you know classic rock and Elton John and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Uh, but – Growing up, I always had this taste, like when something on the radio would come on and it was just a little bit heavier than the last thing, I'd always be like, what is that? Tell me what that is. And and then um, as I grew older and became more of my own person, uh, I remember the first album that I ever bought myself, like I want this album, was Toxicity from System of a Down. Um, and so, so that was what really kicked me off in, okay, like, let's start listening to heavier stuff. Right. And that really sent me on a spiral of, well, what else is there? And then I got into the more avant-garde stuff, right? Like, uh, I remember specifically when I was playing, uh, the best Xbox 360 game ever made, possibly one of the best video games ever made, ever, uh, Amped 3, yeah. which oh. is a snowboarding game, but if, like, as if it were written by Monty Python. Uh, it is the, one of the greatest video games ever made, greatest snowboarding games ever made, greatest sports games ever made, but that playlist featured Tub Ring. And, um, and Tub Ring was one of the bands that got me into the avant-garde scene of what is experimental rock and experimental metal. Uh, you know, tempo changes, genre changes, uh, no two songs are the same, the genre will change mid-song, whatever. Like, I really like that. Plus, the lead singer screamed. And I was like, oh, this is neat. Uh, and so so that, that really got, you know, got me looking into what could I explore to the point where if it was on the radio, I didn't listen to it anymore. I wanted to know what else I could find. So uh, that jumped me later down the line into high school when I started listening to more like metalcore and um, I didn't really listen to a lot of death. One of, one of my friends uh, tried to get me into like, oh, you should listen. You like heavy music? You like Breaking Benjamin? And I'll be like, oh, It's like, you mean Calif- like California boy butt rock? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. That's not metal. Let's get out of here. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, Breaking Benjamin lived and died in my high school years. That did not leave that. But, uh, but anyway, uh, then, but then I would start exploring more things like death metal. But before I started listening to things like death metal, I was listening to electronic music 
but I was listening to the more heavy electronic music, also known as Agrotech. Uh, I don't. Do you know Agrotech? No, at all? actually, Agrotech. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's this weird subgenre of electronic music that is like if if you had an angry goth kid and they wanted to make music, that's what they were making. It was it was very angry and very dark. Uh, no, so the first band that I started listening to that I was just like, oh, I don't know if I should like this, but I do, was a band called Dawn of Ashes. And, uh, like, fully t- satanic group, covered themselves in animal blood. Wow. Um, Sounds and, awesome. Yeah, and so their first two albums were, were heavy agrotech electronic, but then they rebranded themselves as an extreme metal band. So they got rid of all the electronic stuff, and it was extreme metal. And... Um, and so that kind of got me into, you know, starting to listen to like the really heavy stuff, right? So because now I'm a big deathcore listener, I, I listen to deathcore, and I listen, but um, but oh, then okay. so you, this isn't like intertwined with electronic. Like, so, no, so it, it, kind, of it, it kind of was because because one of the, one of the parts of the story that I'm kind of omitting is is I would change my music taste depending on what kind of comic book I was writing at the time. So, so when I started writing a lot of heavy cyber, cyberpunk stuff, I was listening to... Because that, that led me to uh, find one of my favorite bands ever, which was Grendel. And Grendel is considered agrotech, but he's not, like, satanic or harsh. He more sang about, like, the, like robot apocalypse and, uh, and, like, future and singularity and basically all, these, all the cyberpunk stuff until he stopped doing that. And he's not that good anymore, unfortunately. But um, I know his new album was, like... Really garbage. Yeah, it was really bad. The music was awesome. The lyrics were cringe. But anyway, um, so I, yeah, I would listen to a lot of electronic stuff while listening to that. But then, um, so that led me to there, there was like a huge turning point. I'm trying to. Uh, the the big point was that uh, then there was a huge turning point in my life where uh, after me and Jonathan, our dad passed away, right? Yeah. But I still wanted to listen to metal in the same way. But I wanted to listen to something happier, and I, I was a huge power metal hater I guess it, like I never could get into it I didn't understand why it existed but then I want I still wanted to listen to metal but I wanted to feel good mm-hmm. so I started listening to power metal and, and it was after my dad passed away where I was like oh I, yeah I get why people I get why people like this so much like because yeah it's it's all cheese you know it's all cheese like it doesn't take itself seriously and there's no drop D. They're all playing chords that are way up here, and they're singing way up here. It's beautiful. I love it to death. So um, now I'm writing a fantasy, a, a, a fantasy, you know, novel or a fantasy graphic novel and a, and a comic book. And all I listen to now is power metal. Um, I still listen to deathcore. I mean, I'm wearing a deathcore shirt right now. But um, uh, but my heavy influences come from things like uh, started with Sabaton. Yeah. And then I discovered Freedom Call, which is still one of my favorite groups ever. Then, um, then Twilight Force, thanks to Sabaton, because Joachim Broden uh, collaborated with them. Yeah. And then, uh, and then onto things like Fellowship, and then you know, listening to Fairy Tale. I can I can name endless amounts of um, power metal acts now, but that's where I'm currently at is is, is flopping flip flopping between deathcore and power metal, which is the two completely opposite genres. Bless mm-hmm. me. I'm kind of in the same boat with you when it comes to my musical origins because as a kid you don't really have freedom to explore right. music that that might surprise you. You you're stuck with what your parents are listening to. Yep. So of our for our age people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I still listen to Elton John too, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a lot more different. Oh, I was so, country music. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So I remember like listening to a lot of Elton John, listening to um, Traveling Wilburys, which was like the big super group with Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, nice. George Harrison, what was it, Roy Orbison, Jeff Lynne. I'm forgetting one other person. Um, I, I can't quite remember That's all right. of them off time, but it was the super group to end all super groups, in my honest opinion. Bob Dylan? Yeah, Bob Dylan was part yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, but I remember the very first album I fell in love with, and I know it, it, it's an album that has it has not stood the test of time. It's totally an '80s rock album, and that is "Sports" by Huey Lewis in the News. Sure, yeah, great. So Huey Lewis and the, the fucking news. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that that the album "Sports" was like the very first time where. Like, I remember playing in the backyard, listening to the Heart of Rock and Roll, grabbing my, well, what, what, what would you call it, um, a badminton racket and playing guitar with it, nice. pretending yeah, I was nice. playing in Huey Lewis in the News. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not as effective as Tim and Eric's sports. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> not as effective as that. Sports. I, 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 didn't, I didn't, it didn't, it wasn't so good that I threw up, but it was... <laughs> But, like, I remember listening to that. Um, I remember listening to, like, Bruce Springsteen. Like, my mom had this huge box set of Bruce Springsteen live, 1978 to 1985. Yep. And just playing that, that, Born in USA. Like, that, that song, I remember being like, like, oh, like, this, I'm feeling what Bruce is singing in this song. And beat five and just, like, just totally realizing, like, what a songwriter can do at a very young age. But with, like, Huey Lewis, like, I played that sports cassette tape to the point of which it got worn out. The same could be said about two of the other albums that my dad had of his, Picture This and Four. Um, A few years ago, I was in Newburyport, and I stumbled upon a vinyl record store, and they had sports on vinyl, original (laughs) vinyl from back in the 80s, Mint condition. Oh my god! I bought it. Nice. No oh, questions holy asked. Holy cow! Nice. And it's you know one of my most prized possessions in my vinyl record collection. Wow! But how did I come and fall in love with the Japanese music scene? And because like that's what No Borders No Race has been about mostly is my love of Japanese music. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we could all like like go and find that. The, uh, the catharsis, or the, rather the catalyst of the whole thing of Japanese music and Japanese rock, I feel began with the pillows. Mm-hmm. Because in 2003, when Adult Swim decided to show a six-episode OVA called Fully Cooley, yes. like, that was like the day, yeah. the, the first episode of that, I think it was in June of 2003 when the first episode of that aired. And I remember just staring at the screen, not just because the story was just so out there, never experienced in my entire life, but the music that was playing throughout Mm -hmm. it was like nothing I had ever heard before. It sounded familiar, but yet it felt new and fresh all at the same time. (laughs) If I have to pull an all-nighter with any work or projects that I do, Mm -hmm. I just pop in my Fooly Cooly DVD set and I just let it play 
usually, yeah. I usually yeah. talk along with yeah, it. Yeah, mouth the words along yeah. with yeah. it. <laughs> Native girl must stop. But um, I remember, and then finding out that this band was called The Pillows. And originally, I thought that The Pillows might have been, oh, it's a code name for like the composer of the show. Like how Yoko Kano had seatbelts for Cowboy Bebop. But then I find out that they're an actual legit rock band. And then my first reaction was, Japan has that. <laughs> Japan has rock bands. And I started to make it my mission to like import all these albums of the pillows. So I managed to get every single one of them. Got them through a bookstore called Kinokunia in New York City, who ordered them for me, shipped me into my house. I think I spent almost a thousand dollars to get the entire Pillow discography at that time. Jeez. Wow. And now you can get them for like ten bucks each yeah. on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got their pillows now. Yes. And it was the pillows that then just introduced me to the bands that they were associated with. Bands like Noodles, My Way, My Love, Fragments. And then I found out about the South by Southwest Festival because that was where the Pillows first played in America. Oh, wow. And through South by Southwest and through a tour called Japan Night, which is run by Audrey Kimura, who runs the Benton label, I started getting into a lot more Japanese rock bands, bands like Stanspunk, Tsushimamire, um, Electric Eel Shock. Um, and these artists then made me realize there is something going on in the music scene in Japan that's not going on in the Western world. And everybody needs to hear what Japan has to offer. And the funny thing is, when I went down to the college radio station at Salem State College, I, I had an idea for a show, but I didn't expect myself to be the one to execute it. I thought that being in college radio, you had to go through hoops and hurdles, or rather, someone else had to do it. Some professional DJ had to do it. Yeah. So when I went down there and said, um, has anyone ever thought about doing a show featuring Japanese music? Because at the time, there were a lot of um, foreign students from Japan there too. And then they just start feeling, oh, well, if you want to do your own show, we just do this and this and this. And then, like, when they said, oh, if you want to do your own show, like, my eyes just beamed open. Like, I never, ever thought that I would get to a point where I would get to host a show, get to be on the radio, and play the things that I wanted to play. For the masses to hear. Now, granted, back then in 2006, WMW and Salem's range was about five miles. Hmm. So it didn't get all the way out there. It got <laughs> to maybe, like, Topsfield. <laughs> um, but I had a platform. I had a show. And, you know, it helped me to gain the experience to become... A podcaster now, and it gave me the knowledge and the will to go out there and seek new bands and artists. And it's thanks to college radio too that, like, I stopped having a very negative opinion on Western music because my negativity came from the fact that, oh, it's the mainstream radio. Mm. That's they're just playing shit. They're playing awful stuff. College radio 
is where your tastes grow and expand. I remember I was waiting in the radio station for my time to like go on and such. And automation was going on. And <laughs> cheers, bud. All of a sudden, I hear this like gravelly sounding voice coming over the speaker. And a sound that I had never heard before. Tom Waits. <laughs> oh, You're right. I'm right? You are right. <laughs> Dang. I was like, who is this? And I see it's a song called Shake It by Tom Waits from the album Real God. And I'm like, this guy's fucking awesome. And like, from him, I got into stuff like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. And then... Even though I was, I had heard of him through Queens of the Stone Age. I got into Mark Lanigan, who, you know, rest in power. That guy, that's like a death who's, like, still affects me because of how much his music had influenced me greatly. And through him, like, like Gunner Twins and Afghan Wigs and like all these different bands that I would be introduced through via college radio that I never would have been introduced to because they're not pushed out there like the, you know, stadium fillers or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, that college radio as a whole, like, I tell people that if you want to know what you like music-wise, go to a college radio station. You will discover the things that you really actually like, not being told what to like by the mainstream media. Yep. So I guess maybe that's where a lot of my influence comes from. So I will hand it over to Derek over here to maybe talk about his love of music. You have to follow up from the main character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, well, uh, like a lot of you guys, I grew up basically listening to what my parents listened to. Uh, my dad on car rides used to quiz me like, all right, what's this song and who, who wrote it? Nice. And so now like always have that knowledge in there. Like, how do you know that? Like, uh, I used to be quizzed on <laughs> Meanwhile, on my mom's side, I know more lyrics to Melissa Etheridge than I have the right to know. <laughs> but I'm the only one. <laughs> no, so, um, so yeah, through there, then I started to discover, like, punk rock. Like, started with the Ramones, classic one. Mm-hmm. But um, then, I would say... I don't know if I should say this for the video game one, but Tony Hawk Underground's definitely introduced me to a lot of fun punk bands that I've been listening to. Pro Skater 3 for me. Nice. Um, but then, yeah, otherwise, with newer stuff, uh, White Stripes, that definitely helped inspire me to actually play in a band of my own, too. Because I'm like, oh, you mean you can actually just... You don't have to be the most skilled person in the world yeah. just, and actually still make a good song structure. Yeah, Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> but then, um, also growing up, I had the same like pop culture stuff. The first CD I ever owned was Now That's What I Call Music Volume 4. Oh, hey, yeah, 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 I had that one. Because I heard on the commercials, uh, Blue by Eiffel 65 and I thought that was cool <laughs> so through that I got to hear stuff like all the small things was on there yep. too and 
Yeah, number four was actually kind of a banger for the time. Yeah. Well, f- one through four of Now That's What I Call Music were actually pretty good. Actually, now... I remember when they would play the Now That's What I Call Music volume one commercial during Pokemon back in 98. <laughs> now One is actually how I found one of my favorite bands, even though they're a one-hit wonder. I love Harvey Danger. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That's right, they were on that one. Yep. Flagpole <laughs> Center. Yeah, Flagpole yeah, yeah. Center, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, were they, were they a one-hit wonder to you, though? Oh, no. I yeah, exa- exactly, yeah. So Even the one that, like... The recording company went under, and they can't actually legally distribute the album anymore. But I just so happen to find it in the secondhand shop. I'm like, yes, getting it now. Uh, I have, I have bands like that too, except I don't have the album. So disappointing. Mm-hmm. St. James version, album number two, followed by um, a little by little. It's the third one. <laughs> um, but the first album, like artist album, I ever bought, and we're gonna have another repeat here. But it's Daft Punk. Because nice. as a cool. kid, I was watching Toonami, and they would premiere the music videos for um, the first four tracks of Discovered. Oh, oh that's right. You, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Have you seen the movie? That's, I haven't yet. Yeah, no, those videos are part of a like an anime movie. They're like a whole, whole like, yeah, it's like a whole movie. They're just, just, just the album. We have it on DVD, yeah. but we've never watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, if you like the album, you'll like the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like with Toonami, I came for the Dragon Ball Z, and then I found Daft Punk. Yeah, cool. And so, yeah, Daft Punk was the first artist album I ever owned. And yeah, I think, I think that from people of our generation, that is a huge answer for a lot of people. Is everybody knows Daft Punk? You know? Yeah. Except for slightly younger than us, when they performed with Kanye that one time. Oh, like, what is that strange pyramid opening up behind him? <laughs> <laughs> Why is everybody going crazy right now? And there's a good portion of us that just sat back and went, just wait, you'll find out. Well, and they, they started the whole mask trend. Like, like the mm-hmm. fact that DJs have to wear a mask. Yeah. Like, Dead Mouse wouldn't do that. Um, what's the guy that I listen to? Um... Zardonic, Zardonic wouldn't do that. Uh, Magic like, Sword, yeah, like like all the all these DJs are just like, well, I guess the mask thing is is a, is a is a gem. You gotta wear the mask, and that's that's because of Daft Punk. It's one hundred percent because of Daft Punk. Oh yeah, well, I think it's it's mainly because these artists like Dead Mouse and Daft Punk. I know for sure, like they just don't want to see the audience. They just don't want to. Right. Yeah. It, 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 like that adds more pressure, you know. Yeah, so, I, I know this is the first time you guys are hearing Alex on the show, but he hasn't taken his mask off the entire yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> He's got an MF Doom mask. <laughs> hey, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but. I guess Tyler. Right on. Um, so, trying to chronologically piece it together. Um, I've always been like a music sponge, um, mm. pretty much from day one. Um, not like fact in a factoid way, but just like absorbing it and, and not like really separating it, really enjoying it all. But where first roots is like traditional stuff, like classical music, theater, like Phantom of the Opera, and that kind of mm. thing. I was in the Michael Crawford Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, yeah, the good, the good one, the good stuff. <laughs> uh, and um, you know, being in a lot of theater and shit too. So, uh, so a lot of traditional stuff. I was classically trained in piano, so a very normal circuit um, as far as a very, very beginning. 
Um, and then, of course, uh, all the stuff that was on the radio. Um, I used to even make like mixtapes, uh, stuff from like Jam ninety eight point five, and then me too. Another station and like whatever tape I had, uh, kind of like even sometimes like <laughs> recording the audio off one. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. Like, two two of those players get together. super. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Fine. This is, super like, chunky. This is everything yeah. from like from uh, New Kids on the Block to to. Uh, to like uh, Joan Osborne, like uh, um, first few albums I ever owned was like uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, I Bear. love Hootie and the I Blowfish. Defend, I defend that album. That's one of the greatest like pop rock albums. Um, it was very uh, much a thing to be cool and be like Hootie and the Blowfish is the worst band ever at the time. It wasn't, but different stuff. No, I love, I love uh, things like that. Blowfish. Like um, all the normal. Um, Darius Jewel, is the man. You know, Jewel and uh, but then also, slightly before I got into heavier stuff, and this is why, I was at my grandparents' place, um, and there's some of uh, my mom's old record stash in there, and she briefly had dated like a hippie dude, you know, back in the day, so she went through a slight phase and kept <laughs> the records to uh, my good advantage. Um, so I'm flipping through records, some look normal, there's like... Cream and stuff, which I yeah. learned to like really appreciate later. But the one that stuck out um, first was Jimmy Hen- Jimi Hendrix. Are you experienced? Because like mm. I look at it, I'm like, I have never even seen colors like this. It's like crazy, like pop of like odd greens and purple, and they all are like dressed all funky and have afros. I'm like, okay, this is different. It's not um, <laughs> the image that uh, I'm used to. Um, pop it in, mind's blown, instant love. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. Um, also followed by um, Black Sabbath, uh, Masters of Reality. Hell yeah. Very minimalistic cover, like all black, uh, little embossed letters, and then some purple. Um, really cool and like conceptual, and that, that too, followed by that. So, those two albums in particular, that's what opened Pandora's box to like heavier stuff mm. and I kind of started listening to um, uh, well, oh, actually before I get there um, kind of at the same time uh, start listening to Beck and stuff like that which Ooh, is all nice. cool. Beck, oh you didn't even talk Beck about Beck Baudelaire oh, in particular nice. uh, opened up the Pandora's box, box of you can be like weird like totally that's a not like your average album Especially what's going on, and I just had heard his hits on the radio. You know, you go to the CD store, record store, pick it out, and then my mind's blown how far it's like. Weird. Oh, he's no one hit wonder. He like, like everything, everything in, there. in there. He does it all himself. There's mm-hmm. like weird avant-garde shit and noise in there. Even um, so, that's where between those things, learn that's like, well, okay, there's like weird. It can be weird, and it's okay. Uh, even though, like, even through all this, no one was telling me like this is. I should listen to this and whatnot. I kind of like, in a good way, I just kind of made my natural path in what I like. So, it's like Beck and stuff. Also, a funny Beck to, I had to write this down. Uh, I was, became a massive fan of, of Beck and even bought like a poster and saw it. That was in the, you know, the, uh, I forget where it was, Walmart or something, posters you flip through. They're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like saw it instantly didn't look too deep into it but got it so 
bam, buy it, roll it up, put it on my wall, realized it's a cool poster. It's like back in his like cow, space cowboy garb. There's a donkey, but the donkey has his full-on like dick out, <laughs> mid, mid like like buckets pouring out pissing. I was like, uh oh. <laughs> My parents are not gonna like. They so had like a big uh, those glow ceiling stars put right over. So there's a weird back effect to it to throw that in there. Um, so it's a good story. Then I start kind of tuning into like uh, WAF. This is another local reference, like. Uh, and WBCN, or there's more punk stuff. Um, then I start picking up compilations, like Punkorama compilations, which is this mm. old gem where um, in CD stores, you know, you usually would have like enough money for one, one album, whatever. Um, but there's this one, I think it was put out by Epitaph or something, uh, I can't recall, but they would uh, put out these compilations called Punkorama, which were like, four dollars or something and there's like 20 tracks on it so you can either spend your money on like one album or like buy two or three of those so a lot of, and often i buy those go for the those and then through those compilations uh opening up pandora's box to like skater punk and like tony hawk pro skater mm-hmm. kind of all those uh, type things um so that's where like heavier stuff and also in conjunction with what's on the radio learning like the basic uh, um, you know Nirvana and steadily getting heavier and heavier until like I'm up to like Ozfest going to Ozfest seeing screaming bands Deftones and that kind of thing uh, later on um, and then also like MTV played a lot into it uh, we weren't at my house we weren't we didn't have cable we weren't allowed but when I go to my grandparents house um, when we could get away with it, it was like late night and they were asleep so that's when all the good stuff is on that's where I like uh, introduced Beavis and Butthead and like uh, Heavy Metal <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the animation movie and like all the heavier stuff so uh, that was like you don't get the, during the daytime anyway so it's actually a good thing <laughs> <laughs> and then also um, in high school and stuff that's where I come across like uh, Miyazaki movies, and that's where my classical roots love come back in because I also love the soundtracks, John Williams and stuff, and Joe Hisashi. The soundtrack to it is like marvelous to me. Love it, um, and that's where like the interest in like oh, there's my radar starts to go to Japan a little bit, and then uh, and then really what kickstarted that was a friend. This is just a friend handing over. Um, an album, you know, fellow music lover, uh, DJ Crush, uh, Message at the Depths. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> that's like super min- minimalistic because, like, yeah. you know, I knew like uh, old school like turntables, like uh, Beastie yeah. Boys and stuff. I heard scratching and stuff, like you know, typical, <laughs> which is yeah. amazing. <laughs> but this is someone who's like doing that minimalistically mm-hmm. and, and like mixing in uh, uh, like uh, field noises of animals yeah. and yeah. like tribal stuff and. Uh, Still, but on the ones and twos, uh, somehow making stuff that is sounds like it's like all uh, computer based or whatever, mind blowing. So yeah, that's what also these all are coming together like a like a tr- you know kind of like roots of a tree uh, sprouting, and then also I get somehow come across Bjork. That's another huge influence. So uh, the three big ones I think are like for me musically in general is like Beck, uh, Hendrix, Beck, 
Bjork, um, then DJ Crush, and then also nice. I, uh, my friend uh, uh, Jiggy San is like basically my best friend uh, on my on my podcast. Yeah, I'll, Jiggy is I'll a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, honorary co-host basically uh, introduces me to Fooly Cooly, and cool. same exact thing like. Um, realizing, oh wait, there's not just like classical music or soundtrack stuff from Japan. There's like, there's like, there's a scene. And, and like you said, you <laughs> put it so well that it's like familiar, but not. It's it's like there. The emotions are there, and all the like it's so familiar, but fresh and new and uplifting. And that's always go to like, you know go back to with some pillows, you know, and you're bombing or whatever. Or even, like, it kind of... Matt, every time I listen to it, not a lot of music, like, puts me back into a nostalgia, like, transports me, like, time warp. Um, so then, fully coolly, and then everything kind of, like, unraveled from there, pretty much. And then I'm down to, like... Mm-hmm. I love everything. Uh, I'm team music. I'm even <laughs> unlearning stuff that I've learned to like I thought was like not good or just like was taught to not be good. It's like it's better just be uh, team music because you never know if that song or whatever has like saved someone's life. So yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm like deep into music. It's my life. Into the weird, to the normal. One day I could be listening to uh, the poppiest pop, and then I'm listening to like noise music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I love it all. That's, that's, that was a tough one, but I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. If that was tough. I don't know. You had like <laughs> seemed like a pretty good answer. I could go even deeper, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm like over here trying to figure out like oh, what genre is this? It's like nah, nah. Every, every, yeah, yeah. I'm everything. Like, like I did not expect you to go from talking about like the pillows to like yeah. DJ Crush. That really yeah. caught me off guard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of DJ yeah, Crush. That's awesome. just like tip the iceberg. Too, yeah. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's so many bands that I didn't even mention that. I know. Same here. I had a whole list here. Yeah. You know what? I know what this is. Can I can also point out for the for the listeners that he came here wearing a Boris shirt. Yeah. So I expected you to talk about Boris, and it just goes into like every direction. Yeah. But I I wore wore this in particular because uh, this is the shirt that I met Evan in and led to our friendship. Yeah. Uh, We were talking about it earlier. um, uh, That. Uh, I was at the Shonen Knife Q and A MIT. Yep. Um, and uh, didn't meet you. I obviously didn't know you then. I was hanging out after and like seeing you know maybe there's someone you know like usually at an event or something I'll linger around for maybe someone meet someone and then you're just like hey nice shirt I'm like <laughs> yeah no, thanks I love Boris and uh, <laughs> I think you had a shirt on that I recognized too and I'm like yo uh, what's your name and here we are now. Wow. Wow. So thanks to this shirt, yes. in particular. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was like at the, so thankful for this shirt. I was at the Q and A, and I was at the at that show and yeah. show with my friend Carrie. And at the time, Carrie was my uh, roller derby friend. It's like she, and she was an awesome roller derby person. Oh my god! But she was derby. she <laughs> she like she got me a little bit into like that girl riot scene yes, a little good, bit. Good, so good, like good. the Slater Kings, that, yeah, that, 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 that sort of scene. Great soundtrack. <laughs> Um, <laughs> or anything, but yeah, and what and like I remember you, you were sitting behind me, probably at, at the Q and A, and I remember turning and like going. I think like, there's a Boris shirt behind. Yeah, me. I think there's a Boris. I was like, I've never seen anyone wear a Boris shirt before. So like, I'm I'm glad that we met, and I can't I can't believe that was like ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, I know. Full eyes, and actually, like, because that because that was the enemy going too, like. 
we we didn't even talk about Ramstein, like you know, yeah. and uh, and like uh, I listened to The Offspring a lot when I was oh, when yeah. I was yeah, like yeah. like I had I had a conspiracy of one on cassette, and that one just kept going. And I used to have our my parents were not into that stuff, so sure, I used yeah. to get my stuff screened. And I had a oh yeah, yeah. We've, we've had our stuff. We've had our stuff screened, and uh, they would screen it and like we don't give a shit. Yeah, well, and it, well, and uh, put it in the closet, but then they'd forget about it, and then later it'd be like, we yeah, well, we'd put in the disc man. I would, um, <laughs> our, our I, I was so happy that when an album that had a parental advisory sticker on it was a sticker, so like before yeah. I bought the yeah. album, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. before they start printing the I'm like, see, yeah. there's nothing. See, there's no frontal advisory sticker on it. It's totally fine for me. Well, I mean, our, uh, our, our, <laughs> our, it was funny because, like, our dad didn't really shelter us from a whole lot. Like, we were watching R-rated movies way before we should have, probably, and whatever. But uh, I watched Caddyshack but, when I was four. Yeah, but but like our dad would hey, listen. Bro, like our dad listened to the to Conspiracy of One with us, and then yeah. like you know, original prankster would come on, and, he's like, and he would be like, "Oh, is this the It Smells Like Shit Goddamn song?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's probably you know." It's, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, that was that was yeah, fun. I had to sneak with heavy stuff in, so mm-hmm. it was uh, it was commitment. Yeah, I was. I, I just remember, <laughs> I remember the first time when because um, I I had I had my like if for like a birthday or Christmas or something, I'd be like, I really want this album. And then, like, I would listen to the album, but then I'd be like, hey, mom, do you want to listen to the album that you gave to me? You know, and then, like, I'd put on the album. She'd be like, oh, you got me again. You know, <laughs> so. And also another thing I forgot to add in, like, not only the, my classical upbringing, like, uh, I'm Puerto Rican, so there was a ton of, like, Latin music, soul music in there, too, which I also plays into a lot of uh, things later on. Too. Yeah. I forgot to put that in. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Made me realize I totally forgot about Beck too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah. You, I got to see him live with Evan, yeah. but um, I discovered him because I found a two dollar cassette tape at Salvation Army. Nice. And I'm like, I've heard of this album yeah. before, but I don't know what it is. Hey, that's the best. Oh, hey, cassette tapes, taking a chance, yeah. dude. Yeah. And it, it, Alex, you're still making cassette tapes. Yeah, like, yeah. you're like me your too, album. Me too, yeah. <laughs> so let's leave it off here with John Starr. Gee, I don't even know if I have like a good story to to end it all off on, but I, I feel like that my journey has actually worked its way backwards a little bit. So that's like it's nice. yeah, no, like I, I started with more modern stuff because like I didn't know you know what to listen to. It was just like all right, well I'm a kid, I'll listen to Weird Al, you know. And so yeah. like, no, so, like that's not what to yeah, right? yeah right yeah. yeah. Nobody it's mentioned just, Weird Al. Every yeah, single so one of us is probably listening to Weird Al. So the fact that Weird Al has like outlasted the Banshee's parody oh, yeah. is so totally surreal. Yeah. Bad hair day is still just. Yeah, but I mean, like for for many people, they can just look at me sometimes. Like if if it's summertime, it's like, oh, that kid listens to Scott. Like like you can just look at me and you know that like I'm stuck in the '90s and like I'm the only last living, breathing person who's like, yeah, I listen to Scott music. Well, if you come to Japan with me, uh, yeah, there's a huge Scott scene yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I just bought my first pair of Vans, like, last summer. <laughs> <laughs> the transformation is now complete. Too late. Yeah. All your dreams. <laughs> um, but, so, I, I'm, like, I grew up with, like, Five Iron Frenzy was my favorite band for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and like, the Aquabats, I'm wearing an Aquabat shirt right now. Like, I still love the Aquabats. Um, and, and, like, but I, I got onto this huge scene of, like, 
Um, I liked ska, but I did not like punk rock for the longest time. It was weird. Like, I like I just loved... It's like being good at science, but being terrible at math, which was me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I failed math, but I aced chemistry. Yeah. That's, and that's kind of what, what the mixture is. But, um, you... Yeah, so, like, I, I was in the scene with, like, the Aquabats and Five Iron, and then, like, Real Big Fish was a, a big thing for me, too. And then from there, I started working backwards where, like, I, I hit, my, like, I listened to Madness, you know, which, like, in the, in the 80s and 70s, they were, like, a ska band, you know, uh, and then the specials, you know, like, all, all that. And they were, I think the specials was the 60s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they started in the 60s. Yeah, so, um, and, like, they were, like, one of the first musical guests that was on Saturday Night Live, too. Yeah. I think episode two, episode two, the specials played Saturday Night Live. Um, <laughs> no, that was uh, Paul Simon. Was it? That right. was the episode that Paul Simon hosted and played. Got it, okay. Uh, well, but it was definitely in that era. Yeah. yeah. You would know, Evan. <laughs> it's like, uh, oh, it was a Tuesday night. It was like, okay. <laughs> Um, but so from wait, it, it would be a Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if someone cassette taped it, <laughs> but I heard that from there, like, and I already told my story about um, how how the Talking Heads were like punk rock when they were there. Nobody went to go see them. But as soon as the record label was like, nah, man, they're not punk rock. They're a new wave. And I was like, ooh. Um, so, like, so, I, I was, I was always, <laughs> so after a while, like, I, I had liked Talking Heads, but then I got into the Talking Heads, and, like, I still love David Byrne's stuff, um, even though his ego is bigger than anybody's on the planet. I mean, that's not made up four members of the band. Yeah, anyway. right, yeah. <laughs> um... So they, uh, so like I listened to new wave stuff and I really like new wave, you know, music. So I went back to the eighties from the nineties stuff that I was still listening to, um, back in that day. Um, but I think that for like modern stuff, I, I loved discovering Andrew WK for the first time. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. I get wet is like, <laughs> like one first. of the We were all there together. Yeah. yeah. Andrew WK. When I when I was in high school I made a music video for Party Hard. Yeah. Oh, like one of the greatest albums of all time. My gosh. But um, that one was spinning in my car for, for so long. Uh, and, and and then you know when uh, music is worth living for dropped. I wish I could experience that song for the first time oh again. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Remember that? Like, <laughs> they dropped that single. We're like, yes. We're like, this is this is incredible. This um, is my mantra. Right time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so so that was a big thing. And I still haven't seen Andrew Jibbe in, in concert. But I was thinking about the concerts that I've seen. And I think that one of the biggest ones, even though, like, they're not, I don't really listen to them that much anymore, but it was one of the most important concerts that we ever went to, I think was the Baby Metal show that we went to. Mm -hmm. We were at the House of Blues, and we were waiting for them to start, and then Swedish Pagans from Sabaton comes on over there, and all of us were just like, get out Soundhound right now! What is this song? And, like, everybody everybody was singing it, Yeah, Yeah. Everybody went nuts for Swedish Pagans for Sabaton. And it was recording. Yeah. And I yeah. think that was I think that was the the thing that like really changed us for for our latest That's era funny. of music. And to think that Baby Battle then would collaborate with Sabaton yeah. in America. No. And like they would open for Sabaton in Europe and Sabaton would open for Baby Metal in Japan. And it's like 
It's like all of our worlds just collided at once. Yeah, and so I, I, yeah, I think that was probably like the me moving into the modern era of music was that concert. And again, I don't uh, listen to baby metal that much anymore. I have one or two on my Spotify playlist that I listen to. They're still a great band, but like, but the fact that that one of the songs that they played to keep the crowd entertained while the stage was still black was Swedish Pagans moved us into our latest era of music. Absolutely. And so um, there's that. Um, I do want to jump back to one of the things that Andrew said, though, when uh, you were talking about Dawn of Ashes, which really made me remember how influential that was to your comic book because Christoph uh, Kabath. That's right. Yeah. Andrew's Andrew's main villain of his of his comic book is Kristoff, which was a D&D character that he played, which our DM was uh, going to eventually turn him into the final boss of the D&D campaign, which we never got to, unfortunately. But um, but that influenced you, I think. That was like a, a key thing that you missed in your story. There, well, there's, I mean, that's just it, is, is every single story that I have ever written has a soundtrack. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it's, the, it's the soundtrack to you know, the, the actual... Like if, if you read the graphic novel that I write, then yeah, there's the soundtrack to it. And, and but, but Solarian Sun is filled with with music references anyway, because and every character represents a, a genre. But I, I I never liked Ton of Ashes. I still really don't. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but I, I can't help but think of the times that we would sit back with one another when we would listen to K. Bathory, like talking about like his shows, and he'd be like, yeah, well, sometimes I just look out into the audience and nobody's moshing hard enough, so I just have to decide to kick somebody in the face on the stage. Dude, he's a psycho. Yeah, somebody's not somebody's not hurt yeah. enough, so I just have to hurt. Yeah, them. like I just yeah. I just he's like I just feel like stabbing them. Yeah, like, and then I, I listened to like a two hour interview where like the interviewer was so uncomfortable around him because he's like, yeah, I practice black magic, and he's like, oh, can you tell me about that? No. <laughs> like and then it's like oh and, like, and, and, then, he, and then he's like and then he's like talking about like how he's just like yeah I find art I find murder to be an art form and he's like what and he's like yeah yeah you know like like I just find the beauty in, in people killing each other and and like the unwillingness and it's it's like an art form and we're like what you know it's like, it's like, it's like this guy's yeah it's like this guy's a musician what the heck yeah and so like that's the and that's the villain of your yeah comic that's the villain of my comic book <laughs> look down at the interview sheet the next question is so how long have you been an artist <laughs> just the guy holding the paper up slowly to his face it was like one of the most uncomfortable interviews I've ever listened to and I remember it's like it's ingrained in my memory yeah I'll, I'll spin I'll spin some Dawn of Ashes for you guys after the show yeah over. so Sounds there was good. there was that and then um, yeah Tubbering was also really important because that actually like kind of in, that kind of like convinced that, me yeah that changed the game for us like, yeah. and now now we're kind of getting into like like me discovering things so you discover things yeah kind of but to be fair I discovered Beast in Black just uh, to yeah well yeah you started listening to it but I started listening to them more quicker I guess like, like you listened to that one song and I was just like I get that I have a, actually a brother who's, who's uh, less than a year older than me and like I was the First one to like bring in the heavy stuff, but yep. it was like a bounce effect. It was actually yeah. really awesome, and I'm kind of blessed to have it because well, any, any we were filling each other ga- each other's gaps. Yeah, where absolutely. Share like what where but easier way to share than that. Well, because you, know, you like it, you like it here. You go. Yeah, well, because I was the, like the same thing. Oh my god, I was. I, I was the first one to buy a real big fish album. 
Yeah. And Jonathan's the Scott head now, right? Yeah. 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 So, like, yeah. I bought the Really Fish album. And How he's dare listening I? To all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the I think that's the same effect when any time that we share, uh, like, uh, Avatar with people, whenever we, we show somebody an Avatar song, they always become bigger Avatar fans than we become. Yeah. Right, so I've seen him live twice, and he's never seen him live. <laughs> They're always coming on a Wednesday! Like, what the heck? It's like, I want to see Avatar so bad! So, I, I have a very short... Uh, music history, but very unique compared to everybody uh, here, I, I would say. Me too. So I feel like for the next band that I'm going to be playing on the show, dives a little bit more into my music history. And it actually is thanks to a mutual friend of Derek and I's, uh, Matt Bonatatipus. Oh, yeah. So back what a in, last name. Yeah. So he was he was in a band, two bands, uh, with Squid Knights and then HD and the Surround Sound, correct? Yep. That's right. Yeah, together. So this was back in fall of 2008, and we're like passing around music because we're college kids. We're broke. The only way we can find out new music is if we trade off. And so like through him, I actually downloaded a bunch of Aquabat stuff. I downloaded a bunch of um, Fog and Molly. And then there was a band name that really got my attention. And that band was fucked up. Now, that band, that folder of music stayed unplayed until I discovered one day that the New York Times of all newspapers in the world had listed Fucked Up's 2008 album, The Chemistry of Common Life, one of the best albums of the year. And that made me go, really? (laughs) Are you kidding? Because you hear a band named Fucked Up, you think it's going to be some like weird ass like art noise core melt banana shit. <laughs> which, is, which I do love about banana. The, the, so as fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, yeah. So this was like winter, like January 2009. I'm getting ready to go to work, and I decide, you know what? I'm gonna put this album on my iPod and listen to it on my way to work. And the album, The Chemistry of Common Life. I put it on. I start walking. And I realized, like, 20 minutes have gone by, I haven't left my spot. Because I am just blown away by what I am hearing. The band that calls themselves this is making some of the most amazing music I had ever seen in my, or ever heard in my life. And Fucked Up are the only band, like, in the entirety of my existence of Boston Bash we gave No Borders Erased. They're the only band whom have appeared on my top albums list three times. In 2011 for David Comes to Life, 2018 for Dose Your Dreams, and in 2021 for their epic 94-minute song, The Year of the Horse. Their new album that just came out um, one day, definitely going to be on the list. I don't think it'll be on the top, but it'll definitely be on my list. But today... I'm going to be playing for you the song that made me freeze in place. The song that made me go just lose track of time and just realize, like, wow, this is what you can do with punk rock music. And it is the opening track to the chemistry of common life. And in my opinion, it is one of the greatest opening songs ever recorded on an album. And that song is called Son the Father. Thank you. 
this is Dame Scarlet Asenbull of Scarlet Rhapsody, best known for convention tea. Just want to wish you the best, Evan, as you journey through Japan. We wish you the best and lots of love out here, out on the West Coast for you. Wish nothing but best. And、um, don't forget to also get me some Love Live merch, too. <laughs> Bird, Bear, Hair, and Fish, which 
for you Stephen wow. King fans, is a reference to The Dark Tower. But recently, Galileo Galilei had come back together, and they had come out with a new album. It's pretty great. Might be one of my picture best albums of 2023. So I feel like it should come as a big surprise to our listeners that we like anime. Like, we... (laughs) (laughs) But, like, we have liked anime for a very long time. We were part of that, like, original crowd. Back in the days where even Star Trek and Star Wars fans would make fun of us. Like, we were the bottom tier nerds. (laughs) We were the the furries. Hey, how much for a bootleg tape? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You beat me. (laughs) But it's like... Ever like back when No Borders Already started in 2006, like anime was still kind of like this underground thing mm-hmm. where, like, if you wanted to watch what was new and hip, you had to go find fan subs fan and subs all YouTube. that. Yeah. And now today, it's like you get your anime like right then and there. Thanks to Attack on Titan. Thanks to Attack on... I would even go so far as to say thanks to the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. That was still too early, though. That was still when we had to find, like, DVDs for, like, $200. Adult Swim Swim did some great things for the anime culture, but... But Attack on Titan is when people... When when Normie started being like, this is kind of cool. Maybe a little Lelouch in there. But Goku's the only one with a Macy's table of... That's true. true. That is true. true. Very true. I mean, I mean, I mean. And Pikachu. As a, Pikachu. Pikachu. Yep. As, as a Hispanic person, we, we, we've been watching Dragon Ball Z since like yeah, yeah. yeah so it is like yeah, DLC and Dragon Ball Z going like, uh, like that. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know it. I know it. Awesome, cool, like culture parallels mm-hmm. brought us together. But like we've been watching anime for a very very long time, and as the years have gone by, I'm starting to our tastes and what we like in Japanese animation has evolved since our origins. And I want to start off by asking Andrew about how his tastes have evolved when it comes to Japanese animation. Coming, going through like what you like then compared to what you like now. <laughs> Easy. Nothing. I got, I got to be honest. I, I've been lying this whole time for years. I've never seen a single anime in my um, let's see. Well, uh, anime showed up in our in me and Jonathan's life at an early age when we were waiting to watch uh, Ghostbusters Extreme and Pokemon was on instead. And we yeah. were very upset, but then we started watching Pokemon and we fell in love. And With Misty. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Back then it was appropriate because we were the same age. Yes. Um, now, uh, not so now much. It's, now it's a little different story. Um... <laughs> Uh, but so uh, you know, we—I think everybody remembers when Pokemon first started. It was this ultra phenomenon that just exploded into the world. Uh, and now it never died down. No, well, and nowadays it's really weird that kids will never experience what it was like to discover Pokemon for the first time. Uh, it's just syndicated television instead of Ghostbusters. Instead yeah. of Ghostbusters Extreme, <laughs> uh, and uh, from there. Uh, when Jonathan and I learned what anime was and Japanese animation and whatever, back then we didn't have a name for it. We just, you know, it was, oh, it was just another cartoon that was on. We didn't even understand that it was from Japan. We were too young. But uh, Jonathan and I got into this weird swing that we didn't like anime. No. Uh, we, like, but. The mountains aren't moving at the right speed. Well, the, the big it's... thing came from we just didn't enjoy Dragon Ball Z and that was, like, the main, the main stay. 
Uh, nowadays, it's totally different. I, I still don't love Dragon Ball Z, but I appreciate it for what it is and the art form and what it has done as a art property, right? Uh, like, I play Xenoverse. The video games are really fun. Uh, Dragon Ball Fighter Z is a great fighting game. Whatever. I, I remember last year when we did my 300th episode where I made the controversial comment of, I think Dragon Ball was always at its best when it was funny. Oh, sure, yeah. And, um, and, and I, I would agree with you. I don't I actually don't think it's that controversial at all. I think but, that the the biggest issue comes from when uh, Cartoon Network listed it as, or like they they legitimately called it the greatest action cartoon ever made. And then we would watch the show, and it would be a charge up episode. Yeah, yeah. like for like yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, for a week, for a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> However, next time on Dragon yeah. Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> However, alongside Dragon Ball Z, they were playing Tenchi Muyo, and they were playing uh, Outlaw Outlaw Star, and... I think and and back then that was like when I was fighting fighting so hard to be like no I'm gonna be anti cultural like I don't I don't want to love this stuff because all of our friends at school liked anime but we but Jonathan and I decided no we weren't gonna do that so we were stubborn for quite a while <laughs> um, and then and then I started growing into becoming more of an artist and then I it wasn't it wasn't until high school uh, when we when Jonathan and I were juniors in high school we start we just on a whim started watching Bleach. On, on Adult Swim. No, you know who it was? It was our friend Rob. He came yeah. over. Uh, he was hanging out with us for the weekend. And we were up watching Adult Swim. And he was like, guys, it's new. It's the first episode. I want to watch Bleach. Yeah. And we said, yeah. okay. Yeah, and, and so Bleach will always hold a special place in my heart because of, of what it was and how good it was. But before that, before even we really even realized it, our younger cousins were watching Naruto. Back when Naruto was on the next new episode of Naruto, right? Um, <laughs> like, not even, like, the Shippuden series, like, original Naruto. And uh, and, and so we, we would get into conversation about them, about that, and it was like, oh, yeah, cool. And now I'm the biggest Naruto head ever. Like, I've, I have all the manga. I've read all of Naruto. I, I, I know all the lore. Uh, I'm, I'm only, like, halfway through Boruto, but, you know, that's a different story. Naruto my, was my guy. But. Things truly changed for us, though, when we had another late night of, of anime and Adult Swim. And, and, and Pizza Hut. And Pizza Hut. <laughs> and uh, instead of their anime block for the night, it was Cowboy Bebop the movie. That's right, yeah. So and that yeah. changed everything. That changed everything because... Cowboy Bebop the movie, we that was after, after we watched that. Jonathan and I both said, I think this counts as both Jonathan and I's yeah. history for you can for skip most over the, me when we go around this. Um, where where we said, oh, if all anime is like that, then then I want more of this. Yep. And and w- first thing we did was I I uh, you know we got all of Cowboy Bebop. We watched Cowboy Bebop. Um, I got the movie poster. Like started getting that, and then and then I really started diving into okay, well, what else does anime have to offer? And that was when I, think I was well, no 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 because before that because Anime Boston wasn't until we were seniors in high school in two thousand eight, hmm. which um, that was my first year going to Anime Boston. That's right, too. yeah. But we didn't meet you then. We met you in two thousand twelve. Thirteen, um, really? Oh yeah, yeah. I guess you're right because we weren't yep. pressed until two thousand thirteen. Anyway, so uh, so then I started watching. AMVs, right? As you do, you watch AMVs, and and it's like, oh, I really like this song. Uh, oh, look, Ramstein, and you know, you watch a Helsing AMV, and it's like, oh, I wonder what Helsing's all about. Uh, and that's when I discovered 
Elfin Lead. And Elfin Lead really changed my life because then I was just like, I'm all about blood and gory anime. <laughs> and boy, howdy, is that still where I'm at today, right? Like, you know, um, I, I mean, I love, I, I like my shonens and stuff casually, but, uh, but man, I'm all about discovering the 80s OVAs, like missing hidden gems where it's all blood and guts and like there's only two episodes ever made and, you know, so like my shelf is filled with Violence Jack and Fist of the North Star and, you know, Apocalypse Zero and all these anime that nobody has ever heard of, which caused me and Jonathan to make the hardcore anime panel at Anime Boston, where we would... We were the premier... We blew the roof off the place. Yeah, we were, yeah. We were the... We were the, we were the premier 18-plus event that was not porn. And, and so we gave everybody the alternative, like, oh, well, I don't want to watch hentai late at night, but I can watch violent, gory anime. And we just had a blast. Like, that was the greatest time ever because we could, we could run a crowd based off of these shows that they've never heard of. After every single show, they would always be like, what was, this, what was that anime? What was the cop anime? What was the, what was the little girl anime? What was the, you know, like, you know, what, like, what were all these things that we were showing because we had so many weird gems? Um, I, I remember the one that left me completely speechless. It was the clip from Apocalypse Zero. And it's the clip where the girl is squeezed to the point where her intestines yeah. spill out. Toothpaste tube. Yeah. Yes. Out of her mouth. And then, I'm like. Um, and, but for, for me, like, I, I agree. I agree. But for me, it, it's always been Mad Bull 34. Yeah. Like, nothing like Mad Bull 34 of him, like, blowing that guy's head off uh, on the rollerblades. And you just, it's like, oh. <laughs> rollerblades like, and yeah, short shorts. Like, oh, this girl's gone into shock. How do I get her? Oh, you'll show, show thought if you stick your finger up her ass. Like, it's just so, <laughs> it's so funny. And it's so good. So, so and, there's an unproduced script that was working on from all the plays that we had done for um, with with you guys, Phil the Issues guy, J.C. Riley, and it was going to end with us going back to the present day, and like everything has changed. And one of the things that that we find and discover is the multi Tony Award winning <laughs> musical Mad Bull Thirty Four, the musical. That's and, so good. And then. There's the all little thought out quicker if you're sick, you're figured upper us, upper us, upper us, upper us. And so, uh, so like I am still to this, and the I think the thing that upsets me the most is the anime industry doesn't produce anything like that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no, there's no exploitive, gory, like nudity, explicit anime. Like they don't do that anymore. I would say that. Devil May Cry Baby and Cyberpunk Edge Runners. That was very close. Very to that. close, but it's it's very clean. And yeah, it, like I, yeah. I think even that I haven't seen that new Junji Ito series on it. Right. Yeah. I, it's okay, but it's like, like way down. It could be like. But, but see, that's just it's too it's too yeah, cleansed. Yeah. It's not gritty enough. It's not yeah, it's like it, there's not enough grime on yeah, it. Exactly, you know exactly. You no, no. I um, you walk so, away feeling ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I guess compared to you guys, I might be like more of a newbie. Relatively sure, but like yeah. I, I recently saw Acura like on yeah the, okay on, yeah. The, on the at the theater the Coolidge yep. yeah. So mm-hmm. I saw it on the big screen. I totally get what you're saying. It's like this '80s like edgy like so much like, gore like yeah yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's like it has a lot of budget too. There's a lot of hard work that went into it. And like yeah. seeing it on the big screen, just like yeah. I mean yeah. There's like Cyberpunk Edge Runners all that stuff, but like it, it doesn't compare because. Yeah, you know, back so, then they were in like their economic boom. They had all this 
all yeah. this budget and just it's, you know, but, but now it's done on computers and yeah. like it's not hand drawn with pencil yeah, and exactly. painted and like so literally like, painted. Yeah, as I was watching, that, I was just like, we're never gonna get anything like this the, again. This is one of a kind. Yeah, the closest the closest we came was when they started making Helsing Ultimate. Mm. Um, and and Helsing Ultimate is still probably one of the greatest OVA series made in the later era. Um, and that I mean that ran from like 2007 to 2015 or something like that before they could actually finish Ultimate. Uh, and it was it was perfectly done. I loved it. But uh, so that was that was a huge portion of it. But there's another side to me, right? Like so there's my there's the guy like I'm the guy who loves and is inspired by the bloody gory violent anime that was very exploitive that they did whatever they wanted that was great. But then I also have my oh but this anime is cute. And and it's funny and like I and I Nichijou. don't we were just talking yeah, about Nichijou. we were talking about Nichijou. we're talking about uh, my like oh my favorite guilty pleasures are always the harem series uh, like whatever mm-hmm. you know I whatever is is very fluffy cute romantic I I like that stuff as long as there's comedy to it yeah um, like I don't watch many shonen action animes I don't watch many. Um, I don't watch many. I, I watch well, actually a lot of sports ones too. That's that's true. But you know, when when you come from the era of Cowboy Bebop and and um, Full Metal Alchemist and Fist of the North Star, it's really hard to get into what everybody else is trying to push nowadays. I guess you could say because um, because you know when you have a, like a main hero like Kenshiro. And then you're like, oh, that was a shonen anime. Like, like this is North Star's a shonen anime. Yeah. And then you look at like uh, Midoriya from My Hero Academia. It's like, yeah, he's cool, but like he's like kind of a bitch. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like he's like, but like Kenshiro cried, but he never wept. Like he never, he never like sobbingly. Like yeah. like when Kenshiro cried, he like stood at like like staring straight up in the air, and the tears just ran down his face. Like yeah, and oh, it's so good, right? And um and like I, I was always just like that's what young boys the genre that it's supposed to aim at like that's what they should aim for right yeah, yeah. Um, especially now in the era where Japan it's a very repressed culture and they're very secluded and they have nothing like driving them to get out of their hikikomoriism uh, mm-hmm. like and they're just like you know everybody kind of needs Kenshiro at this point mm-hmm. so so that's been a huge inspiration as like who I am and what anime has done to build me and my own art right like my my own comic books and my own uh, my own storytelling I have actually more to go into as far as storytelling uh, when we get into video games but that, that's that's later yeah um, but I, I that's that's I think I just want to end it there. That's kind of me in a nutshell. I love a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, especially I could, I could talk about horror anime forever, but you don't want me to do that. And so... If I could just do mine real quick to play yeah, off. Yeah, sure, play sure. off. Yeah. The only place, the piece that was missing for me, which I think that multiple people are going to talk about here, which they can talk about a- any of it, but, like, everybody already knows that, like, I am the biggest Fooly Cooly fan in the yeah. world. Yeah. None yeah. of you are. None of you are. <laughs> no. Really? Uh, did, did you interview the pillows? <laughs> no. No, but we did. Awesome. But we interviewed um, uh, Kari Waldron, yeah. which you were there That's, where, yeah. we're <laughs> which That's where we met. <laughs> that was where we met, was it? Yeah, that yeah. is. That was the interview? <laughs> that was Wait, the interview. where we met. Stop. <laughs> no, um, I love Fooly Cooly so much, and it's actually... it. Um, the animation he wasn't the director he was the animation director which was oh, yeah, Hir- Hiroyuki Imashi and Hiroyuki Imashi is still one of my stylistic 
influences from my art nowadays. Those big bold lines, those really exaggerated uh, short uh, foreshortenings, and all that. That's so, what, that's what I need to talk about too. Is so one thing I found out recently, Hiroyuki Imashi. So he directed the end theme credits to Paradise Kiss, which used the song "Do You Want to Buy Friends Ferdinand," hmm. and then. Many years later, he would go on and do Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Right. Yep. And who would be doing the yep. opening yep. theme for that? <laughs> Franz Ferdinand for this yeah. fire. Yeah. Cool. Um, I, I, the, I guess the other thing that I would want to touch on too is if I, if you, if anybody out there wants to know what I'm talking about as far as you know things like Violence Jack and and Fist of the North Star and Mad Bull Thirty Four, check out our Wicked Anime channel. Well, Wicked Anime, but uh, <laughs> like the good, the a good modern take to do like along with Helsing Ultimate is look up things like Black Lagoon and look up things like... There's one more. Oh, uh... Okay. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I know that's kind of controversial because, like, of, of what the fans turned jo- JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, when we knew it, it was made in 1997. <laughs> or, or, like, you know, the, they, made, they made the second half of Stardust Crusaders in 1997. Then in 2000, they made the first half of the OVA. So you watch the 2000 anime first, then you watch the 1997 anime... And you get the whole story. But then, like, in the later 2000s, everybody knew what Joseph's Bizarre Adventure was, and now they're the worst fans ever, right? Get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very get off my lawn when it comes to anime. Uh, which is funny, because I didn't even, like, starting watching anime until I was 17 years old. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I, I think that's... Black Lagoon, Helsing Ultimate, those are, like, the new age violent animes... And those are even considered. Old. Those are considered old. There are kids now that are graduating from high school that never that weren't born. Yeah, that mm-hmm. weren't born. So those are like actually, if you were that's like the '80s OVA, right? That was before we yeah, were right. born. But um, but you know, we loved it. So go check those things out. That's that's me in a nutshell. Or me and Jonathan, I guess I should say. My origins are very similar with like watching Pokemon on like syndicated television and then being introduced to Toonami. You mentioned Tenchi Muyo. Tenchi Muyo was the very first series that made me go, I need to own yeah. this. Harm series, too. Which like, one? A har- it's a harm series, too. Harm so, series like, as that, well. that probably, like, flipped flip the like, switch. Oh, I kind of like this. And, and, like, paying 20 bucks for two-episode VHS every single time. Just to see Ryoko. Yeah. And the oh, hot spring scene. <laughs> Love Ryoko. And realizing, oh, I didn't know you could get away with this. Well, technically... <laughs> that was the OVA version. Yeah, technically, um, a couple years before then, I was taking a cartooning class at Montserrat, and someone had brought in Rama One Half. Oh, interesting! Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I remember Rama. watching this and being like, "Oh, like that was my first introduction of you could do this in cartoons." I never realized that. Oh yeah, the nudity like, from the first, like all over. Oh the yeah, all over the place. That was that was television. that was the same thing with like the violence and gore stuff when we were discovering the violence and gore. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you can do this in cartoons. You can draw anatomically correct. <laughs> Body parts. Yeah, Elfin Lee was, Elf and Lee was really good at drawing the organs from the inside, you know, mm-hmm. getting, people getting cut in half and stuff. Just Barbie doll them in the bottom. That's that's, that's all they asked for. That's true. <laughs> but, you know, during my time, it's funny like how like my taste in Japanese animation has evolved since then. With, with watching stuff like Dragon Ball Z, Outlaw Star, and Tenchi Muyo, watching things for both the right reasons and, of course, watching them for... The wrong reasons, too. Aisha Clan Clan. Aisha Clan Clan. How dare you defy the Katara Katara? Which I find funny Classic that the girls. English voice actress would go on and work in Canadian politics for a few years. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was during my time in college where I was part of the anime club, and I was introduced to an anime back in 2007 that would, like, 
it was my first introduction to like how anime comedy could actually be funnier than Western comedy. Mm. And that was a show called Hayate the Combat Butler. Mm. It had like everything. It had good action. It had comedy. It had a narrator that was just pissed off at the characters all the time. And I was just a huge sucker for like everything about it. For, forgive me for interrupting you, but uh, that also kind of reminds me of like the comedy stylings of something like Cromarty High. Cromarty High. Like, oh my gosh, like that is like even the live action movie of Cromarty High. Cromartie, is, to me, the live action Cromarty High is the best live action anime adaptation, hands it's down. So funny. Like but they Cromartie got High everything is, right with that. It was anime. written by the original guy too, so yeah, it's like perfect. But, like, that's where I started realizing, oh, comedy is done so much better in Japan than in the Western world. And it, sometimes it t- took me a little bit to understand some of the Japanese humor and stuff like Pony Pony Dash or, and as we talked about, Joe. I originally wasn't a big fan of Joe. I couldn't understand it until I realized that when it first aired on Crunchyroll back in 2011, they changed the subtitles so they kind of Americanized it. And I was like, oh... Maybe that's why I didn't find it funny. We showed you the light, Evan. We showed you, you showed the me the light. <laughs> but it was in 2016 where I just started to notice that Japan was then starting to take pages out of the classic British sitcom route. Right. And a little cartoon called Konosuba, God's Blessing on This Wonderful World, came around. And I remember, like, when the first season hit, like, it was, it was an awesome first season. It wasn't a perfect first season, but it was a first season that delivered a lot of comedy that I felt like was lacking in both Western cartoons and even in like Western live action comedies. When season two hit, I felt like that was the point where comedy had elevated to a brand new level. Not just in Japan, but for the rest of the world. I remember like every time a new episode of Konosuba came out, we would go back and forth on Facebook being like, did you see this? And we would like just go completely crazy over just how hilarious of, of a show it was. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the movie came out in 2019, which to this day, I will say it is the second funniest film I have ever watched with my number one pick still being Wallace and Gromit and the Curse of the Whereabouts. <laughs> <laughs> And that period just, like, like, and then I just couldn't get enough of that kind of comedy. So then we had shows like Asobi Asabase, which, like, that was if you weird. talk that about amazing, like, uh, what, what, what do you call it? Like, the facial expressions of, like, especially the character. I don't even know what you would call it for Asobi The Uncanny Valley yeah, kind of thing. I mean, they were akin to, like, John Pita gross-out shots from the... John- <laughs> From the Ren and Stimpy era? Oh, John K. John K. John K. John K. Peter is a hentai artist. And then and then there was a show that, that you had turned me on to called Grand Blue Dreaming. Yes. Which hit, like a I know, scuba diving a show. Scuba diving in, heavy, show. <laughs> in heavy quotes. I don't like you, you 
It's a scuba no, it's, diving. It's just because it's it's it was advertised as a scuba diving show, and then you watch it, and it has nothing to do uh, with scuba diving. Like people that hate each other. Like I thought it was like going to be a show like a Manchu, which yeah. was like I'm going to go bet into that kind of genre in a bit. Oh, it was so, so it was funny. just it was just 13 episodes of people getting completely shit faced and hating each other, hating like, each other, <laughs> and having again some of the funniest facial expressions. Like there's the that scene, was a really funny show. There's the scene where like. Woman walks in and the main male character in his underwear just finishing a drinking contest. And he's kind of got like this yeah! kind of face on him. And I couldn't breathe. She was because cute of that. That, that, that female character had a great design. She, that, that, she did. She did. <laughs> and there was that. There was, and at the same year, too, there was Hina Matsuri, which was a, a main. When you talk about a show that balanced both. Hilarity and some like really heartfelt stuff. Like Hina Matsuri really hit it out of the ballpark. But it was during also that time of Konosuba where I was also getting introduced to what was known as the Yashike genre. That mm-hmm. like, that soul soothing slice of life sort of stuff. And I think it was in 2016 when a little show called Flying Witch aired. And I remember when, when this when this show aired, it it like like I never felt like a level of comfort watching anime. Like, I felt like like this show just wrapped me in a blanket, gave me a nice little hot cup of cocoa, and just pat my head all throughout this show. And it's like still, like, I, I still read the manga of it, and I'm bummed that they haven't animated more of it because it has evolved into such a great, fantastic story. But through Flying Witch, that's where I got introduced to, as I mentioned, a Manchu, which has, in my opinion, one of the best episodes about nothing ever. It was like an episode where the main premise was the first half was one of the characters going on a train just to see some beautiful flowers. And then the second half, they were playing a game of red light, green light. But it was so framed in a way that was just so funny and relaxing that nothing has come close to like like delivering an episode that gave you absolutely nothing, but at the same time, absolutely everything. And then back in 2018 again, there was a show that it took me, I considered it one of the best of that year, but then as I wound up rewatching over and over again, it actually became one of my probably not one of, but my all-time favorite anime. And that is laid back camp. Oh man! So when you talk about a show that that delivers like something comfortable, relaxing, beautiful, but also wicked funny, everybody needs to watch. Camp. Like, everybody needs to watch laid back camp. Laid back camp is such a great series because it's one of those shows where the comedy comes out of nowhere. There's like there's no build up or anything, and when it hits, you just can't help but laugh at what's going on. And Laidback Camp is like a series I, I, I can't wait for the third season for that to come out. The movie, not the greatest movie I've ever seen, but probably the most comfortable movie I have ever seen. I watched it as if it was four new episodes. Like, I watched it a half hour at a time. Yeah. And it, it was kind of like in that same genre of American film where, like, if you watch Chef mm-hmm. or, um, you know, like a movie in that genre. Just nice. Yeah, just, just nice and comfortable. 
And then yeah, going, no conflict, no nothing. Exactly. And then going Ross vibes. <laughs> and then coming into like back to the rom com route. I feel like we've been blessed in the last few years to have a sh- two shows that one I feel like showcased what romantic comedies in general can deliver at their top tier, and then romantic comedies for the next level, like a new genre of romantic comedies. And for the traditional aspect, there's Teasing Master Takagi-san. Mm-hmm. And talk about a series that just made my heart melt every step of the way. And um, watching the movie, the third season, it's like just seeing how much the show and these characters evolved. Granted, Nishikata is such an idiot that it takes him practically all three seasons to realize this girl really loves you. But like most rom-coms in the anime do that. But it's done so in a way where you can kind of understand where he's coming from. And the movie, too, even though it's like under 70 minutes long, it's just 70 minutes of Takagi-san and Nishikata perfection. And it's a series that I think a lot more people should be watching, even though it's such a pain in the butt to watch because season one's on Crunchyroll, season two's on Netflix, and season three in the movie is on High Dive. Mm -hmm. So you need three different streaming sites in order to watch the whole series. Just steal it all. What? <laughs> but for like the new generation, there's Kaguya-sama Love is War, which took me a few episodes to get into, but once it elevated into like what I consider a new genre of romantic comedies, that's when I started to realize like this is some this is where this is going to be a show that so many others are going to try to emulate from. They're going to fail at capturing the same magic. But there's going to be so many shows that are going to come out that Kaguya-sama played a huge role in inspiring. And probably the final thing I want to say is, like, so this year, you know, this has been a phenomenal year for anime in general, but I have never seen a show that has made me cry as hard as a show called My Clueless First Friend. Mm-hmm. So My Clueless First Friend is the first time I've ever seen a show. Or, well, it's not the first time I've seen an anime that deals with the, the subject of bullying. A silent voice does that in a great way. But I've never seen a show, like my clueless first friend, that not only shows what goes on with bullying and like how it can hurt some people, but it actually shows people how to combat it and how to keep it from actually happening. And it is done in such a way that, like, I am a freaking crying mess at the end of every single episode. It is such a beautiful show that I feel like it's one of those that every kid and every parent should sit their butt down and watch because they can actually learn something from it. Yeah, we haven't had something like that since Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Dude, I I, I said it in my review that this actually tackles bullying better than anything I've seen in either... Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, and even recently on PBS. Like, PBS should put this show on their roster. Like, it is that good. So, like, it's funny how I evolved from watching, like, the etchy and action-packed anime to now going towards something more, you know, lighthearted, funny, cute, and genuinely stuff that could actually change the foundation of like how people are raised and brought up in such a fashion. Yeah, not just purely entertainment. Not just, just purely entertainment. Entertainment for the good. Entertainment for the good, not hammered in yeah, 
Like, like, oh, like, you know, like, let's hammer in the lesson over and over again. Like an after school special. Not yeah, that. exactly. Not an after school special. <laughs> but like a show like My Coolest Friend's Friend is, tells an amazing story and gives you these lessons in a way that just feels natural and not just forced mouth fed. Like a lot of shows unfortunately do and, you know, they fail in the execution because of it. And it's also a topic that needs to be addressed uh, more than it is. Absolutely. Way more. I couldn't agree more. So I feel like both A Silent Voice and My Clueless First Friend are like two anime properties that should totally bookend each other. You got this. You got the aspect of how to redeem yourself after so many years of bullying somebody. And now you have a show that is like the here and the now. Here's how you can stop it now. Here's how you can prevent having, here's how you can prevent a kid from having the worst childhood with their life. So, that's how I've evolved in taste. Um, unfortunately, we got to move on to Derek. What do you like elite for, Derek? <laughs> well, so obviously we get to start with Pokemon. So I actually started with the video game first, and then the, uh, the series came out. So every Saturday morning I was watching that on WB. At the same time, in the afternoons, I come home from school and watch Dragon Ball. Or Dragon Ball Z, I should say. So collecting all the toys from like Burger King and stuff too. And so basically stayed there for a little bit. Then I started to stick around for like Yu Yu Hakusho and Sailor Moon. <laughs> and uh, even Boba 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 Boba. Yes! <laughs> There's a show that like had that very Python-esque kind of like attitude. Yeah. Of, like nothing makes sense, but it's funny. Hamtaro too. <laughs> uh, but it basically stayed there for a little while until... Was it in college or after college when Ed and my friend Kim had to drop out of going to an anime convention with him and yeah. he asked me if I wanted to come along? <laughs> this was back in 2015, I want to say. Or 2016. Probably. Was and, it really that long ago? Wow. <laughs> and that's where I met Andrew and Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how we became friends and I loved their panel and they started giving me suggestions of different anime to watch. Next thing you know, they invite me onto their podcast. So... I've even given assignments of like actually expanding my horizons and looking into new things, even to the point where we watched Uma Musume Pretty Derby about horse girls running around. That was a pheno- that was a podcast wide phenomenon. Yes. Like we thought it was going to be a joke, and we actually somewhat enjoyed it. No, not even, not even somewhat enjoyed it. Like, like it was our anime of the year. Yeah, we wa- we watched it because we started as a meme. Yeah, we watched it because we were going to meme on it, and then and then we were like, oh no, like oh my gosh, like. Oh no! Is my, life, is my life changed? And like our life was changed because I better not awaken anything in me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then going to more conventions, getting into My Hero Academia, and laid back camp, like you guys mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say you guys took a lot of the same titles from me because you guys were the ones giving me suggestions. That's true. So I was, yeah. Like, catching a lot of your runoff there, so my development has basically come because of you guys. Yeah. We uh, thank you for bringing me on this journey. Yeah. We destroyed <laughs> you with bloody gory anime. You're just like this is what it is. Like I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, bud. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Tyler. Right on. Well, I, this is an area I'm not too well versed in, like Alex, and kind of a kind of newbie in it. Uh, much casual, a bit casual. Mm-hmm. Not in like an intent of like pushing it away. Um, just in the area where it's casual for me, obviously, as I mentioned. You know, probably my favorites are the older ones that started off with uh, Princess Mononoke because I'm a basic bitch um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then like usually uh, the ones that uh, come across 
uh, my path are like my homie Jiggy san will will have something that he would love to show me um, or just randomly come across things like for some reason I love Nana. Uh, Nana is <laughs> a great yeah, show. Just like just ones that I just like randomly kind of stumble. Talk about a show that had an amazing soundtrack. Anasutia, all the songs from yeah. Black Stones. Yeah. Like my God, I, there hasn't. I, I I don't think there has been a show that has come close when it comes to an in band mm-hmm. anime. The, you know, True. there's been anonymous noise. Bochita Rock has potential to reach the same level as Nana. You didn't even touch K-On, come on. K-On, <laughs> K-On as well. K-On but, doesn't have any, like, it's barely about the band. Yeah, right? it's barely about the band, which was originally my turnoff, but then I rewatched it and just enjoyed it as a slice of life. Oh, so good. What, what time? But, yeah, basically it's just kind of what comes across my path, so therefore it hasn't had, like, a lot of evolution, per se. It's just whatever kind of comes into my lab. Um, I don't actively seek out uh, things, but uh, through, like, the power of, like, people who just, like, suggest something, and, and like, uh, you, most times, um, out of not, then I'll, I usually will dig it. So, just kind of the basic stuff, nothing too, too deep cut, you know, Akira, Ghost in the Shell, that's a big one I love. Even though that's yes. not, like, the greatest, like, Story-wise and like structure-wise, yeah, it's very convoluted. Um, it's convoluted. It's why kind of it's a vibe. It's why kind of like it preferred actually the standalone complex series uh-huh. over the original. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, still so, convoluted. So yeah, not not too not too deep in the in the bucket for that. But like, I'm very much open to you know suggestions. So send send it my way. <laughs> I think you're gonna hear a lot. <laughs> I hope so. And I, I think Alex, you had mentioned that uh, or. DJ Merino Tilde has mentioned that um, yeah, you're still a newbie to anime as well but I've noticed like a lot of the stuff that you show on the screen very anime based very anime inspired oh totally yeah so um, I guess to like answer the question which is like what like what how you started out right how yeah. it influenced you yeah, yeah. so yeah, I mean, the first experience I had was, like, when I was a kid, I saw, like, a glimpse of Naruto, and I saw, like, someone getting, like, knifed, and there was, like, blood. I was like, whoa! I didn't know cartoons could be, like, like like that. Like, yeah. I didn't know they could be, like, edgier. I feel like a lot of people forget, like, the original Powerpuff Girls cartoon had a lot of blood in it, too. Like, right. a lot of teeth being knocked yeah. out. Yeah. And that was awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, no, I love that stuff. So, like, I didn't have too much experience with it. I, like, kind of just, have, you know, heard about anime in passing until, like, until, uh, one day I was with my boyfriend. He was just like, "Hey, you should watch this with me. This is uh, JoJo, okay? This is uh, he was showing. He wanted to show me part one. He was just like, keep watching, you know. Yeah. And so I watched it with him. I was like pretty bored. And then, <laughs> and then, and then the credits came on, and it was yes, roundabout. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yes. How did they get? Wait, what yeah. kind of show is this? And then I started noticing, like, all the characters were named after bands. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, oh, oh, this is There is cool. nobody what better is? when it comes to exposition than Richard EO Speedwagon. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, love, I thought it was so funny. I was like, I was like, wait, what's the name of that guy? What was it? Uh, like, not Steely Dan. It was like... Uh, yeah, there was a Steely Dan. No, there was Steely Dan, but there was just like... I was just like, what is the name of that guy? That guy's literally named... This guy named Jay Guy. Yeah, there's Jay Guy. Well, the main villain is Dio. Yeah, yeah, I was like, Like, (laughs) I just found that so funny. Oh, it's awesome. So, like, I was just like, 
I was like on the hook. I, I was just like on the fence, and then I was just like, okay, I'll just keep watching. And eventually, we just kept watching, and by the second half of part three, I was just like, this is actually really good. Yeah. And so now, like, my he, he my boyfriend, he made me like a huge JoJo fan. I even brought the manga, which is oh, I, man. <laughs> I, I I bring this whenever I'm bored. I just flip through it, even though it's in Japanese. Uh, this is amazingly uh, loud. I love it. Yeah, this is. Uh, <laughs> I love. So that's the thing. Like, I, play. I'm a, I'm a huge Shoujo fan, and uh, basically, I read the, an- I watched the anime until like part five, which was new at the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then I moved on to the manga, and from there, I started reading manga like all the time because, particularly. I don't know, like, like particularly, I can read manga and listen to music at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's like related to like the anime discussion. Like, to me, it's all part of the same world, like anime and manga. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I started reading manga, and then I got into stuff like Inuyasha and uh, yeah, like Berserk. I eventually got into Berserk. So I think, I think what you're saying, like, I think I my tastes kind of lean more to that like darker. Which is pretty funny because you see my image. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like, so yeah. No, I'm a big fan of like the art. I just like seeing like how much work like goes into each page. Like, uh, so JoJo in particular, like like Araki he put so much work into the. I just like his his uh, his style. You know, he's very like influenced by like. Um, statues and like fashion magazines. Yeah, fashion is a huge and, one. And know? then vice versa, how fashion was influenced by JoJo, especially oh, yeah. in like Europe. Yeah, and then like also, you know, there's all like there's like a music tied to like every every yep. character. Like part five, which is my personal favorite, you know, well you can contend with part seven, but um the main villain of Part Five is called King Crimson, which blew my mind <laughs> because I am—I was a huge. I still—I'm a big King Crimson fan. Like it's one of my top. My top album is Red by King Crimson. Okay, fun fact. So when the villain got revealed, and I found out his name was King Crimson, and he was also the coolest villain with the coolest power to like skip time or you know, I was just like, this is my favorite. Thing ever, yeah. I, lo- I love JoJo. <laughs> like the villain is called King Crimson. Like, what more do you want? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just a big fan of all that stuff. And, uh, but yeah, no, I haven't delved as deep into anime as you guys, which I feel like you guys have a high bar. So, yeah. well, it, that's what's interesting is you know we we had the anime podcast for a long time and we've been just watching and because I have an animation degree, it's just kind of been right. part of yeah. my life. But I have let I have less time to watch it now than I, so yeah. so I've I've also resorted to just reading manga. Yeah, you know I think that's cool. Like yeah. just there's so much work that goes into each page, like each drawing is just like mind blowing. Just seeing like wow, they, these guys they pump this out. Like especially reading Berserk, mm-hmm. like that's on another level. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like insane. like see, like I would open a chapter of Berserk and there would be this establishing shot of like this bu- of like not even just a building, just like an entire environment. Everything's so insanely detailed, and that's what I really like when I'm reading this stuff. Just seeing also um, Inio Asano, you know, Pum Pum Solanin. Um, he uh, also has amazing environments that are, he kind of like has mm-hmm. this method for like taking photographs and kind of like making his own world out of them. Well, so, and, and that's what I always found uh, amazing about uh, Masashi Kishimoto's art, who does Naruto. Mm. 
like the the amount of times he's had to draw Konoha Village, the whole village, yeah. like a, just an overcast shot of yeah. it. How many times he's had to draw that? Like that's hours worth of work. Yeah, totally. You know, and it's it's been destroyed, and it's been like so. It's not like he just copy and pasted the same one that he did. He had to redraw it because and. I mean, I know what it's like to do that. That's insanity. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you would know. <laughs> I would know. But it's, like, it's absolute insanity to have to draw that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I dread it, to be honest. Yeah. But. but that stuff really inspires me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of just the art of manga. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's a great answer. Yeah, and it's tough because, you know, like I said, like, I don't know if you guys have read, like, Solonin. Actually, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. There's also Dead It Is, Dead It Is. I've been meaning to read that. Dead It Is Destruction. Which I think is going to be his first uh, anime, first work that's being adapted into an anime. That's awesome. That's great news. Mm -hmm. But uh, I actually named my my first album after Solonin. It's called Solonin. Really? Oh, that's sick. (laughs) Yeah, it's really really nice. But uh, yeah, his work is always really dark. I don't know why I'm drawn to that, but I just am. Like Akira, I watched Akira, Mm -hmm. and that was like... Totally up my alley. Mm-hmm. I just like that kind of edge. So I would probably like a lot of the stuff. That yeah, I guess I'll have to give you a list then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it's tough because like I have my own image, which is like very cutesy. Yeah, I don't know. Like I want to, I want to start doing my own stuff, like with like art and that kind of thing. But um, you know, it makes it tough for me. I don't know exactly well, how to do that. I don't know if I want to go in that direction. Well, see, that's what's interesting too. Is um, is my my style of drawing. Uh, a lot of people like I draw a lot of cute girls. I, lo- I my art style is very palatable and and easy on the eyes. But a lot of what a lot of people don't know about my art in general is that I love drawing horror art. Hmm. Like I have a completely different art style that is very rare for me to show to people because I don't get to draw it a lot. Right. But I draw. I can draw horrific uncanny monsters and so I have put some of those into cool. the comic book so That's like cool. so like the comic book does bleed into that uncanniness a little bit that I like to do with my horror stuff yeah. so it's so it, you can mix those genres together even yeah. if even, like, even if you were to do like a cutesy like weird dark song or something like yeah, you exactly. can you can yeah. do it you can do it mm-hmm. uh, yeah Something like um, Higurashi. Have you like uh, when uh, when they cry or Higurashi no Nakukora ni? Is, is it's a it's an it's a horror anime with a cute art style. Yeah. So like that. cute little girls cutting each other to pieces. Yeah. What was yeah. that? What was that magical? <laughs> was that magical girl? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Magical magic. Yeah. Magical yeah, exactly. magic. That was really de- that was just yeah. depressing. After I I didn't want to. I like it. I like yeah, that I, stuff. I, I, so I once wrote an article um, just for fun. Where I compared the events of Puella Magica Madoka Magica to the events that happened in Fucked Up's album David Comes to Life, because there were a lot of pull, uh, very a lot of similarities story-wise between what happens there and in Madoka Magica. And for a while, I thought that the only thing that was different was the fact that with um, with David Comes to Life. It's it ends with like the stuff thing that begins because it's now you're supposed to play on a loop very similar to Pink Floyd the Wall. Oh sure. Whereas in Madoka Magica, like especially in the third move in the third movie, like they find a, she finds a way to to get out of that loop and break out of it. Well, then 2018 comes along and fucked up released Dosa Dreams, which is a sequel to David Comes to Life, which means that David found a way to get out of that loop as well. Mm-hmm. So, which I, which, yeah, like, brings a whole nother level of, like, things I can compare to in Madoka Magica to Doser Dreams, too. Nice. 
Cool. Yeah, well, I could keep going on forever. Like, I'll just say this, like, I'm a musician, but I see art, like, this kind of stuff, like, manga, anime, it's just like, I feel like it's all, like, comes from the same place. Mm -hmm. So, like, I see so many, like, I have a lot of artist friends. My boyfriend is an artist. He, um, yeah, so... It, it all, like, everything we talk about is always, like, connected when it comes to, like, being an artist, the struggles of being an artist. And so, yeah, this kind of stuff really resonates with me. And, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Very nice. And lastly, Greg. Can you repeat the question again? <laughs> <laughs> how you began as an anime fan and how you evolved when it comes to your anime taste since that time? How I began as an anime fan? Uh, let's see. Because I met you when you were a... Um, one of the security, your name security guy, Greg, comes from the fact that you were in security for another anime convention. That's true. Gosh, that started, I don't even know how long ago at this point. I want to say it was back in like 2016, maybe earlier. I could be wrong. I think that was the year that Derek first yeah. joined. Actually, yeah, I met you then too. All right. All five yeah. of us were in the same space when <laughs> that all came together. Oh yeah, that's right. That is that where I met you too? Was yeah. that another yep. anime? Yeah, yeah. Okay. security guy Greg. Yep. And I was working, and you guys like then ran off and joined the con. And I was like, oh, I can't even go. Decided <laughs> 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 to work. <laughs> um, but I would say my anime taste kind of started uh, like you know as a kid. I would sometimes see episodes of like the original Yu-Gi-Oh. I would see Pokemon and stuff like that. Um, but I never really. I always thought that was kind of the same, like, Western-style thing. I couldn't differentiate at the time. <laughs> and, and then, you know, life went on, and when I finished high school, and then I finally started hanging out with, uh, you know, Andrew and John here a couple years after, I, I forget what exactly brought me to, like, my first Anime Boston, but I remember you guys, like, invited me to go. I was oh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's how it went. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, like, something to do for the weekend, and I go... I'm like, oh, man, what did I enter into? <laughs> like, this con is nuts. Um, there was just a lot of things I didn't understand or, you know, just with all the cosplaying, it was my first time seeing that stuff. And I was like, okay, you know, you, you go around, you take in the culture and everything. And then um, at some point, I think during that con or maybe even after that, Somebody mentioned assassination classroom to me, mm. and I said, "All right, you know, screw it, why not try it?" And um, I started watching it, and I just fell in love with the whole premise of the show. Even though I think I found out after I watched everything that it was more meant for kids, but I was like, <laughs> "This is a pretty violent kids show. <laughs> These kids are trying to kill their teacher actively." <laughs> Not metaphorically, like me. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was like a controversy where they banned assassination classroom from from like classrooms from like schools, and that was the whole thing. Oh, I believe it. And these kids were like super incredibly creative. Like, of course, they start off with like you know, shoot the teacher, and he's moving at like Mach five. <laughs> You know, Where's Koro Sensei? Oh, he's at Family Park right now watching a Red Sox game. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, it was just nuts how fast he was. But um, yeah, it was. I think I fell in love with it because I loved the art style. I started noticing like the different, you know, styles between like again Western cartoons and, and anime, and then uh, I feel like from there, you know, the storylines of you know animes that I watched like you know Dragon Ball Z or uh, Rising of the Shield Hero, Attack on Titan. 
the, just, the stories were so much better. So it just kind of got me into that um, yeah, casual fan of anime. Um, and then from then on, basically, I think I only really have watched, you know, probably mainstream uh, animes, like My Hero, Sword Art, Death Note, stuff like that. So nothing really too niche, but, you know, I think that's where it came from. You were still into it enough to give us free labor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Greg was our editor, for those who don't know. <laughs> he edited the Wicked Anime podcast. And for I, those I, who are truly interested, I think I started editing around episode, like, 141 or something like that. So before then, it was all John Star. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, too, that you say, like, it's not the niche stuff. But, like, it's interesting how, like, a lot of the things that should be niche, like, laid back camp, mm-hmm. blows up and becomes, like, one of the biggest things in anime today. Like... I think it's funny that a show like Late That Camp not only was huge in anime, but um, it managed to cause a boom in the camping industry in Japan. Like they saw it like like triple or quadruple mm. in like profits, both in camping equipment and even visiting camping sites. It got otaku to like stop being hikikomori's and go out and touch grass. <laughs> 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 you have discovered the outside. Congratulations! Oh, I mean, answer all along. I mean, uh, in, uh, to a smaller scale, though, um, something like Cyberpunk Edge Runners revitalized Cyberpunk the video game because then everybody oh, yeah. saw the anime and then everybody started playing the video game again. Uh, mm-hmm. After <laughs> like a week, no, no, I, I, the the player base is still up since then because the game itself is being overhauled. That's good. Um, yeah. yeah. No, that happened to me. I watched Cyberpunk Edge Runners. I was like, that was amazing. I, I love Trigger. They can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I play, I was like, the game must be amazing. And I just booted up the game, and it wouldn't even work for me. I was like, it's still buggy. And I just, whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, I love Cyberpunk. I, th- I had a great time with, with, with my game. I, I have to get it running. So yeah. I can form an opinion. <laughs> I'm waiting but until it's... it hits five dollars, and then I'm gonna. Is it PC or console? PC. Yeah, my 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 PC one booted right up, and I was I was day one. Yeah, was it was like, like day one on the game. It was just like I spent like two hours like trying to get. The, it was the audio. The audio wouldn't work. It was bugged out. Oh, that's weird. For me, that was like a big part of the show. The show had an amazing. Well, and the music is like, awesome. And I would, in, in the yeah, game too. I would listen to the to the yeah. I, I would listen to. The, I would watch the show, and I would hear the soundtrack. I was like, wait, what is that? That's like a weird like. Huh? Is that like drum and bass? Is that like tech? Like what is? What are we playing? That is amazing. I've never heard anything like that. And then my boyfriend was just like, "Oh yeah, no, that's from the game." Yeah, I, like, yeah. I need to play this game. <laughs> it, it's a. It is good. It is good. I'll, I'll find a way. Yeah, eventually. we will talk more about video games we were, next. What segment. a great transition. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we'll play a little couple more songs here, and we'll talk about the video games that have helped to make who we are today. The next act we're going to play, her name is Haru Nemori, and she is an artist with singing voice, knack for poetry, and basically no fucks given attitude, has me hoping that she'll be the biggest face in the J-pop scene for years to come. From her album Shunka Ryogen, this is Bang! <laughs> ボクの憂鬱は加速度を増すのにバカみたいに空は青いいつかやってくるエンドロールだけがこの星に全部平等だから僕は眠っちゃいられない君が見えない銃を見つけ出して僕にぶち込んだ時僕は生まれたねえ
I have one more thing, Derson. I want to give oh. a special shout out to our friend, our friend Evan Borgo, who oh, was yeah. on the Vampire Council more than once. He is moving to Japan to teach English, and he's still uh, well. He does his No Borders No Race podcast, and just I want to give a shout out to Evan. Wish him safe travels. You know, we'll see you when you come back. But best of luck to you, Evan, out there. And, uh, you know, maybe we can podcast when you're in Japan. That would be fun. <laughs> that <laughs> but, would be uh, great. Across the ocean. Yeah. But, uh, Dilma Aragato gozaimasu. Thank you very <laughs> much for joining us. And also, Evan, thank you just for being a good supporter of the arts and, uh, have a great podcast. And you're listening to so much diverse music. You're an inspiration. So, Evan, safe travels, man. Ah, see, exactly. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, safe travels. Waited too long to write this down. The startling sensation is fading. The sweet, sweet burn of the first drink of the night underage. Knowing that you're gonna get away with it You were a good man before you knew it And I'm not vain enough to think that I'd have been good for you if I'd stayed In the current of your life I was an eyelash in the shipping lanes And now I'm so scared about mystery I fear I smell extinction in the folds of this Novocaine age coming on I miss the smell of mystery Reverb leaking out of tavern doors And not knowing how the sounds were made So I left home and faked my ID I fucked every man that I wanted to be I was so stupid then why should mystery give its life to me? Baby, I'm afraid, but it's not your fault Maybe I should go home alone tonight Baby, I'm afraid, but it's not your fault Garbage miles making wet cigarette butts and used tires To be poor is the anchor that makes us so sure Your sandy voice across my brow, you haven't aged a day Is it because you took a shortcut that makes people say you're crazy? Is it true? You're a time traveler, you Is it true? I've seen crazy too Well can it be a comfort between us Because I never want to know for sure Baby I'm 
in America today and a singer whom I can't think of having someone of equal talent and rage. Like, no one else comes close to her. And on top of her solo work, she's also a member of the band The New Pornographers, who just released a great new album called Continue as a Guest. So, video games. We've been playing them since we were little kids and everything, and I'm certain that there have been a lot of games and titles that have greatly influenced us both as gamers and as people. I'm going to start with a link for Derek because he talks to me a lot about certain video games. A lot about certain video <laughs> games. All right, so we're talking about the uh, development, right? So yeah. I have the original NES, so playing uh, you know, Mario was huge. And never actually, when I had the NES, was able to beat the original Mario, but I've since gone back and finished it. Um, with a Game Genie or no Game Genie? No Game Genie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my mom had to take away the gun from the duck hunt game because I would get mad at missing the birds and I would try to shoot the dog. Because <laughs> he was laughing at me, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> but then, of course, the big one was Pokemon. I remember, like, someone bringing it in and showing it to, like, our classes or waiting for the bus at the end of the day. Like, oh my god, can I try that? Can I try that? And next thing you know, it's, Mom, buy it, buy it, please. <laughs> so, Pokemon Blue with my uh, Squirtle named Squirter, who eventually evolved <laughs> into Blastoise named Squirter. <laughs> <laughs> Literally the only Pokemon I had. I didn't train anything else. <laughs> Um, Amazing. <laughs> then since then I started discovering games like Final Fantasy. Um, I discovered that I'm a completionist when uh, my friend let me borrow Final Fantasy X for like a week-long vacation in college. And I came back with it 100%. He's like, what did you do? Like, I played the game. <laughs> Final Fantasy X-2. I'm a little ashamed to admit I 100%ed that one too. Um, I think it's underrated. I think X-2 is actually... Ten two was better than ten. And, and to a lot of critics. Yeah, there was a lot of better dynamics in there. It was just less of like a cookie cutter and it was actually like innovative. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, kept going with like, I was Team Nintendo growing up all the way. Um, so, Animal Crossing. We got the Sega kids over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my first Zelda game was actually um, Wind Waker. So, I had to like go back and rediscover Ocarina of Time later on. I love Ocarina of Time. Um, still play that game. Actually, I did have action replay for the GameCube, and I used that to unlock the original Legend of Zelda game that was hidden in the code of Animal Crossing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so nice. that's how I played the original Legend of Zelda. That I had, also had the action replay. That's for the awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, then, let's see. I was a big RuneScape person. I actually had a uh, clan of 163 active members. <laughs> So that was fun, a little embarrassing to admit, but um, let's see, since then, actually right after RuneScape, I discovered Skyrim, and... And it, then you've been playing that ever since, and there's no more games. <laughs> and then I learned what a mod was, and next thing yeah. you know, oh, over no. 1,400 hours on PC, and I haven't checked how much I've played on Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well half, of that, half of that was probably load times. Yeah. 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 I actually got the Xbox because my old roommate won a Taco Bell giveaway and won an Xbox that plays a little gong sound whenever you turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't believe what Rabbi Raff won that. That's a like, it actually exists. People win those prizes. So then he was like, do you want my old Xbox? I was like, yes, okay. And so I guess the latest one right now, if I want to fast forward a little bit, is Evan's been giving me some suggestions and been playing Persona 5 mm. over 130 hours so um, far because oh yeah. I made one mistake on the first playthrough and I forgot to like make friends with one person. So like the last third of the game got chopped off. <laughs> so I'm frustrated. I'm like, fuck it, I'll just play it again. <laughs> um, yeah, that happened to me with Persona 4 and I was just like, whatever, man. I already had my experience. <laughs> Not doing all that again. Your lost persona. Yeah, this game isn't fun. <laughs> so yeah, that's the basic progression of where things gone. I mean, Persona Five has like a lot of that same Final Fantasy stuff. Um, I've dropped off with Pokemon though. I never got a Switch, so that's where like my experience cuts off with Pokemon. You should get a Switch. Yeah, I should. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just get one. Yeah, just just get one. Just play the bullet. <laughs> it's inevitable. Just like Thanos. <laughs> Tyler. Right. Uh, this is a- another area I'm not too well versed in, but I definitely have a resounding answer for this. Uh, it took me a while to realize it, but uh, this game has like immensely molded uh, my life. 
um, especially creatively, Mist. Game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they just came out with Miss VR. Yes. Yeah, so oh, it's And because it's, um, I never was like too too big on. Uh, of course, as, as the super younger with like NES and Mario Brothers, like I uh, wasn't too like big on the cracktastic games. Miss was different. Miss still is different. It's like first of all, very much immersive, very conceptual. You're like literally. Sky cracks open and you like fall, and it's kind of like ambiguous. And, and uh, it's a very patient game, it's very much like attuned to ambient sounds and puzzles and like figuring it out yourself. Um, I, for some reason, I was always drawn to that, and like it really reflects my personality and also like the creative things I do. It's more like paying attention to deeper sounds um, and it's also a very like meditative game just sort of relaxing um, different from like button mashing and you're like all stressed out you might get a little stressed out because you didn't uh, you haven't quite figured the puzzle yet but there's like also different levels of puzzles there's like audio ones there's like switches you have to remember to flip and there's like a book that looks like there's a burnt page and there's flip through and there's a clue of where to like press the things on the organ which opens up this like submarine thing that goes in a different land so very similar to to mist uh, back in i think this back in 1998 mm. prince actually released prince uh, interactive yes. which was his version yes. of mist which was surprisingly <laughs> a really good video game yes, with some yes. really good puzzles yes, wow. such a vibe, kind of yeah it was a, there's a whole youtube video on that Check out, yeah, like a deep dive run through through that the Prince Interactive, yeah, uh, game. But yeah, it's more like I'm more like into like patient games, and it really taught me to like take a second, breathe, and like figure it out uh, logically, but also like enjoying just the like pure nature sounds and things that like I incorporate into my project now, which is like avant garde, kind of ambient, experimental mm-hmm. noise. Um, and it came like full circle and it slapped me in the face like holy crap like just like a lot of things that I do is uh, may- not maybe because of but like mirrored through like missed I don't know why. Did you I ever, love that game I was obsessed did you ever play the sequel Riven? yes okay. uh, being Riven not the and uh, I haven't played Exile yet um, there's weird like online ones like Uru and stuff that are none of it's really great the first two are pretty pretty solid because it was the like a very also the story behind the uh, company is like pretty much a startup between like two brothers and I remember in the original uh, Miss uh, CD there was like a little documentary on the disc and talked about how the even the the part that fascinated me was the audio part where they were literally like doing things like blowing bubbles in the toilet uh, going to some far reach of thing to get a field recordings and like mastering it so like fine and nice to like mimic um, very subtle like uh, it's very not non the opposite of in your face type game and you kind of have to like have, learn patience and it's not for everyone but mm-hmm. that one's hugely influenced uh, my life um, but otherwise I'm more like a social gamer I like to hang out play you know drink and play Mario Kart <laughs> that's pretty much it but I'm always down to try something however I've never really like owned too many I've owned like an NES and PS1. There's like good jams on there, like Twisted Metal 3 and mm. stuff. Like 
jams like that. Twisted Metal. That's how I got into Rob Zombie. That's <laughs> pitch shifter on that. That's all just soundtrack. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's also a cool uh, with the old uh, PlayStation discs you could pop into a CD player. Yeah, like those tracks. Yeah, actually, actually, my uh, because Great I life hack. because I because I did that, my uh, my Twisted Metal three doesn't even work in a in a system anymore. It just it just reads as an audio disc because it like forever got so my my Twisted Metal three is just busted. I can't play it anymore. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much it for me in a nutshell. Yeah, okay. I'm the opposite of you. That's um, that's I. Uh, <laughs> But my this is my chosen career path. I, I teach this. Uh, game design is my heart and soul. Uh, so games are immensely important to me, and I try them all, and a lot of them. Um, first off, very young, you know, we talked about that Streets of Rage was our very first video game ever. We were Sega Genesis kids. Um, but we beyond, as Indian genre. Yeah, uh, but beyond that... Uh, the, the game that struck me and changed me forever was Earthworm Jim. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Tommy Tellerico yes. uh, oh, yeah. for my music lovers. But, um, no, I, uh, like, still to this day, Earthworm Jim is a game that I'll still play. It would be the game that I would submit to Games Done Quick if I, if I ever wanted to do a speedrun of anything. I would be, like, the number one Earthworm Jim speedrunner. Mm-hmm. Um, but that one, like, really is set forth, like, my ideas of game design. That like okay. they made a game where you were an earthworm who had a super suit that fell on him, then you flew across the galaxy to fight things that were evil to to you know, worms like birds and dogs and cats and all the, that sort of stuff. And it was a game because it was a game because it was a game because it was a game. And that's game design. And it was a great cartoon too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, so that like really set me off in my my ideas for character design and what the aesthetic of games should be. Um, but beyond that, I've uh, always been a super huge fighting game fan. Um, you know, Street Fighter was also in the Sega Genesis era, and like, uh, like Cammy White has been my my waifu since I was seven years old. Ever <laughs> since <laughs> Super Super Street Fighter, uh, you know, now two changed. Still playing as Cammy White. I, Street I Fighter bought 6. I bought Street Fighter Six a week ago, and I am not buying any of the DLC packs because Cammy's in the main roster, and I don't need anybody else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else a cosplay is jury. <laughs> but um so so like I've been in the fighting game scene for a while. We like I did tournaments, um, but uh, along with that, like I've also learned to really love and appreciate silent storytelling, which like m- one of my all-time favorite games has just recently come within the last couple of years, which is uh, if you haven't played Little Nightmares, mm-hmm. it is it is an extraordinary experience. Both yeah. Little Nightmares 1 and 2, um, like you you have to play this cuz like it, it's a, a great yeah workshop in learning how to tell stories without a word. I've never I've never been so drawn and so broken hearted by a story that has no dialogue in it whatsoever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say yeah, so when I yeah. so when I came down with like right before I came down with COVID, maybe when I was starting to start feeling the side effects, that's when I played Little Nightmares for the first time. And I'll tell you like from what you say, I totally agree with you. And that, like, the story it tells without even saying any dialogue is, is just mind-blowing what you learn about this character you're playing. And you're just watching, like, all these things that are happening to this character. And it's so heartbreaking that you're trying to do all you can to help them 
help her survive because it's a female character, right? Yes. In, in the first one, yeah. In the first, yeah, second one's a, a male character. And a male character. Which is... And, oh, but I feel like like when I started coming down with... I'm about to know me coming down with COVID, just that little drowsy feeling I'm starting to feel, it just made some of the more scarier elements more scary. pop out at me. They were, they were my actual nightmares uh, growing up. But... Um, but then there was, so there was that. And then, um, I actually got the opportunity that my school paid for me to take a VR development class. And I have always been a huge VR fan, bigger than most people actually. So now I actually know how to develop in VR, but I will say that one of the, I would say most influential and quintessential, uh, experiences I've ever had playing video games was playing Half-Life Alex. It is the most immersive the most incredible and just like all around like the it, it sucks you into the universe of of the half-life well two universe and i mean and the the one of the teams did a really good job making the mod of half-life 2 vr mod for free and yes. for free if you have half-life 2 you can just download the vr mod for free and i just remember really good i just remember jonathan letting me play it because because i'm gonna bring this up on my turn but uh, but Half-Life is one of my favorite game series ever. Yep. Mm-hmm. And just just then experiencing Half-Life VR mod, uh, hitting a combine over the head with a crowbar, picking up his gun and, like, shooting his friend. I just started laughing hysterically because <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I am Gordon Freeman! You know, like, <laughs> it was just the greatest experience no, yeah, of my life. I bought Greg... Uh, Black Mesa, which is the remake of Half-Life 1, because he's never played a Half-Life game, and it's like, you have to experience Half-Life. If you... <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but my final thing to say is that the game that is like, I want to be a game designer. Like, I want to do this for my, my life. I want to, I definitely want to do this with Psychonauts. Psychonauts uh, is still to this day one of the best games ever made, and uh, it's just fun, it's funny. Um, I actually got one uh, my wife and I went to California on vacation. I, I tweeted at them two days before we left. And I said, hey, I'm going to be in your city. I'm going to be a couple blocks away. Can I come see you? And they said, yeah, sure, come along. So I went to Double Fine Studios. I took a tour. Um, Tim Schafer was not there. Tim Schafer was not there. <laughs> Which yeah, no. But uh, I still met some really cool people, some people who like I actually saw. They were actually filming a documentary at the time uh, for the development of Psychonauts 2. Mm-hmm. When I, and I actually got to see them build some stuff, and it was really great. But like that game, if you want to understand what it means to be a good game developer from gameplay to writing, storytelling, comedy, artwork, it's Psychonauts. I agree. Yeah, I agree. 100% agree with that. And so that's like that's everything for me. And Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> um yeah, you know, so I, I wouldn't consider myself, like, a hardcore gamer, but actually, like, video games have definitely, absolutely shaped who I am as, like, a musician, mm-hmm. like, completely. So, if you don't know, like, I, for a while, I was working in the games industry, so I was doing, like, I did some work for League of Legends, and then I, uh, I did some other stuff, which I can't really say right now, but, um... Ooh! Ooh! Exclusive! <laughs> but, um... Yeah. Just tell us and then we'll cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, just all throughout my life, like, just games have really inspired, like, my musical direction. Like, dude, Half-Life. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Are you serious? <laughs> like, that is 
completely like that completely shaped me. Mm-hmm. Half Life One and Half Life Two. Half Life One is still it's a, one of the most amazing games I've ever played. I love it. It's so good. The storytelling yeah. is amazing. And Half Life One and Two, especially Two in my case, Two. Mm-hmm. The uh, I remember getting it on the Xbox. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I I was like, my dad got it, and he was like, oh, I didn't really like this. You want you want it? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> So I put it on, you just open it, and it plays like the soundtrack, which mm-hmm. is amazing. But even beyond that, like just the sound design for Half-Life the 2 sound design. is yeah. amazing. Like it's iconic. Like I can hear all the sounds in my head right now. Just it sticks with you, you know, like the sound of the crowbar, sounds of all the combine, just like when you kill someone, it's like a like it's yeah. just, it's <laughs> so iconic, like the sound of gravity gun, like all that stuff. Same with Half-Life 1, of course. Of course. So, and then that also extends to, like, Portal, which people think of Portal. Yes. People think of Portal 1 as, like, oh, it's a goofy game where you where you beat a robot. But, like, if you play it, like, it's actually very, like, isolating, mm-hmm. you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's very... That game practically shaped a generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like they really upped the ante in Portal 2. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Say, that's like, oh, God. Like, that's what... I, I love... I will argue that's one of the greatest sequels to a video game. Oh, absolutely. I love Portal 2, and I've played tons of it. Yeah. But no, Portal 1... Sequel. It's like a yeah. standalone. It could be one yeah. of those oh, games. Mm-hmm. But Portal 1 has is completely... like Not completely, but it's very different from Portal 2. Portal 2, they kind of ran with the, like the whimsical, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, when you beat Portal 1, you get the song at the end. It's like, they ran with that kind of... But if you play Portal 1, it's actually like... The soundtrack, if you listen to the soundtrack, it's very like... Atmospheric and like droney, it's like very yeah. like yeah, that like Min- very yeah, very, very minimalistic, minimalistic. It's very dark and like it's just like such an isolating. Yeah. They did the same thing with Half Life too. Like Half Life yeah, Half-Life has like no soundtrack at I, all, but it does. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah, the bonus so, get cake. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I love about Portal. It's just Portal to me is like the perfect game. Mm. But um, other than that, like when I was growing up, I played Pokemon, of course. And, um, like, I know it's, like, a big pivot like that. But um, <laughs> then when I grew up, it was just like, oh, Portal's cool. I mean, not Portal. Sorry. Pokemon is cool. I wonder what the new Pokemon games are. And I play them and they're garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was just, like, looking for, okay, I like, I like the style. And I, I just took a chance on this one game, Shin Megami Tensei. I don't know if you guys have played Shin Megami Tensei at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's talking Persona. Yeah, I've I, I played a few yes. of the Shin Megami Tensei games. I played. Um, it's the same people, right? Yeah, I played four. I played uh, Demon Summoners. I think it is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the the Devil, Devil Survivor or Devil Survivor? No, no, there's a Demon there's, Survivor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So four is the one I played on my 3ds, and I was just like, whatever, just try it, and it was life changing, honestly, because it had such uh, like we were talking about with the anime that. Uh, that I tend to like, like Berserk and that kind of stuff, mm. like the darker kind of... It was... Shin Megami Tensei 4 was also... Or, sorry, Shin Megami Tensei in general. It's like a darker version of that RPG, you know, like Pokemon, like that kind of stuff, like monster collecting. But it actually has like a dark like story and like meaningful decisions you can make. Like Shin Megami Tensei 4, you can like choose to like sh- what direction the world... Will will take you know I don't want to spoil too much but like I mean you could commit you could commit genocide in that game which is just crazy for like a 3ds game like what is yeah. it? what are you playing <laughs> like it's it's but it's it's also fun you know but like the soundtrack for that is just like so foreboding and mm-hmm. just like dark 
I could also throw in another example. Just the piano that. pieces in that game. Absolutely. Just see that boom. It's like I boom. love the title exactly like that. <laughs> Amazing. And you also throw in like a soundtrack like Doom sixty four. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> it's just like complete like noise, and it just makes the game like so much more scary. It adds so much to the atmosphere. So like all that, and the last thing, last game I'll bring up because I know this is like kind of all over the place is. Uh, this is completely different. All the, all the soundtracks I've been talking about now have been kind of, kind of dark and kind of like foreboding. But SSX3. I don't know if you played that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. SSX3. Yeah. SSX3 and SSX Tricky also. Yep. Tricky was perfect. Tricky was the bomb. Yeah. It's amazing. So in particular, the one I grew up with was 3. Although mm-hmm. Tricky's awesome. I beat it already. Yeah, it's awesome. But SSX3 has an amazing... Licensed soundtrack, so it's completely sure, yeah. opposite side of the spectrum soundtrack wise. But but then Tricky has Mixmaster Mike from the Beastie Boys so the soundtrack, which you can so also good. play as him too. Yeah, it's awesome. He's my favorite character to play as because while you're skate, well, while you're snowboarding, he's you know DJing at the same yeah. time. It's yeah, awesome. yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, SX Tricky has like more of like an original soundtrack, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And of course, like anyone who's played Tricky has that song stuck in their head. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, SX3, that's how I found Basement Jacks. That's how I found... <sighs> oh, yeah. That's how I found Felix the House Cat. And uh, just so many good songs on that soundtrack. It's just wow. awesome. So That's I was, awesome. I was going to ask you how it compares to, to Amp, you know, because I never played right. it. Yeah, well, so, so um, just as a quick aside before uh, Greg goes, yeah, Amp... Amped did a very good job at um, finding a lot of really, really independent people. Mm. Um, you had, you know, like the Glass Smashers, uh, Bridge Burner, uh, uh, De La Vega, who doesn't even exist anymore. Well, they used to be Ivy League. No, no, De, oh, no, they De, De La Vega became, became Ivy League, League and yeah. neither of those exist anymore. And even going onto YouTube and looking up De La Vega is just the worst time trying to find them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so you basically could make your own playlist of like the stack of songs they had in Amped. And so, so I, I, I just found myself listening to like the experimental stuff, and mm. like they had the craziest soundtrack for the craziest game I've ever played. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah and um, but the game is more instead of like like SSX is like a, a track running game. Oh, um, where um, uh, Amped yeah. is like an adventure game. Yeah, Amped, oh. Amped is like an open world snowboarding mini game. It gives you a mountain. Yeah, yeah it gives yeah, you yeah. A, it gives you a mountain, and you have to go to like mini games, but. Right. But then, like, the fact that you get to choose your own soundtrack or playlist right. out of this huge soundtrack, like, they had, they had rap songs, they had, which I didn't listen to any rap songs, they had rock songs, they had, um, the, like, punk rock, they, they electronic, like, everything, you could just pick from those, but, but for some reason, everything was really indie, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how I discovered avant-garde music in general. Cool. Uh, to, all to the point where, where some of these bands don't even exist anymore. Actually, I would say a majority of them don't exist anymore. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. Yeah, it's it, oh, soundtrack also just so funny. Laugh a minute in that game. Yeah, but but again, Xbox 360 exclusive, never been remastered, never been brought up again. And so if you don't have an Xbox 360, you will never play Amp 3, which is like the saddest thing in the world because <laughs> it's like a, such a great game. Yeah. Uh, so quick. Uh, little note here because while you were talking, this is video game related by the way, you two kind of looked at me because I was like, oh, thank God. When you mentioned the uh, Black Mesa thing, 
I got the email in my inbox today and I talked to you about, oh, thank you. And I kind of was at work, so I left it aside. And then I was like, wait a minute, Black Mesa, I don't think I ever accepted the gift. So I'm, I'm just like flying through my email just now looking for it. I could not find it. I had to download the Steam like app on my phone and log in. And like, tell me the gift is still there. It was still there. I accepted it. When I accepted it. My heart was relieved. I think it would just refund me if that didn't happen. Probably, but um, yeah, I got very nervous for a minute. Like, I was sweating for a <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this amazing game, so I can't find it. <laughs> so that describes what you saw. Um, as for video games growing up, uh, ones, like, my first video game system was PlayStation, so the only game I remember us playing was like, Spyro the Dragon type of thing. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. That is good stuff. Absolutely loved it. Um, and then my first system I got, I want to say it was Christmas Day of like 1996. I think that was the N64. Yes. It was pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> and and for, dude, N64 was a per, another perfect system. It was it just playing Mario Party 2, one of my favorite, actually my favorite Mario Party game yeah. ever. And playing Mario Kart just made my childhood very fun. Um, I was definitely a basement dweller when I was you know, <laughs> a child. So that those were my first couple systems that got me up to when was it, Xbox two thousand one. Yeah, no, no. Um, I think it was two thousand. So whatever. Is I, I think we were st- we were still in the fifth grade. Oh, so right. we were ten. Okay. Yeah. When Xbox came out. I just remember that when the original Xbox came out and then the game that really shifted me into what I love for the genre like shooters was like Halo. Oh, yeah. the first Dude, Halo, Halo, Halo half, yeah, Half-Life, Halo, and um, my childhood. Yeah, like like those yeah. those changed FPSs forever. Because it was yeah. Goldeneye. Right. Goldeneye yeah. was like, oh cool, like that that's what popularized it, and then Halo right. and Half-Life changed it forever. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I tried to do like a paper on this for a college assignment, and I guess Halo like revolutionized the industry because they were one of the first to use like the right stick as like camera yes. usage. Yeah. Yes. So that's what really like sold it for me too, because I remember playing past games where like left the left stick you moved and it did your camera analog. I didn't like yeah. that. I actually remember I this is an aside story, but there was an aliens game. I think it was like right. Aliens versus Predator that yeah. was on the PlayStation that used the dual shot controllers, one was look and one was move. And there was an, a famous article written by IGN oh, yeah. uh, that they were like, How dare they do that as the <laughs> as the controller scheme? <laughs> um, then Halo comes along and we're like, oh, it's fine. Well, um, well, because because at the same time, you know, you had Half Life on the PC, mm-hmm. but because it was a PC game exclusive, you know, you had mouse and keyboard, so the free look was just it was, it was built into it. So a controller scheme was just unheard of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when it came to that, and then you know, of course, you get into like Halo, uh, Call of Duty, and probably one of my favorite. Um, Shooter games now is Gears of War, especially the first one, oh, man. which mm. I played the ever living crap out of those three games. Uh, the first three, yeah. I really wish though that Gears two and three kind of continued the Gears one like dark theme horror because that's what really sold me into the franchise. And don't get me wrong, like two and three continue the story and they were great, 
But then it's like it wasn't as scary, it wasn't as chilling. Yeah, no, it like, was more action. I know. I totally, yeah. I totally agree with you. I yeah, do I totally too. Agree That's why I couldn't you. get into Gears two yeah. or three because I felt like a lot of the the darker magic of the first Gears game right. didn't. It well, wasn't there in the Because well, when the first Gears came out, everybody was like, what is this? Yeah. Well, you know, what is, it was scary. Yeah, like, chainsaws and guns. Answers? I all Niner when it came out, my friend got it. He's yeah. like, come over, you're staying over, we're finishing this. One well, game. Jonathan and I always had the benefit of having each other. So any game that came out local co-op, we co-op the whole, like Ar- yeah. Army of Two. Uh-huh. Um, Army of Two, we co-op the whole thing. Gears of War, we co-op the whole thing. Halo was, 1. We, Halo 1, we nice. co-op the whole thing. Like, it was just, mm-hmm. we... Oh, built-in twin is the best thing you ever. Like, yeah. Oh my god, this was a twin. Everybody, everybody hated Kane and Lynch, but because Andrew and I had each other and we co-op the whole thing, it was the greatest yeah, game so ever. Fun. It's the greatest game ever. All everybody who reviewed that game did not have a twin. Oh yeah, that's right. There was yeah, there was the yeah, there was the co-op on that. Yep, that's great. Yeah. But what caught me to like stick around with the Gear series, besides the first one, was at least in number two, the multiplayer was very good and very competitive. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just remember the concept of wall bouncing. If any of you have remember that at all, mm-hmm. it was basically like when you're just like you know running at an opponent if there's walls nearby to try to you know get an edge at like free shooting them. You could the mechanics were so bad. It was like you could start to slide into a wall, and then you know, unhuman like you could then press A again and like tilt the stick the other way to off the wall. And then you could like spin your character. <laughs> you could literally be like ping ponging down. And for those who can't see this at home, I'm taking a water bottle and zigzagging like bouncing into walls like right a pinball now. machine. Yeah. And it was just absolute insanity, but it made multiplayer more competitive, more fun, and brought the skill out. Um, so like, you know, it's stuff like that with shooters that really got me to love video games. And also, of course, the action-adventure scene, you know, your Zeldas, your um, uh, Skyrims, your, you know, games of that nature. And of course, one of my favorites that I'll try to quickly wrap up on was probably Dante's Inferno. Oh, man! I loved mm, I that liked game. Dante's Inferno a lot. I think, yeah. it, I think it got a lot of slack because people thought of it as a God of War clone, but yeah. I thought it no, was uh, really no, no, De- De- Devil May Cry clone more. No way. No, I think it was more God of War. Well, I mean, God of War was more of a Devil May Cry clone anyway. Kind of, anyway. yeah. But that one had the hot key or the button mm-hmm. match, whatever it was called. I forget what it was called. To, to me, it time. Real time. Real time. Yeah. I mean, to me, it was separate because it was like, you know, you're descending, like, it's, I don't know. It just, it seemed different than God of War because you go to these different places, but like, in Dante's Run, it was like, no, like you're, there's more like mythology behind it. And you're really or theology. Sorry. No, well, yeah, both theology. mythology, mythology, and, and mythology. Theology. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, just descending further and further down. And what was cool about it was like, especially if you have, I'm pretty sure I have like ADHD or something. So <laughs> if you who doesn't, yeah. <laughs> so like. The, the, I got through the whole campaign in like one sitting, which only was like six hours, which I was kind of like, oh, I spent $60 for this, but at the same time, wow, this was great. Jeez, you got to Satan's penis in one go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I clobbered it. <laughs> and I don't know how to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
still remember that, by the way. Satan was the final boss, and he was naked, and he was hung. Yeah. <laughs> it had its own physics engine on it. I'm not kidding you. That's right. <laughs> he blocked it out of his memory for a reason, yeah, Sean. He brought, he just it was brought traumatized. It he just brought it back to the surface. <laughs> I, I'm gonna have nightmares forever. <laughs> um, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Yeah, what is he, a goat man too, or something like that? It's <laughs> yeah. a goat thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I, I don't, I feel bad for the developers who had to sit there and just be like, I have to draw a goat penis today. <laughs> <laughs> the, the modeler who had to rig it, they had to put physical animation bones inside yeah. of it to. Yeah, can you imagine the guy sitting there? He's like, man, I'm overcompensating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now thinking of the uh, one of the uh, boss fights in South Park, the Stick of Truth, where you're like the small version of the character, and like you're in your the parents' bedroom, and, and it's just like you're trying to avoid the big oh, giant ball sacks. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like Randy's dad, right? Like, no, 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 no. It's uh, your parents. It's, it's your character's parents having. Relations. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking it's like Randy, but it's okay. no, no. You're thinking of the scene where Randy keeps. If you don't put in the code right, Randy keeps getting annually probed. <laughs> Which they banned in Australia. <laughs> Why well, just Australia? Anyway, I'm into that. Uh, but yeah, so that's probably the type of games that really, you know, cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I have. Um, I have a few. Uh, so, uh, besides the fact that I feel like I'm a casual gamer, I, I, I like to say that I am, I am the best in the pro Sims 4 scene. That's how casual I am as a gamer. Cause, uh, and I think I've, I put myself in that box mostly because I'm, I am way too competitive when it gets to games and I don't like how frustrated I feel when I lose and I don't like, you know, the multiplayer aspect of I have to say, when um, when I was, when I used to go to E3, I went to one of like the EA press conferences, and it was the year when they announced Sims Four. Oh, I nuts. swear to God, like there was someone in the audience every time they said the word Sims, you just heard this fucking scream <laughs> coming from this audience, like as if like BTS came on the stage or something, <laughs> like a level of excitement that. Should not be for a video game, especially not for The Sims. Dude, I'm a, so I'm I'm a PC gamer. I've always been a PC gamer through and through. Though, granted, my first system was the Sega Genesis, and my first video game was Streets of Rage One. And the first video game I ever beat was Streets of Rage One, and as still to this day has the one of the best video same game soundtracks ever made. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, but but through and through, I'm a, I'm a PC gamer. And for me, it's the modding scene. And I've never met a more pretentious group of people than the Sims modders. <laughs> you know, like, like, uh, like if, so, uh, so like the sky, for like things like Bethesda modding, like Skyrim and, and, and Fallout, those guys are just dicks, right? Like they're just like, oh, I deserve to be paid for this. I, uh, like, you know, no, you don't like my mod? Well, nobody can have my mod anymore, you know? But the Sims 4 are just like, um, I made these, these fashion clothes and you got, like, uh, um, and, and I made everybody beautiful and they're all pretty and they look more realistic. And it's like, oh my goodness. Like, the, you, it's funny, you can always tell like a, a, an audience by like, the crowd that mods the games, um, which yes. other other funny story. My my Skyrim was not even the same game anymore, but because I 
my my latest mod set for Skyrim was 512 mods oh, running in it. So I've never had a PC that could handle yeah. that. Yeah, is that all? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's endless, man. And how many of them were bigger boobs? <laughs> Dude, do, do, do you even know me? It's smaller boobs, man. Glad <laughs> is justice. Yeah, I'm glad like, yeah, justice. I got, I got I like the petite women, man. No, I actually had a mod running that um, changed uh, that randomized all the bo- uh, all the bodies in the game, so everybody had a random body set and a random. So everybody looked completely unique and completely different. Anyway, so uh, so that, that that was just like a quick view into where I am now with like the modding scene and whatever. Um, here comes Starfield, and it's gonna ruin my life. But um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, I'm a big strategy guy. I love my strategy games. I love I love strategy games that tell a great story, and a lot of that started with StarCraft. Um, the first StarCraft game is a wonderfully told story. Still one of the best games ever. I'm actually playing through StarCraft again right now. Um, and I am kicking its butt. And that was the only game that I could really play multiplayer. Um, and apparently I'm still good at it. Who knew? Like after, after not playing it for so long, like I'm still top dog in all of our friends groups. And I, I'm glad I am good at something because I'm not very good at very many video games. It might as well be, it might as well be StarCraft. But um, uh, but I do like fighting games. You know, I, I feel like a lot of my character design prowess comes from character designs from fighting games because all the characters have to be quite unique, right? Um, so I really appreciate the stylings of um, of Onosan, who made things like Darkstalkers and uh, and Street Fighter. Uh, but I've always been a Tekken player, and I love I love my Tekken designs because there's such a library of characters. Um, however. Uh, you know, when it comes to strategy, it's also with games like Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem Awakening to me is t- still to this day one of the best strategy games ever made because when you were playing through that game, you felt like the developers actually had you as the player in mind because it uh, uh, it kind of goes with what we were talking about earlier before the show, Alex, um, where like story structure. Uh, where you know you go through a, a Fire Emblem campaign and the stories are always very basic, right? You know, like who who cares? It's like it's very you know good versus evil. Uh, you fight a dragon and then you win. It's a very shallow story. But then the game ends, and because you play the game and and you make these characters now kiss, you know, kind of a thing, and they make it, like it it um it it gives them an epilogue. Every every single character has an epilogue in the game, and you find out what happens afterwards and. And it's really great. And everybody's game is totally different because you match up the different characters with each other. Like, nobody matches up the same characters together. Um, also, and, you got to blow on them on the 3DS. Yeah. When they right. were hot, when they got out of the, the hot springs and they were hot, you... <laughs> <laughs> you have to blow on the 3DS yeah. to cool them off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah like, if, if anybody ever wants, like, a waifu simulator, waifu, Fire Emblem is the greatest waifu simulator ever, and I always recommend Awakening. Fire Emblem Awakening is the best Fire Emblem game ever. Um, so that has a lot to do with my gaming prowess, but... Um, and, and as you've probably noticed, most of these games are all single-player. I, I very much enjoy the single-player story aspect of video games. Video games have to tell me a story. I don't like playing Call of Duty. I like shooting games, mm-hmm. but I don't like playing Call of Duty because yeah. everybody's like, oh, we made this multiplayer game that happens to have a single-player campaign to it. That's why, mm-hmm. Half-Life, that's why yeah. Half-Life spoke to me so much. Because, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and games like Bioshock, right? Yeah, like Half-Life mm-hmm. 1, just like telling a story. Just, yeah. Just without cutscenes, you know, just like... Without cutscenes, you're yeah, totally interrupted. Yeah. Amazing. 
uh, and and you and you're just like, oh man, I am Gordon Freeman. Like uh, fear, fear was the same way. You're like, oh, I am the Point Man. Like it, the Point Man wasn't a character because it's you. You are the Point Man. But um, and then but. I want to say, oh, uh, Doom, Doom, of course. There was always Doom. Oh, I love Doom. Um, yeah, I can't believe we never mentioned Doom. Yeah, between between the first Doom all the way up to 2016, all the way up to, to Eternal Doom, and talk about soundtrack for yeah, video games. Oh, yeah. I still to this day listen to the 2016 soundtrack because that that was my game of the year for 2016 was Doom 2016. Yeah, it's it was just one of the greatest remakes ever. It's a, it's a shame Nick Gordon got really screwed over. He got oh, yeah. really screwed yeah. over. Like, really screwed over. But he's still making good music, yeah, which is great. Because yeah. he's a genius. He's honestly That's a genius. Can yeah. I say another point about Doom and how amazing it is the fact that if, you, if you're running it on PC and you have RGB like, effects oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the fact that it takes over your RGB effects and then as you're playing it like will flash different colors and oh, stuff whatever. Yeah, and like and when when you yeah, boot, yeah, yeah, when you yeah. boot up the game on the main menu, your keyboard like yep. fires oh, up yeah, and then yep. the fire comes up the screen yeah. as well. It's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. so great. Yeah, it's like like Chef Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> And then, um, like, other games, like Halo Infinite copied it, too. And I'm like, Halo, get off of me. Yeah. <laughs> Doom did it first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I'll, I'll mention, I have to thank Doom for getting me into Slayer. So, thank you. And Pantera, you know. Oh, nice. Because, yeah. you know, those old Doom MIDI yeah. tracks, oh, yeah. they were just blatant rip-offs of, like, yeah. South of Heaven. Well, I remember, uh, I remember, um, the funny thing is, is I actually, I'm, I'm a metalhead, but I don't like thrash metal at all. But, um, but Master of Puppets is a good album. Like by by Metallica, yeah, totally. oh, good. and yeah, and yeah. I just remembered that I would put on Master of Puppets and play Doom, and it it synced perfectly oh, yeah. to yes. the game, yes. uh, which was pretty crazy. Well, that's what the Doom um, song did. So two, and then uh, but to kind of to kind of round everything out because a lot of stuff has already been said here that I agree with, you know. You know, Sega Genesis and Zelda and whatever. Um, but nobody's touched on uh, the fact that Final Fantasy VII yes. is what helped me become the writer that I am today. Because, the, the, in my opinion, Final Fantasy VII will always be the best Final Fantasy game ever made. And, um, and of course, there's a lot of debate on, like, oh, which one is, is it nine, uh, uh, seven, eight, or nine? Like, from that era, is that the best era of Final Fantasy? Uh, for me, it's seven, and and I will I will fight tooth and nail uh, to guard that belief. But the story structure for Final Fantasy is so great that because I mean I don't even play RP I don't even play JRPGs anymore or at all. Like I, do, I just don't enjoy them. But but I will always go through Final Fantasy seven because it's nice and familiar, and the story is one of the greatest stories ever told. Uh, from from the characters that are in the game that you sympathize with to the heartbreak that it tells you, to the absolutely mind-blowing ending that it was like, oh, that tells you just all these events that you've been playing over a hundred hours worth of video games for all line up so that the ending makes sense. It has never been repeated. And, and so I took that inspiration from Final Fantasy VII, and now at me growing up to be a writer and a comic book artist, that those elements have never left me. Um, and, now the, and then, of course, there's things like Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is a, it, it's a great game, but I will still opt to play the original PlayStation Final Fantasy VII over Remake. 
because it, they're they're almost two completely different games. Uh, so I mean, so that's I think I think that's probably the game that inspired me and and, and shaped me the most was playing Final Fantasy VII for hundreds of hours, mm-hmm. and 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 teaching me what a good story looks like. I forgot to mention Tetris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you forgot to mention. Oh, Monster Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I know. I, I did. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big Monster Hunter player. And I like Monster Hunter. I've been playing since Monster Hunter 3. It's a very fun game to play casually and with friends, but I play mostly by myself. Mm. <laughs> and I'm kind of in the same boat with you when it comes to like when it comes to playing single player, co-op, multiplayer. I'm very much more on the single player aspect. I prefer having a good story rather than having this an all all around shooty shooty bang bang fun time and and Call of Duty. Um, and I will even say like, yeah, I'll even go so far as that that comes all the way down to my origins of being an arcade gamer. Going to yeah. the, going to the Salem Willows and playing stuff like the original Pac-Man and the original Donkey Kong. And even and but when it came to like the co-op and multiplayer games, playing stuff like the Simpsons arcade game, yeah. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. X-Men, yeah. X-Men, yeah. Um, and then and then in comes in a game that I feel like really changed the fabric of not just video games but also licensed video games. Terminator 2, the arcade game, mm-hmm. probably one of the greatest light gun games ever created. I spent. Dozens, thousands of quarters on that game, even though I never got past the second level of it. But I just loved it because it felt like I was experiencing the movie in that game. That's that's true. Jonathan and I, we were arcade kids as well, mm-hmm. and our and our jam was uh, Metal Slug. Metal Slug. Metal we, Slug. We we put so many quarters into the Metal Slug Three machine that we broke it. <laughs> that's how. That's true story. True story. We played, true. And, and everybody, like, we were on the last level, and everybody in the arcade was just like, "I am so sorry." Like, cause they they were heartbroken for us that we had the game broke, like while we were playing it, you know. So, because they were like cheering for us. Yeah, classic, like, oh, yeah. Can I admit? So, oh, sorry. Perfect. No, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, can I admit something stupid? You said the Simpsons arcade game, and I heard I heard the Sims arcade game. I was like trying to like imagine what a Sims arcade game. But but on top of top on top of Terminator to the arcade game. Aerosmith made a like oh, yeah, 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 yeah. which was so much fun. Yeah, I think I spent almost as many quarters on that as it as it determined to the arcade game. Now you got protection. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember I music just, is the weapon. I just, I just remember like with the Terminator 2 arcade game, like the game, the gun would actually like shake and yes. like it would actually yeah. like have that hydraulics in it. Which they repeated for the Terminator Salvation arcade That's game, right, which yeah. did such a great job too. But when it came to home arc- home games, like my like my first system that I ever owned was the Game Boy. So I used to play Tetris like crazy. Um, I actually played Bart Simpson Escape from Camp Deadly like crazy on that I don't one. Remember this? One. So basically, you play Bart and you're trying to escape from as you do with all Simpsons games. Yeah, yeah, and you try to escape from this. Run down like camp that's run by uh, Mr. Burns's cousin of sorts. It's it's so wild. It's so weird. Never beat the game, but as, I've always as with tried, all Simpsons games. Yeah, <laughs> but I still. So yeah. 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 yeah, 
but never stopped playing it nonetheless. But when it came to like non handheld, my first system technically was an IBM PS1 computer. And through there, that's why I was playing the games of Mopogi, which included stuff like Doom. Wolfenstein 3D. Oh, I love Wolfenstein. So um, Secret Agent, Cosmos Cosmic Adventures, and the first two Duke Nukem titles. Oh, oh yeah, nice. Yeah. And I spent weeks playing those video games. And I would say out of all of them, the Wolfenstein series is one that has always stayed with me. Even though there have been some her- uh, bumps and hurdles throughout the Wolfenstein franchise... The two of the most recent games that came out, uh, The New Order and The New Colossus, are two of the absolute best first-person shooters i played. Not from just from a gameplay aesthetic, but from a storytelling perspective as well. I was just so in awe of how they created this alternative world where, you know, Germany won and, like, you had to basically save the entire world from the Nazis. And it was just such a blast to play. That's not including the one with like his two dogs. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. I was gonna say, like, wait a second, you're not talking about that game. Are I'm not you? talking about Young Blood. No. Oh yeah, not that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, that one. No, not not Young Blood. But but that's a series that has stayed with me ever since I was a little kid. I like even though I play stuff like Sonic the Hedgehog and Streets of Rage, Vector Man. Oh, Vector Man! Man. Man. Oh, Vector Man! <laughs> another another soundtrack that oh, was yeah. just awesome. Yeah. They need they need to put that out on vinyl. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, uh, OC Remix. Uh, does an awesome remix of the ocean level from the first one. Oh, it's so good. But yeah, like, for console-wise, I was, like, game uh, Sega Genesis person first. Yeah. But, like, there was just something about the world of Wolfenstein that, like, really, like, stuck with me for a very can long I, time. Can I, uh, can I butt in for sure. Wolfenstein and Doom as yeah. well? As a PC modder and playing it now, um, th- I still to this day, one of the best mods ever created is Brutal Doom and Brutal Wolfenstein. Mm-hmm. Like, where it's just hyper-violent, uh, you actually can look around in a 3D, like, era, you, you, like, you download pieces off of the oh, guy. Yeah, like, they change the sprites, and then, like, when you shoot, it's, like, screen shaking, like, bah, 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 and it's just, and it's bloody, and it's characters will drop to their knees and scream in pain yeah. until they can. And then, yeah. even, and then, like, even, uh, even taking up a notch uh, for Doom 3, or for Doom, uh, they released uh, Project Brutality 3, which is like they added guns to the game, and it's like all oh, it's it's very metal. It's awesome. It's very great. yeah, very nice. <laughs> Best mods ever. <laughs> but so like when it comes to like stuff that are more modern that are going into the twenty first century, I feel like like that's when I, I feel grateful that I could grow up and see like how video games started out as something simple like Super Mario, and now you can look at something like probably one of my all time no definitely my all time favorite video game series is Yakuza. Where you play as Kiryu Kazuma, who is part of the mafia, Japanese mafia, and you're basically telling this whole long redemption story from zero all the way to to the sixth one. Basically, the guy did a lot of bad things, but now he's out there actually trying to be like basically the best anti-hero in video game history. Hmm. And not only are is it you know, not only is it so. Uh, a great video game series, but it's got a story. Like the the cutscenes are long. We're talking like 14, 15 minute cutscenes. Nothing on Kojima. <laughs> I know, I know, I, I know, I know. But like my attention is on the game, mm. on the cutscenes the whole time. But Kojima, sometimes I'm like, yeah, just like when is it over? <laughs> we get it, Kojima. You're a genius now. Stop it. 
please make it stop because <laughs> it has the best voice acting. Like the voice acting in that game, like you feel everything that these characters are feeling because of the way they present themselves in there. On top of that, it is one of the very rare video games where it's open world. It's small and contained, but it feels so big because everything is interactive. And it's one of the rare ones where, like, sometimes when you play, like, a game like that, and then you accidentally find yourself going on to a side quest, and then sometimes you're like, oh, I don't really want to do this. Yakuza has never made me feel like that. Every single one of their side quests is hugely entertaining. And it's sometimes even the polar opposite of the vibe of the main story. It's completely funny, completely hilarious. And on top of that, too, you can sometimes find little goodies. Like, you can find the entirety of Virtual Fighter V in the game. Yeah. Space Harrier on oh, there. Yeah. So you good. can play all these old-school mm-hmm. video games, and even most recent video games, completely from start to finish in the Yakuza game. So it's like, they, they get, like Yakuza gifts you with so much. You can find full porn magazines. <laughs> yes! You can find softcore porn in, which one was it? Was it... Yeah, yeah, Yakuza Zero. Yeah, yes. I thought it was pretty recent. So yeah. yeah, Yakuza Zero. There's and then the Yakuza Kiwami Two. You can do a photo shoot too. Which, <laughs> but like, just the world of Yakuza is is one that like I will never forget any moment of this game because great story, great gameplay. I never get tired of like getting into a fight and just grabbing a random bicycle and just beating up all the gangs around there. Never gets old. Never is not funny. It's just such a blast to play. But when it comes to like games that are like very still old school vibe, that's where I that's where I go into my Shantae phase. Like mm. it's, it's like my two complete polar opposites: Yakuza and Shantae. Shantae has that very cute aesthetic. You're playing as this half genie who can transform into animals and use her hair as a whip. But the games are both fun and the story is just completely just, it's charming. Yeah. Like, every aspect of Shantae, like, if, unfortunately right now everything's taken out of my room because I'm getting ready to move out of there. But, like, if you had gone in there, <laughs> like, I had all the Shantae merch, the posters, I have every single game, I have the hoodie, the plushies, like, Shantae is, like, the game that, like, I must have one of everything of that. And one of everything. One of everything. And I feel like, like, when it comes to, like, those old school vibes, like, Shant- like I always recommend people to experience Shantae, because you've got both the Castlevania, Metroidvania kind of vibes from one, two, three, and five, but then you've got Hef Genie Hero, which definitely takes more of a Super Mario Brothers route. Also a banger soundtrack. Also a banger soundtrack. Crash. Jake Hoffman, <laughs> who not only did all the Shantae stuff, but did one of my other favorite soundtracks, Double Dragon Neon, which has so many bangers on there. Like, Jake Hoffman and Shovel Knight, too. He did oh, Shovel Knight wow. as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. man, oh, man. So, like... I would definitely say that, that Shantae, in recent memory, Shantae and Yakuza are the two games that have really made me and have really, like, those are the two games that I judge everything else of. Am I having as much fun as I am, as I did with these ones? Or am I just completely bored out of it? Because mm-hmm. I've, I've never gotten bored playing Yakuza, and I've never gotten bored with Shantae, never got bored with Wolfstein. I've never played Youngblood, though. So I'm pretty certain I will not like Youngblood from what you're saying. Yeah. 
I own it. I've never played it. <laughs> but all in all, like those are the games that like have really influenced me and have made me to be basically the game critic that I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, of no, course, there's no other. Hello Kitty Island Adventure. No, but um, but you know I do. We're getting there. But when it comes to modern day like rail shooters, Galgun is such a guilty pleasure. I I know it's such a filthy game, but as a rail shooter, it is. It is. I mean, the light great. gun. The light gun has been has been long gone. So I mean, Andrew impressed a crowd of Japanese people when he was over in Japan, and I he did. and he played Point Blank in the arcade. Yeah, do you guys remember Point Blank? Mm-hmm. In over in, over in Japan, it's called. Um, I forget what it's called in Japan, but it's called something different. But here in America, it was translated to Point Blank, and I and and me and Jonathan would play it all the time. And when Ranked I it. and when I was in Okinawa. I had a crowd of Japanese people watching me play Point Blank, and they were like, Gaijin-san. Oh, yeah, no, I was like, Genki. I was like looking around, yeah. and all these people are like watching me play Point Blank. Yeah. And like, <laughs> no, no, I played this, yeah. Well, yeah. with their Second Amendment. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's like, this game has been so hard. Like, How do you even hold this? But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that, that was actually really funny. I, I totally forgot about that. Thank you for remembering. Yeah. yeah Point but, Blank. But yeah, a lot of great video games we just talked about. Yeah. I've always, uh, I, I've always been um, been a fan of any game that that allows you to do character creation as well. That for me, like that's like a if a game allows you to create a character, it's automatically like yeah, I'll get it. I don't care if the game's crap, I'll, I'll try it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which shout out to the Sega Genesis again that actually had one of the first games ever with character creation, Cyborg Justice. Cyborg Justice. You ever play Cyborg Justice? Oh, yes. Banging soundtrack. Yeah, again, banging soundtrack. Yeah. Cyborg Justice for one of the first games ever to have character creation. Can I just apologize for any Nintendo fans? Yeah, we can. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we went back to Nintendo. That's true. That's true. Let me tell you about Nintendo for just one second. One last story. All right, here we go. We're going to redeem it. Is that so? Classic Tetris 1985 is one of the greatest games of all time. And seriously, I don't know if I've ever talked about it on this podcast, but I've probably talked about it on Wicked Anime. But, um, but Tetris, Classic Tetris World Championship, is my Super Bowl. Like uh, the way that people know athletes in like football and baseball and all that stuff, I know Tetris athletes, and like yeah, Tetris, Tetris has been an obsession of mine for so long that like there's actually like a scene behind it, and like every October, Classic Tetris World Championships. It's like it's yeah. No, in August, we're gonna go see the uh, qualifiers. Yeah, the qualifiers for Northeast. Yeah, one v one me in. Puyo Puyo Tetris. Oh, I will lose, but uh, <laughs> Puyo Puyo Tetris is my worst Tetris. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, but uh, Tetris Effect is my favorite uh, iteration of Tetris. I will say Tetris ninety nine. Yeah, Tetris, Tetris ninety nine is pretty good. It's really wild. I can do pretty good at Tetris ninety nine. Simple premise, but executed flawlessly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Nice. Up next, we got the band Sakuyans. They are a band that brings an amazing 90s off-lock sound to the modern day. And this is coming off of their second album, Gasoline Rainbow, which was my pick for best Japanese album of 2021. Here is Redate.
Mike Rogers Show. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Rogers from the Mike Rogers Show with a big, 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 big announcement. Yes, the news has been confirmed that Evan Borgalt is moving to Japan. He will be living in Tokyo. Incredible, but true, true news stories. Evan Bogart is moving to Tokyo. So I guess I'm not sure, but um, is he going to continue Boston Brigade? Is he not going to continue Boston Brigade? Who knows? No one knows. And that's it for the news. I'm Mike Rogers. Tune in next time for more news. Sayonara,
heard the Peggies with Asciato from their most recent album, The Garden. They're known for such songs in the anime as Boruto, Sarazan Mai, My Hero Academia, In the Heart of Kunoichi Tsubaki, and was the only good thing about the atrocity known as Rent-A-Girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> now, the band is currently on hiatus, but frontwoman Yuho Kitazawa was featured in the Kanabun song Gradation, which was the opening theme to this past season's My Love Story with Yamada-kun at level 999. And I'm actually surprised it took this long for them to actually collaborate because uh, Kanabun also did theme songs for Boruto, Showers on Mine, and My Hero Academia as well, sometimes at the same time. <laughs> so, let's reflect. Let's talk about some of our favorite episodes that we've been a part of in No Borders or Race, and even talk about some of the, our favorite people that we've had the opportunity to talk to in our interview segments. Um, let's see. I know, I know <laughs> Alex is probably going to be very quiet here, but... I, I do would love I would love for you to talk about like how you first met all of us in some fashion. Yeah. Oh my God. What, how how did we meet? It's been a while. I know we met through uh, through Jackie or, or sorry you, you yeah. through the through our, the band Shari Kubrick. Yeah. Shout out to Shari Kubrick. It's, uh, it's amazing. I used to play in his in his band a, a oh. while back. Oh really? Yeah. I was the bassist. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, I quit to do my own thing. But I, I still really respect what he's doing. It's not easy. Definitely not easy. But uh, I know he got us in contact through, like, Showa and all that. Uh, through CI. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know. It's been, it's, been, it's been good. And I, I, like, I like what I've been hearing from the podcast as of today. It's, un- it's unfortunate it's the last episode. <laughs> For now. For, For now. now. For now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Until it's over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no borders. Hey, I mean... <laughs> Hey, if we met a couple of years <laughs> earlier, I would have been happy to come here and talk about... And you guys could teach me about, you know, more underground anime. I would love to learn, you know? Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. You Thank got you. a good thing going. So. Thank you. Yeah. Rock on. Yeah. Now you're moving on to the next chapter of your life. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, wish you luck. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, we go opposite directions. Me? So John. Yeah. Okay, I got a good story. So, um, there was this... Uh, time that we were kind of just starting out Wicked Anime still and uh, we get a was it a phone call or a text or something like that saying hey there's a Japanese film festival happening at the um, uh, MT uh, not MTA uh, that's Mass Teacher MFA the MFA Boston and they are showing a film called Wolf Children. And, of course, we were already big fans of Mamoru Hosoda at the time. And it just so happened that the text came from Evan. Um, so we had this really quick turnaround time uh, between uh, us like deciding to go and then going to the event. And uh, so we got to go to the MFA for one of the first times ever. And then, uh, so that was kind of cool because we got to see the exhibits for the first time. But then we also got to see Wolf Children. We hung out with Evan for, um, that that was our first time together outside of the convention circuit because we had just met at Anime Boston not too long ago. Right. And so we were in the convention circuit, uh, but this was like the first time that like Evan reached out to us and was like, hey, do you want to do this thing? And we're like, yeah, great, sure. So we went and we went and we saw Wolf Children, um, and it was incredible. It was a great experience. Like the uh, MFA's movie theater was was so great, so interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we met your parents yes. then too, and your parents are just like the best ever. Thank you. Um, your, parent, your parents still talk to us yeah. after yeah. that to this day. And we also <laughs> met 42 Believer Sarah. She was just there on her own. She had nobody to hang out with, and we just started chatting with her as well. And, and she actually was there because I had posted about the Wolf Children screening on Tumblr, and she had re-tumbled <laughs> it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's like, if I had never done that, Sarah, 42 Believer, would never have gone to this event and yeah. would never have met us. We were playing, just long playing the Tumblr game, and oh, look! That's an old Wicked anime oh, joke, that, by the way. That's a Wicked yes. reference to the Tumblr game. The Tumblr game. So, for those who don't know, the Tumblr game is you type in something, you scroll down, and then once it gets to porn, that's when the Tumblr game <laughs> I don't even think, I don't even think you type in something, you just you scroll do, until you... No, you do. You type, in a, you type in an arbitrary word, like right. lawyer, or doctor, or something like that. And then, <laughs> for every post that's not porn, you get a point, and then when you hit porn, then yeah, you the stop. Game, yeah, then the game's over. Yeah. <laughs> that's the Tumblr game. Back when the Tumblr game existed, I think the high score was like five. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> um... Now it can be the Reddit game, um, but uh, you which can, is now one because of, <laughs> yeah, because of the protest things. Anyway, so this is far beyond what we were talking. My story. Yeah. Um, so after we had done that, we had we got to do our first episode with you. It was no, I first was in person. Yeah, first in person. You did. You did, you did an anime Boston. Yeah, you did anime Boston with post, a friend Scarlet from yeah, Scarlet Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah, post anime Boston. That was the first year that we met. Yeah, but we did our. We sat down with each other. And we had like that really great classical music happening in the background where we thought about doing the classy otaku at the time. Yes, the classy uh, otaku, a show that never got off the ground, unfortunately. No, um, due to uh, somebody saying, no, don't do that because that is my idea, and they never did it. Um, but um, that just sticks out in my mind. That I think that event that you invited us to, Evan, was the thing that solidified our friendship. Yeah. Like, in, in all honesty, like, we would not be friends the, the way that we are if we didn't say yes to going to that event. Um, I think that it was just the right time, the right place. You have, like, you had this infectious personality. Thank you. You know, um, like I said at the beginning of the podcast. But um, but I distinctly remember that time Christine was there with us, too. And, mm-hmm. like, while we recorded, Christine hung out with your parents and, like, and she got to know them. Yeah. Um, and it was just, and that was before I was married. Um, so like that was yes, Christine is your wife. <laughs> uh, don't want to just yeah. don't want to leave that hanging. Like, who's that? Who's that? She's not here. Who's this extra character? I don't understand. I can't follow this plot. Um, but that that is that's the one thing that I, I still when I go to the MFA walk by that theater mm-hmm. and just say like. I, I, that instantly just yeah, pops in my head. It will never. Here. It will never not be that moment. And it was it was just a great time. We we that was also when we solidified too that we were like, I really like this podcast thing. Like, yeah, I really like talking about stuff. I really like sharing my opinions. So yeah, and I will say that it's thanks to you two that I that I like rekindled my love for anime and for anime conventions. Oh, Orig- right. Originally, Anime Boston twenty thirteen was going to be my last one. No because, way, no, because uh-huh. like I was kind of I kind of fallen out of anime at that point. I, I wasn't too happy with the way anime was. I felt like the stories and everything like that were were not good. Yeah. Um, and I, but like seeing the energy that you had brought to like the interviews with Kari Walgren and Wendy Lee, and it it was such a refreshing thing, and I it made me go, 
I don't think I can back out of this yet. This is news to me. Holy Thank crap. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, that's also another memory that's like the day that we actually met you, and, and it was you had uh, Phil, yeah, and, and John, John Dotsy Riley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was that was your team, which was a banger team for mm-hmm. anime? Boxing. Yeah, like, like what a weird um, team to like that was like your posse to, at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then. Uh, from there, you know, we we hung out, um, and but not like much, not much. We we knew each other. We passed around business cards, but like not yeah. from that point. We we connected, and then you invited Andrew to do. And I actually think that it was a B three episode. When yeah, you that was a boss at Bastard. And you released an awesome uh, video uh, from that year too, because your video had uh, Terry. Uh, Terry S. Taylor. Terry Taylor from uh, the Neverhood soundtrack. Yeah, the, the teaser. <laughs> yeah, and, and I was... So the funny thing is, like, that video is still up, but the actual anime Boston video is down because uh-huh. so many copyright strikes from all the background music yeah. from the band that I got permission from personally, yeah. but their record label was just like, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's how it is. yeah, no, but I, that was a great video too, because like yeah, we had also we also ours. released our like our anime Boston video that year too, and uh, from you and I, us, we were the only ones really putting out good quality videos for anime Boston at that time. Yeah, and I tried my best. <laughs> yeah. That's mine. That's All mine. right. So yeah, earlier it's all pretty much. <clears throat> Gave the whole rundown of the origin story, uh, showing a knife Q&A at MIT, uh, comment on my shirt, uh, instant friends. Um, and then also that night, I, I remember Shona Knife was playing a show at Middle East, Middle East upstairs, upstairs, and it was sold out. But I was like, hey, yeah, I'll just wander over there, like, you know, see what happens, and uh, um, you know, further start talking to you there, and like mm-hmm. I remember someone was asking you, like, are you King Baby Duck? And you're like, yes, I am King Baby Duck. <laughs> 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 this guy's amazing. Amazing. Uh, so, and so, I forget how, but I somehow got into that show that night. I think they were just like, nice, and it was an opening. Uh, somehow got into that show that night. Great show, by the way. Yeah. Um, and I forget, at that time, I may have already, like, subscribed to B3, uh, your podcast, but hadn't, like, quite listened to it yet, um, or shortly after, obviously. Um, right. Started listening, listening, and, um, it wasn't until I think a couple years later um, at the uh, Andrew WK signing. That's where I met mm-hmm. uh, these two twins right here. Um, after that, we did like a dual podcast. I did mine, uh, which you were on, you guys were on, and yeah, and then we did my two hundredth episode at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So um, I forget. Is that the only time I've been on your you, show? That might have. Then, but Maybe no, you episode. you did record some like segments for my best yeah, of shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like for my best of Don't best album of the sure. year shows, and like um like some of our yeah, choices yeah. really did line yes. up with one another. Yes, and also what I like is uh, as far as when it comes to music tastes and um, not only just in general like Japanese music too, um, we're not like exactly on the same page. But that's a good thing. It's a great yeah, thing. Um, you go for we'll more obscure stuff. Yeah, and we'll and have crossovers. We're like, we're like right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's parts where you go, and, but it's still like on team music, so it's all great. Yeah. Um, but of course, the, my favorite episode I was on was obviously the one I was tight in your apartment, uh, just like 
I also love Derek yeah, was there Derek too. Was it was his apartment. <laughs> yeah, and I love that uh, my show too is very much like laid back approach. Um, you speak your mind on your show, which is like I appreciate. Uh, I can say fuck. Fuck. And I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable. Like do that. I mean, like to you talk. I like I felt like I could talk about anything. We go. You've done like deep stuff into just like whatever's new. Like you cover a lot of ground. Um, that's also one thing I love about your show. It's not, it's like, uh, part of it is Japanese culture and anime things, but yours is like a well-rounded, because like, if you're not even into that, other, I feel like there's so much more to it. Also, you give props to local people. Um, yes. You go with like, you speak your mind on topical stuff, which is like a skill I don't, I can't do like... Uh, it took a while for me to actually do that with my with the Bastard Soapbox. It wasn't until I was hearing, you know, Ninja and Panda, what they were doing with Black and Pat, mm-hmm. when they were speaking out on social issues and everything yeah. because of where they come from and everything, where I realized... And it was definitely during, like, the whole COVID thing in 2020 where, like, I'm kind of losing my mind here. I need to say some things yeah. that I don't think I could say anyplace else. And, like... It felt re- relaxing. Felt like it felt like I had a huge weight on my shoulder. I said, "Oh, maybe I should do this a little bit more often." And that's where like I became more topical with the Bachelor Soapbox and being more outspoken about you know human rights issues and controversies and everything. But I always came from an aspect of common sense. Like I said, I basically said the things that everybody else should be saying, but really weren't. That's <laughs> well. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like a similar path um, I first started on like radio, not the same show but I started on my um, high school radio show so like from the airwaves down to like over podcast too so like I can relate to you on on that level and just the love of like especially in, on uh, I was looking at like our high, not many high schools have uh, radio but like college radio and stuff uh, there's just like open there's so much more to what's what's there, mm-hmm. uh, and but like all in all, if our paths hadn't crossed that day, it would have been like probably a few weeks later because we go to a lot of, sh- a lot of shows <laughs> uh, together. In fact, there's been some where I didn't know you were there, and then you post about it later. I think there was a mono show at 3S. Yes, I was there. I was like, oh shit, Evan <laughs> 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 was there. I didn't see him. It like, sometimes it's dark and like. Yeah, well, mono, like, the, the lights are down. You can't really tell who's there at the Brighton so Music Hall. we've been at somewhere even, like, even after being friends, we're, like, cross paths in the same room. And, like, just so, it was, natu- it was just a natural, uh, yeah, obviously the, at the point of it where we met at MIT, spontaneous, but it was, it was meant to be. It would have happened anyway, so, blessed you. Very nice. Thank you. Well, uh, my favorite episode has to be from an episode of the um, Wicked Anime podcast, and I'm sure people at this table are not surprised when it's going to be the D&D episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I used to play all the time back in high school with a group of friends, but then once I moved to college, there was no one else to connect with to play D&D with. I'm sure they were somewhere, but I couldn't find them. So what do you guys suggested doing another one of your D&D episodes. I was like, oh my god, yes, I still have dice hidden away somewhere. This is perfect. <laughs> um, I really loved the fact that everyone like kept up with their role play pretty much the entire time, except someone who kept changing their voice every day. <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> <laughs> 
you can't do everything. <laughs> it's great. I love getting to be the uh, the orc bard. <laughs> My name is Dirk. <laughs> My instrument was percussion, and by percussion I mean it was just a giant war hammer that I smacked on the ground. Well, I sang songs. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I kept calling everyone just random nicknames. Greg was too tall. Um, oh my god, I can't remember what the name actually was, but it was Shuffles. 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 The old man just shuffling around. Oh, I think it was you. Yeah, Gerard. Gerard, yeah. yep. Which was a callback to Andrew uh, DMing. My, my character, yeah. yeah. Gerard the butler. Yeah. Alright, let's go, Shuffles. <laughs> yes. Oh, my uh, wife. Oh, she's not really talking much. I think she's dead. Yeah, no, that was great. We had like half of us at my apartment, and then I'm not sure if you guys were in the same place. No, we were We were recording from the John three of us were at my place, yeah. So yeah, somehow we made it work, and it was really fun, and it, I still go back fun. and listen to it. That was a lot of fun. That was like a six-hour day. I want to um, kind of force your hand a bit, Derek, and I want you to talk about the behind-the-scenes of the... Uh, of the hardcore anime uh, '80s video that we that we did, the instructional video. Oh, because that was like that. Because that wasn't the first time we met you, but it was the second when you were like fully involved with Wicked Anime, and yeah. you were you were one of the camera guys for for that for that video and on camera. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like a fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a. 80s, 90s instructional video of like how to enjoy Wicked Anime, the hardcore, <laughs> the hardcore anime panel, <laughs> and it was basically just us walking or wandering around Boston Common, just like looking at random things to videotape. <laughs> and I just love standing randomly across the street, like 50 feet away, waving frantically at like I know, like we had you run across, like Derek, just run over there and wave at us, like these people walking by, just like what the hell is going on. <laughs> Ended up looking like something that could come out of a don't swim. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that yeah. Day, do we, do we still have that on yeah. the channel? Yeah, we do. Oh, we'll have to show that, you guys that, that show day was, was so much fun. Smoking, smoking is bad. Yeah. <laughs> smoking <laughs> is bad. <laughs> yeah, that was a good day. Mm. I just, I, I just wanted you to talk about that because, like, that was that was the second time that you were around with us. That kind of solidified you being around us, but the, the fact that you were, like, one of the main people behind the camera doing that, yeah. like, even though you were on camera, like, you were still, like, there, you know? Yeah, like, people came up to me after the panel and be like, oh, you're the waving guy. <laughs> <laughs> yup. <Yeah. laughs> Watch me do it now. <laughs> um, for when it comes to Wicked Anime episodes, they're all, they're all so much fun. Like, the RPG episode especially is one that stands out. But when it comes to the one that I think we got the most heated and the most in the arguments, like, we barely ever fight. Like, we're, we are closely knit. We, base, we, we share a lot of the same similar tastes and everything. I'm interested in and, and then, but, you know, we respect each other's opinions. But when it came to the food episode... The food episode when we were trying to rate the best burgers, the best fries, <laughs> best fast oh, food, okay. it got heated. No, I, I thought you were talking about the Japanese food eating thing. Oh, no, no, no. This it was like... a flashback to those dehydrated sardines. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh, my goodness. And we never released that video. No, it's still, it's still raw footage. 
Oh my gosh, that's yeah, right. What, what, was, what was the most uh, contested point? Like, what was the most... I think it was the burgers. Like, okay. I said Wendy's, and, like, he, like, got angry at oh, me. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, you're talking about fast food. Okay, right? yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, I got one. Very, Not sure what my answer was then, but if Five Guys counts, then yeah. that's a contender. Oh, sure. No, I no, I couldn't. And I actually disagreed, because every time I've had Five Guys, I've wound up, uh, yeah. like, you, stomach problems. You guys will hate me. Uh, Burger King. <laughs> okay. You know what? Okay. What, what did we eat all the time in the cafeteria at Salem State? Oh my god, I had way too many quad stackers. <laughs> we had a Burger King at, at Salem State, and that was that was our diet. Quad yeah, stacker. The residential like money on it, so I mean, that was such I mean, a bad idea. Which is funny, like like that was the best Burger King I've ever had was at Salem State. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't have it all the time, but when I do have it, it's just like, wow, this is garbage, but I love it so much, and it's yeah. So, I, I I don't eat fast food, but but when I do it. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like Subway or something. Like you know, like yeah, Taco, yeah. Bell, Taco Bell. Oh, ta- no, ta- You're right. Yeah. Taco Bell is like the best guilty yeah, pleasure fast food. <laughs> yeah, the best guilty pleasure fast food ever. Yeah, no, we are off track. Oh, we are way off track. <laughs> <We're laughs> right. But um, <laughs> but as for awesome. for B three episode or even No Borders or Race episodes, first and foremost, of course, the radio play that we did, the Kung Fu Christmas. Yeah, oh, that's so fun. I was actually rereading the script of that just the other day, and I'm like, the, the lines that we came up with, like, this was gold. <sighs> Half of the stuff we can't say today, but... <laughs> oh, really? Yes, you can. You, <laughs> you know me, I say everything, so I don't care. <laughs> but just the jokes, the gags, the sound effects we chose, mm-hmm. and it just... It was the least Christmassy Christmas special ever, but I felt like that was kind of the point. Um, I have to re-listen to that. Honestly, that that day was so much fun. Yeah, that was a fun recording. Um, I love hearing this. That's amazing. <laughs> for for episodes that I really like, really cherish, like um, when it comes to recording solo or having someone on the show. I did an episode a couple of years ago with with a guy who run, runs a charity, and it's a great charity called Punks for Autism. And Punks mm. for Autism is like. This is the kind of autism charity that I can actually support because it's actually going to, you know, families and organizations that are doing things to help people with autism, unlike Autism Speaks, which uses most of their money for fear propaganda. <laughs> um, and just having him on the show and playing like all these punk rock bands from Japan and and the rest of the world, it was so. It, when it comes to things that I felt like I was doing something to help change the world. This punkster autism episode is definitely up there. And then just most recently, just a couple months ago, doing something that I've always wanted to do, but never had the time to do, or had the courage to do, and that's recording an entire episode in Japanese. Oh, I am so, I was so like, when I saw you doing that, I'm like, oh man, go ahead, go ahead. That's, <laughs> that's insane. Like, that, me, it's like, that was insane. probably one of the hardest episodes way. that I ever, ever recorded. That's crazy, dude. I didn't so, like, know you I, did that. <laughs> like, I recorded, uh, like, I wrote everything out in English, I used Google Translate, and then I sent it over to Hattori Sensei from the Cultural Exchange Initiative, who corrected everything, rechanged it all to Romaji so I can read it easier, and then recorded it one paragraph at a time. Wow. It took me 
almost an entire... It, normally, it takes me just a day to record an episode. This one took me almost two weeks to do. Wow. Because just the <laughs> mental exercises yeah, yeah. and the mouth exercises to actually speak Japanese was just so much work. Mm-hmm. But... I wanted to record the episode not because not just because you know I wanted to do this before I went to Japan. I wanted to record this so I could have you know proof of this is where I was at a point where I didn't know a lot of Japanese, didn't couldn't speak Japanese, mm-hmm. and I want to go back and see look how far I've gone mm, yes. since. Future you is gonna thank you. Oh, that's yes. gonna, that, that's you really, really, really the, interesting. You yeah. took the, those initial steps. That's kind of like. Tough, some of the toughest things to do. Uh, so, like, yeah, you look back at it and be like, oh, wow. And then I actually sent it to a few of my friends in Japan, and they said, actually, you did pretty good. There was, like, one or two times where you might have, like, messed up a syllable here, but pronunciation, mm-hmm. good, good. Nice, nice. And, like, that episode to me, like, I, that's the one I'm, like, I'm so I'm proud of myself that I was able to accomplish yeah, that. <laughs> and then as for interviews, like of course, talking with like back in 2011, right when David Comes to Life comes that came out, one on one with Damian Abraham, a fucked up, one of the most mm. fun interviews, one of the coolest, most laid back people on the planet, and one of the things that like, and I don't think I've ever told this story publicly, but that was like the moment where like I got cool around people smoking weed around me. So the story was like like Damien comes in like he you know he likes to relax before a show everything and he goes do you mind if I smoke before before we do the interview or even during the interview and you know I'm a little nervous I'm like okay because you know wasn't legal like it is now in Massachusetts he then proceeds to take a water bottle and an <laughs> apple oh, yeah. takes okay. a chunk out of the apple. Burns off this, burns off the top here of, of the bottle, combines the two, and basically makes a pipe right in front of me. And I'm there going, You're just gonna smoke a joint, man. And like, that was the day I became cool around people doing that sort of stuff around me. And to this day, it's like, one of the best interviews I think I've ever done. Now, granted, I've interviewed people that I still can't believe I ever got to interview. Um, I did a written interview with The Pillows, which went up a day before we all went and saw them live yeah. at the Royale. Yes. Um, got to interview Shonen Knife soon after we did, we saw them live. Frank Turner, like being able to say that I got to interview one of the greatest songwriters of our generation. Like, I, I'm getting goosebumps like right here, right now, just saying that. And being able to say that I got to interview and be friends with Ladybeard. Yeah. Lady, that interview, I don't think I've laughed harder in my entire life because that guy is so entertaining and just so, so on. And just a great guy. All, all yeah, I hope, you, I hope you get to hang out with him when you're yeah. mm-hmm. back in Japan. Uh, absolutely. And I think when it comes to like voice actors, I think I think Derek can very, very much vouch that it's never a dull moment when we're talking with J. Michael Tatum. Oh my God, yes. Uh, like voice actors are some of my favorite people to interview because like getting to dive into the roles and then just seeing them pull out the voices when when they do it is just such a blast. 
Um, I even got to ask him a question in his own panel, too. Yes, <laughs> which I don't think we can discuss in this one here. Nope. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, those are the things that really stood out the most for me. Um, so I have four distinct moments. Uh, not very long, but uh, I just want to say how interesting it is that there's so many episodes of B3 that it's just you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like an anime, too, maybe. Or, or well, there are episodes where it's just John just, and I, too. Just you yeah. and me, when you were in Japan. Yeah. Um, so, uh, first off, me and you did two years of the... Top ten anim- uh, top ten albums. Yes, and um, and those were just so fun because then because me and you just got to come uh, come around and just just discuss music for two hours. Mm. Uh, and um, I was very I was very you know me- uh, metal heavy mm-hmm. on on my list obviously because that's mostly what I listened to even though I listened to a lot but but mostly mm-hmm. you know I, I was able at least able to give that flavor to the show a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, in, in my opinion, I think the best time me and you have ever had together was when we interviewed Corpaclani. Um, yes. And uh, like just the fact that it was just me and you, we, we got to go upstairs into the Brighton and see like the backstage or the green room that they had. And, and, and there's just people sleeping on the floor <laughs> of the green room. Like there's like, cause there's, there's, it's an eight person band, right? So they're all like they're all just like splayed out on the floor. We're stepping over people as like we're we're getting ready for this interview. Um, the band is is they, the show started, so the band is playing downstairs and it's really loud. So they're just like let's step outside, and so so we step out to the back of the Brighton Music Hall and uh, and we're just interviewing Corpaclani in the back and uh, and you know we're uh, we're just bouncing questions off of them. You know oh like. When you write a song in English, like, do you write it in, in Finnish first and then and then write it? No, no, no. We started in English. Like, just really, really fun. Like, that was one of the most successful interviews that we've done where it was just smooth and we knew what we wanted to ask them. And then they're like, hey, like, do you guys want a beer? And I was like, no, no, just water is fine. And then he hands me a beer anyway. And I was like, uh, no, water, please. And, you know, and, uh, and then we got to see Corpaclani play afterwards. Like, yeah. we, like, we, then we got to see the show. And it was just really... That was a good memory and a good day, and, and it came out to be a really great interview. Um, and then, and then just, and then even just recently, uh, we, the three of us, me, you, and Jonathan, had the best interview with with Matt from uh, from Fellowship. Yeah, that which, was like which getting to interview a power metal musician. Um, up and coming icon, I would say. Yeah, up and, and coming icon. And yeah. like, well, because it's it's one thing because power metal and metal in general is my genre, but I haven't been able to interview any metal artists because mu- the music thing is your thing. Like, yeah. like from my world, I can interview artists and I can interview and I can interview uh, animators and I can interview yeah animation whatever. But but I don't I, I never will get the opportunity to interview musicians unless it's through you because that's your gig and so the fact that I got to talk to a power metal musician that I actively listened to the entire album and I got to tell him what his album was and then him respond like oh my gosh you really did listen to this album didn't you and I was like yes I did was just the greatest experience ever. Right. Yeah. You know, and then not only that, but after the interview was over, we had so many off the record conversations where the conversation just kept going. Yeah. Like we asked him questions like, "Oh, where, who did your album art? And, oh, what what happened with this thing?" And you know, and he it was just great. 
Uh, so the, the, now we're friends with him on yeah. uh, Discord. So, uh, so, so what it really comes down to is like the list episodes and the in the interview episodes that me and you got to do. Those were the best. Yeah, uh, that that was what we did really right for uh, for uh, no more so Yeah. <laughs> oh me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only thing I can think of, and Derek kind of took most of the idea already, was the RPG episode. And forgive me, I don't remember much from it, but I I think I remember having a pet rock is like my <laughs> Midas. Midas, is that what I mean? And he had googly eyes, right? Yeah. And then we I brought him into a battle. I think I was playing what, like a human barbarian? No, no, you were you, playing something big. Yeah, like a giant, because oh. you were eating the heads of the goblins. Yeah, you ate oh, Goliath. Oh. I was playing a, like, were, you, were you playing a Goliath? Like a barbarian Goliath or something uh, like that. Mm-hmm. And I had this tiny little rock named Midas, and he had googly eyes. He was my pet. And I'm pretty sure I went into battle, and he got damaged, <laughs> and he lost a googly eye. And I was very sad. <laughs> I just remember Andrew playing out the part where you grabbed a goblin by the head and ate it like an apple. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember how we convinced you? Were <laughs> 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 you screaming like, "No, don't do that"? And I was like, "No, I'm a goblin." No, dude, I let you do whatever you wanted. I, I was just the DM. I, you. You did what you wanted to. I wasn't trying to not convince you to do it. I was the one telling you they were apples. (laughs) That's right. Because you you were on the way to the store to get apples for your grandmother or something. (laughs) Look at that. There's some apples right there. (laughs) Yeah, but I thought somebody at the table was like, Greg, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) No, you didn't. (laughs) Ate a goblin. Anything, it was uh, Ruby Rapid Washington, probably. (laughs) Somebody did. Probably. Yeah, like. That, that was it for me. It was probably that. Was well, you were also on the episode where we talked about Clerks Three. Remember? Oh yeah, we did. Do, we did. Do that. Yeah, that was a good episode. Yeah, we yeah. had fun talking about that. We did. Yeah. Was that for the pop up or was that for just watching the movie? Just watching the movie. Just watching the movie. Yeah, yeah. The pop up was a lot of fun. But I don't think he went to the pop up. No, you? Yeah. no. I just remember he invited me to do a segment for this show. Cool. Because I was one of the only people I. Apparently, software three got terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went to the pop up. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it with my new roommate. <laughs> and even though it's not like a, um, well, I guess it's not an episode, but I just want to give a special shout out to who cringed last panel. Yeah, because yes. that came out perfect when we did that. That yeah. was yeah, and that was a collaborative effort between all of us. All of us, yeah. yeah that was and forty two believer too. Yeah. But that was like, yeah, that that one really turned out. Yeah, that was that was like quintessential like team Wicked anime. Like Wicked anime, we did My Wife Is Not Weird, and we did a hardcore anime panel. But like as a team, team Wicked anime, like oh, who yeah. cringed last as a yeah. The fact that it took how many years before it got approved? Yeah, and then we just kept getting bigger rooms because more people wanted to take part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got 203, 204. Yeah, that and was, was like, huge. And we crushed it. The yeah. first year, we literally hit capacity and couldn't let more people in. Yeah. Yeah, we crushed it. And then the second year, that was like, how, like 500 people showed up to it. Yeah. One of my seniors found me. <laughs> <laughs> she was graduating in, in two weeks, and I said, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Until those two weeks are up, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Did she ever find you again after that? No. no. Well, I mean, she was in my class. She was one of my students. But she didn't tell anybody. Yeah. She kept it a secret. 
<laughs> Maybe. We don't. Yeah, now it's out there. Yeah, well, I don't care. I don't care. That's fine. That's <laughs> in the past. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for sharing those memories. Yeah, man. Thank you for the memories. Thanks and, uh, for the memories. <laughs> and I think it's a good segue because right now we're going to play Fellowship on the podcast. Hell yeah. Which we all agree, best world album of 2022. Correct? Yeah. 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 And they just toured with Twilight Force in Japan. Ah! Like, <laughs> <laughs> Two, my two favorite bands, and this is like the other side of the world. <laughs> and they are, and they are planning again to go to Japan, hopefully soon. And they will be now ne- over there. They will never be in the United States unless they tour with Sabaton or somebody like that. I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. But the song I'm going to play from Stable Chronicles, I like to call this song their fantasy anime opening theme song. This is Scars and Shrapnel Wounds.
Hey everybody, this is Phil the Issues Guy, and I'm really excited to be a part of Evan's last broadcast, King Baby Duck. Now, I don't know, I was thinking about taking a bunch of different approaches here, you know, be my usual goofy, silly self, and talk about unicorn bleep (laughs) or something like that. Uh, as those were some of probably my first interactions with King Baby Duck. Uh, Those of you that don't know, some might have heard these stories before, but I met King in college. He had his, oh, we did some video classes together, and he had a radio show. And he could always kind of see me eavesdropping and listening in on his conversation with uh, his co-host at the time on the radio show, Blue. And they would talk back and forth about it. And I would sort of obviously be way too interested in the discussions that they were having. And I think almost over the course of an entire year or a whole semester in time, I just kept going, "Mm, mm, mm," you know, listening in on the conversation. and then. Evan picked up on that and I don't know exactly when it was I know it was the beginning of a new semester because my first show was actually in October at the end of an October he basically said you know I'm sick of you listening to my conversations stop doing it you eavesdropping little bastard what you need to do is get your ass down the radio station and sign up. You can work on my show for a couple of weeks and get the hours you need to do, and then you'll be bam right on the show. Yeah, he turned into Emerald Lagasse and he just went bam, 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 bam. He's like, bam, just get your ass out, get your ass to Mars, Quid. Just get your ass over to the radio studio and sign the f up and get involved. Do it. And I kind of gave him what I usually do when someone suggests something to me. I just say, yeah, of course I'll do it. I'll I'll do that. And I never actually do it because, you know, it's not even about laziness. It's just about you get inside your head and you want to perform sometimes. You think you can do something, but you don't know you could do something. Then you're worried about doing it, but you can't not sure if you want to do it. And you just get inside your head and you're going all over your mind and you just can't figure out what you want to do. And sometimes you just need someone to slap the proverbial eggplant across your face and just be like, get your butt to Mars, Quaid, and solve this whole total recall problem. And that's basically what Evan King Baby Duck did. He basically just literally dragged my insecure, over-the-top, idiotic butt to the radio studio, met up with our friend Angela, made me sign up for it, Said, you're going on the air. Gave me a couple spots during his show. And then within a couple weeks, month or so, I was on the air. And not just that. I was on the air on a Wednesday night at 6 p.m., 6 to 9 p.m. And I believe it was 6 to 9 p.m. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) King can, uh, Evan can correct me after the fact if I'm wrong about the times. But what was amazing about that is Evan's show was three to six on Wednesdays. So we turned and then after us initially was a a member of the Salem, Massachusetts music community, Scott Buchanan, who did a radio show afterwards. And then eventually uh, this girl, I'm blanking on her name, but the show was called Everything in Pink. But either way, we had these three shows back to back and we were kind of the only three Shows that just weren't playing local music or just being basic one-for-one DJ shows. We were three 
shows back to back that were kind of trying something new. Essentially podcasting before podcasts existed, especially with, in my case, and in Evan's case with the show that he did before. So that was really awesome. And for a long time that existed. Then after the fact, once we both graduated and continued to do this, Evan was lucky enough to get involved with the land of Esh and the wonderful people, Amanda and Rochelle, who just were exceptionally awesome building his website and help promoting the podcast. And again, Evan's like, come on, come on, come on, come on over here. Join the fun, join the party and told Ninja and Panda about me, kind of sold them on me, got them to build me a website, which was really important at the time. And try to ingrain me in the video game and anime press and and podcasting organizations in the Boston and New England area or or even in just the entire East Coast or the world. He just tried to invite me to be a part of all of that. Unfortunately, that community didn't quite welcome me in with open arms and I had to find my own path. But the relationships that I made with Evan and Amanda and Rochelle persisted and continued as I eventually did find my way to some sort of path of finding an audience, talking more about television and a little bit about movies, but mainly about television. And also, he made sure even in some of my darker times, in the times that I was definitely down and wasn't able to figure things out, he always made sure I felt involved with the Boston Bastard Brigade or No Borders, No Race or the Land of Esh, making sure I was invited, making sure I was invited to anime conventions to be a part of his staff and meet a bunch of people some of our some people that aren't with us anymore that were very close to me i was uh, i met through evan as well and i think he'll probably know who i'm talking about but there's there's a lot of stuff here and beyond all of that he was always my friend and he was always there for me and i always through all of that saw him and heard him talk about this dream the dream that one day he would be able to move to Japan and give something back. His love, pass that over, be able to create, uh, teach language and communicate with people and do all of that stuff. And I could not be more proud of him. I know a lot of this is sappy, more sappy than goofy. And I'm usually over the top and goofy. I'm feeling nostalgic and emotional about a lot of things right now and going through and in general a tough stretch but what's important is when you go through a tough stretch that you know you have the people to support you and one thing I know that I've been lucky enough to have in the creative dynamic is I've had Evan on my side for a long time and he is a champion whether it is your music whether it's your podcast whether it's you're an actor director a creator in some kind of way He's always championing, championing you, <laughs> championing you. He's always championing you. Yeah, I can't say that. He is always promoting you. He's always pushing you. He's always trying to make you a champion. Ha, I said it in a weird, awful way. Uh, and really push you out there to be the best version of you and make sure your eyes, your music, or your creative output gets heard and appreciated by as many people as possible. 
And now he's going to be giving back to more people in even more direct level, being a teacher and communicating on that level. This is something he's done before, and I know that he can't wait to get back started again. That doesn't mean this is the last time I'll be on this particular podcast talking to him, but this is the Going Away podcast. And you never can tell. Life is a strange thing. Life is short. Life takes you on a lot of different turns, and you can never tell when it's the final turn. And you should never hesitate or wait to tell the people that you care about that you care about them and how important they are in your life. And King Baby Duck has been extremely important in my life over the last 20 years or so, however long it's been, 50 and 20 years. And he will continue to be, hopefully, for a long time. Good luck. Bon voyage. Bon voyage. I feel like I'm pronouncing words really incorrectly, like, like I'm a emotional uh, Elmer Fudd, Yosemite Sam type creature today. <laughs> and in the words, the immortal words of Porky Pig, <laughs> that's all, folks. Take care and safe travels, Evan. Baby, baby, froggy boots, and I see a dog. Night time, so now hold on, my bicycle. My baby, baby, froggy, so long, so like I'm a
From Cut New World, that was Oresaho with Baby Baby Blue, and their music has been featured in such series as Aris and Zoroku, Magical Circle Guru Guru, and Sleepy Princess in the Demon Castle. And I've always loved how Orisama have jumped through many different pop genres, mixing things up with electro swing and even a little funkadelic flesh music. It's so cool what they are able to come up with. And unfortunately, our good buddy Tyler here has to leave early. Ah, time, because yeah, I'm actually on another friend's show doing it. I'm so sorry, but um, I just gotta say, like, Thank you for early, like, thank you for the memories. That's, like, the pos- good memories. Um, it's only been six hours. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you going so early, bro? <laughs> yeah, no, this has, been, this has been amazing. Like, I'm honored to be here for your, I wouldn't say final, but uh, in the end this chapter and open up the, the uh, next chapter of your life. And um, also with the power of technology, you know, like, in the, I'll have you on my show. We can just like uh, stream our broadcasts from like all over the world. Just, True. Like hop online. Uh, we'll do the yeah. Just shoot me a message on Twitter, and, and we can figure something out. Hopefully. But like, I'm so excited for you. Like, you saw my reaction when you first told me. It made like mm-hmm. I don't know. It made my day. Like, yeah, because I hadn't told anybody yet. Like, mm-hmm. like, like. So like, this small group were like the only people who had known that mm-hmm. I was about to be accepted into the JET program. Mm-hmm. So like. Yeah, Being able to tell you in person, like, I was so happy so I could do that. Yeah, and the doors are, like, just opening. Like, I'm just, like, possibilities of once you get settled in, uh, accustomed to the, you know, the whatever it is, um, like, man, your show is going to, like, exponentially grow. Uh, all the artists that you like to interview are right there. You don't have to wait till they come through. Austin. That that so that that's the center of it. There's like that's that is one thing I've been thinking about. I was like, yeah, I could probably do more interviews over there. Yeah, yeah, or anything. Like, I could continue one on one at least. You go to like check out a show on a weekday. You know, go there, hop in for an hour. <laughs> you know, like a local <laughs> funk show. Like, yeah, that, yeah. That's <laughs> amazing. Amazing. So just like I gotta say, thank you and thanks for having me on. You know, good luck to you. Be safe. Like I said, take care of your mental health. Um, don't put all your eggs in the basket expecting Japan to to do wonders for it. I'm sure it will. Uh, but just tread lightly. Exactly. Stay, stay, stay away from gaijin hunters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I am so excited for you. It's going to be awesome. It's like, yeah, like, I am excited for you. It's been a while Thank since I've been excited for someone else. Yeah. A lot of people I feel like plateauing and like I'm just, I love people who are just like doing what they love and just growing exponentially so thank you very much amen <laughs> awesome so, like, let me give you a hug alright <laughs> sure yeah live hug yeah it's great I'll see you soon I'll, I'll see you in Japan it was a oh, good oh, yeah, everybody. Yeah. See, that's, 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 that's the real dream right now we get to go to Japan because right? <laughs> <laughs> he's there yes <laughs> absolutely you take care man Thanks for bringing the purple. <laughs> yeah, that's not the least I could do. Yeah, have fun, man. Representing yeah, Boris, Saints Row. Yeah. That's another video game series I, I didn't get a chance to talk about. But yeah, my, this is my last segment, so I figured all around here, round table, ask me anything. Is there anything about me that you've always been curious about that you've never had the opportunity to ask? Yes, I got one. Okay, well, tell me. Sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, what's your favorite fast food burger? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. 
uh, what will you miss most about uh, America? Like, yeah, um, that's that's a good one. Actually, what will I miss most? I'll miss my friends. You know, fair enough. Fair enough. I will miss my friends. I will miss my family. I will miss Lucy, my parents' dog, of course. You know, <laughs> I'll miss that. Um, let's, but yeah, I'll I'll miss going to Anime Boston and PAX East and all these other conventions I've had the opportunity. I feel yeah. like I definitely know that I'm going to miss a lot of the experiences that I've had over the years. But I know that from the experiences that I'm missing here, I will definitely be making up yeah. over there. Because how many times have I gone and looked at a news article be like, there's an awesome special cafe event surrounding my favorite anime. Yep. Why doesn't this ever happen around here? Yep. Now I can go, there's a special event with a cafe and surrounding my favorite anime. Like When's it being held? Oh, I can't go because of school. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the one thing that I've learned from traveling the world uh, is... So, so the first time I traveled the world, uh, and uh, I went to Taiwan, uh, and then I went to Tokyo, but, but first I was in Taiwan, and, and the, the one thing that I noticed was even though I was thousands of miles away, it still felt like Boston was just next door. Like it was just a plane ride home. Like, so you're never actually that far away from traveling. You know what I mean? Like it, like even though you are thousands of miles away, I, I always find like it's a hard, it's harder to meet up with friends that live in Rhode Island than it is to meet up with your friends that are halfway across the world. Yeah, because like, like you know, you you have it's that proximity thing that's really strange. So like, even though I was in a completely different country and and you're gonna be away from us, like it's you're really not gonna be that far away. Legit question. Does Facebook Messenger work over there? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. alright. So, well, because and and um I, I talked to Ian and Andrew, my my friends who are based over in Osaka. Mm -hmm. I talked to them once a week. And, yeah, and Discord. Like yeah. Every, yeah, through Discord. And I was messaging you guys last year in Japan too. Yeah. So it's like we like I was still here. <laughs> I know you better see that's just it is you better be taking pictures and like sending it to the wicked anime group. Like yeah, it just like it's like, oh look what I saw and look what I did. I yeah. mean you're gonna be in Tokyo. <laughs> so, <laughs> with all honesty, you could probably make a no borders, no race Discord page. That way, like people like Tyler can join uh, in. Uh, maybe I'll think about that. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Even yeah. if it's just a community, so that we're there and you can post your pictures up yeah. to it and just show us what you're doing. Okay. I'll think about because it, it it only has to be this big. It doesn't have to be an audience. It can be a private group. Yeah, yeah, of course. So that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, questions. Uh, when you go over there, uh, what is, are you, okay, so first off, are you taking a direct flight over there? I think so. Taking a direct flight. Uh, and you're landing in Tokyo, right? You're actually Narita landing, Airport. You're yes. actually landing in Narita Airport. Uh, so how far do you have to travel to actually get to where you need to be from Narita Airport? Um, that's a good question. I think it, I think because a hotel is also in Shinjuku, I think it might be about half hour, 45 minutes. Cause you know, Tokyo is a huge city. It's not just a metropolis. It's a megalopolis. Yeah. It's like a 200 mile city yeah. or something like that. Wait, it's really? Yeah, it's insane. I yeah. didn't realize it's that big. Well, two, uh, it's, it's multiple prefectures. Tokyo is multiple prefectures of city. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I learned that from Persona 5. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I actually asked this off the record earlier, but I'll ask again for the listeners because I found it interesting. When you're an English teacher, do you have to write your own curriculum? Um, I think it might be actually a mixture of going with the teachers that are there, with the English teachers that are there and they have a curriculum. But because of the classes are going to be split up in two different ways, it's be split up rather 50-50, I may be in charge of like half the class. So I may have to be coming up with ideas off the top of my head when I do that. Hmm. Would you rather have hair made of spaghetti or would you rather sweat mayonnaise? I'd rather sweat mayonnaise. Oh, no, 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 in all all seriousness, um, (laughs) what have you not yet experienced in Japan from your previous trips that you're looking forward to experiencing now? That's a good question. Uh, Definitely a lot of the bands that I've been wanting to see live in concert. In their 15 uh, uh, people, like, audience, like, (laughs) venues that they have there? Yeah. So, like, because my list is long, like, hundreds of bands that I've been following for the past, since, you know, 17 years, and fortunately, a lot of these bands are still together, so I, that, that's a list of groups, like, Asian Kung Fu Generation, who have never come to the Boston area to perform, um, even though Hyde has, from, Hyde has come here a couple of times, Lark on CL, I would love to see them live. X Japan, I'd love to see Yoshiki do a classical show. I'd like to have the opportunity to see a lot of these indie groups that I've been like promoting on the show too. Let's suck it on Zansan, the Sakoyans. Um, and I'd even like to see bands that I haven't seen in a very, very long time either. Bands like Electric Eel Shock and Sushimamire. And Stance Punk, well, sta- actually, I've never seen Stance Punk live. I re- still regret to this day never going to Japan Night 2006 and seeing Stance Punk before. And now that I'm going over there, I hope I actually finally get that opportunity to see them live. How much, how much time between you arriving and then school starting? I think a month. Wow. So you, have, Yo. so, so you have a month to, like, tour and, and like, do fun things? I think most of that month is going to be me making sure that my apartment is all in working order. That would still be fun. <laughs> and, you know, getting the right furniture and even doing some orientation stuff with the school, too. Dude, furniture? Mattress on floor, TV on floor, <laughs> done. <laughs> the way of the single male. Yeah, you got, you got 7-Eleven and, and Family Mart right down the street from oh, you, so you it's you like, where you buy food? You forgot the hot plate. Oh, yeah. The rice cooker. Yeah, the rice cooker. cooker. Ooh, That's yeah. the essential in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, uh, but if you do have a month, you're not going to be spending an entire month setting up an apartment and, and getting your facilities right. all put together because I'm guessing that the program would help you take care of most of that as well. Some of it, yes. There are some things that I'm going to have to do myself, but for the most part, there are some aspects that I am going to be able to. Um, so then if you are going to do some touring, what are you going to do if you have time for touring? Just see what's around in Tokyo. I think one of the things that I'm going to be doing a lot of is catching up with old friends. Friends I have, you know, I've been friends with in college, band friends, people that I haven't seen in a very, very long time, and just doing a lot of, you know, rekindling. Are you going to hit up Akihabara? Of course I'll hit up Akihabara. <laughs> I will hit up, yeah, Ikibukuro is going to be half, a, half an hour away, you know, walking distance. From my apartment, I'll oh, definitely wow. go there. Um, are you going to have a group of other jet program people living in your building with you? No, no. Oh, huh. yeah. So like, so you're you're being thrown into the deep end. 
Kind of, but the place, but the apartment complex that I am going to be living at is foreigner friendly. Okay. Oh, good. All right. Interesting. Yeah, because most of the other jets are going to other parts of Japan. Yeah, I just remember, like our, yeah, our, Dom, our friend Dom. Yeah, Dom had, had Dom had like a group of people that he was always hanging out with that were foreigners. Right, but there are other there are other assistant language teachers from America and Canada that are teaching at the school I'm going to be at. So I will at least have those people to chat with. Now, um, mm-hmm. are, do you have to do, when you arrive, do you have to do the traditional Japanese thing and, and uh, greet your neighbors like when you first move in? The people who are beside you and up and below you? Maybe. I will have to double check that. When you're over there, okay, I heard that it's a tradition on, in Christmas, or on Christmas rather, that they do uh, KFC eating. <laughs> we are doing that. Yeah. So I Maybe. was going to ask, are you going to participate in the traditional Dude, you KFC? Have to, you Maybe. Have, you have to I, have, I have to see if there is a KFC in my vicinity. Yeah, you have to, and you have to order like way ahead of time. Like, yeah. Let them know. If you can, please report it to us. I want to know. Yeah, yeah. And that would be that would be something really good to another fond memory. Us doing that too for the Christmas episodes, the wikis. Yep, and yes. I got incredibly sick. <laughs> Uh, I did have another question. What was it? You might have to do some heavy editing for this part of it, at least. Yeah, yeah. I think. Any non-Japan related questions? No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel. I think it's funny because I feel like that we we wouldn't do any non-Japan related questions because I feel like that we just know everything we need to know about you. Like you've never been secretive. You've never yeah. like done anything like that and I mean um, we've we've learned all from doing our own podcast recordings and meeting fans like that when we tell them interesting things about our lives they usually go yeah I know because we've told them all on the shows that that we do before and it's the strangest thing ever so like we're, there's no real hiding anything so I, that's why I think we're asking all Japan questions is because this is the new next chapter of what you're going to be doing you know yeah I do have a question. How fluent are you in Japanese? Because I know you've been studying. So I can read hiragana and katakana. There are only a couple of kanji characters that I know by memory. When it comes to speaking, that can be very tough for me because I don't really have many people around here that I can practice with. So I'm very limited as to what I can say for sentences and various you know, other sorts of terms. With that being said, I'm hoping that when I am over there in Japan and I'm immersed in the language, that it's going to lock on to my brain. Well, I remember, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just remember when they were, when I was studying the JET program and looking into it, that they don't necessarily want you to be fluent in any kind of Japanese because they just want you to be focusing on the English portion of it, right? Um, kind of. I'm act- they actually now have Japanese language courses that they offer, which I'm currently doing on top of Duolingo drops in Kawaii Nihongo. So I'm, on my non-work days, I spend an hour jumping between those, those three apps and the JET programs. Well, it's not the JET program that runs it. It's like an affiliate that, they, that has yeah. helped them. Jeez. And I spend half an, an extra half hour on that on the days I don't work. I have a question for you. Yeah. What is your biggest fear once you go move over there? What are you nervous about? Huh. I would say maybe failure is my, my biggest fear. Mm. Failure that I will not 
be as good of a teacher as the school wants me to be. Well, you've already disproven that because you've already you already had your hand in doing. I know, I know, but this but this is a much different sort of like ocean that I'm about to dive into. You'll adapt. Is it, is it also high school students? Junior high school. Junior high school students. But but the school is both junior and high school. Okay. Um, let me tell you something from your, my perspective as a high school teacher. Um, as a teacher in general, your bad days are going to happen. Um, it, it is unavoidable that when you teach, you are going to have a day that you're going to go home, you're going to go into your apartment and say, I want to quit. Is gonna like I, I'm not good at this. I was not meant to do this. I'm a fraud. I'm a failure. And then you'll go in the very next day and you'll give the most badass uh, lecture of your life. Like, and you'll you'll be interacting with students and they'll be getting it. You'll say yes, it's awesome, and you'll redeem yourself. Happens to me. I've been teaching now. This I'm going into my into my eighth year of teaching, yeah. and it happens to me every month. Like, every at, like month. all the time, all the time. So if you fail, it's only temporary. And your perspective as the teacher is not the perspective that the students have of you as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, You may think that you have failed your students, but your students may never know how bad you failed or if you even failed at all. So please keep that in mind. That is the biggest thing that I learned as a teacher as well, that you are going to have bad days, but your students may never know that you're having a bad day. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it ties, it ties into like when I'm performing and I Mm. mess up, like I know. And if I'm playing with someone, they know, or like vice versa. But like the audience doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Like when I played that show up, we actually had a section where we messed up. And I looked at the audience, they were improving, and, you know, after the show, no one mentioned it. I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, like, it looks like it ties into being a teacher, too. I guess Mm -hmm. it's just like a life life. life I mean, what what is teaching but entertaining with education? Oh, that's a good way of putting that. I mean... Because I mean, because I mean, teachers have to be as excited about the subject that they're teaching that they want their students to be excited about as well. Right. right? So you have to put the energy in that you want the energy back. Makes sense. So, yeah. so it's the same. It's the same thing as entertaining. I think maybe the other thing that I fear most is not becoming fluent in Japanese because as some yeah, people, some people may not know. Well, you know, you, everyone here knows that I'm on the autism spectrum, but what a lot of people don't know about this autism spectrum is that autism is a language-based learning disability, mm-hmm. and which makes it very hard to adapt or even learn a language, even the language that you are currently speaking, the, the one of your, your native tongue. I wasn't speaking, like, full sentences until I was, like, five years old because of it. Yeah, okay, but you already speak Japanese better than I do, and, <laughs> and, and you're teaching classes on English to Japanese to Japanese to English. Like, come on, man. And, yeah. I know. It's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's the science aspect that... that, that yeah, no, I, I understand. Right. But, but, but all I'm saying is, is I, I don't think you need to make a mountain out of that molehill. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I actually did want to ask, but I, I don't know if like maybe like you'll edit out, cut out this question if you don't want to answer it, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but are you afraid that like you being on the spectrum is going to affect you in a different way than other people who might be there? So this is the thing that I've actually really noticed about Japanese culture, and it's about the way how it works, how everything is run, because everything is 
basically run as a routine. Mm-hmm. Basic, and as someone who is autistic, who has his routine, need a routine, yeah. I think that I'm going to have the autism part of me isn't going to have an issue at all when it comes to how how to like go around Japan and you know experience things and follow the rules and guidelines because Japan follows things in such a way that is very autistic. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. Um, and it's one of those things too, and I've talked about it maybe a couple of times in my podcast show, especially in the Japanese episode, which you'll only know if you are Japanese and can actually understand it. So there are things about autism, especially when it comes to my sensitivity, like the sensitivity of like sound, Mm -hmm. sight, and everything like that. So there are, but when I was in Japan, I noticed that a lot of those sensitivity issues that I had were very non-existent. I noticed that the things that normally bothered me on a day-to-day basis in America didn't bother me when I was in Japan. When I was in Japan, the, the one thing that I noticed is it's very quiet. That's the one thing that, yes. It's very quiet. So that is, that is one of the big examples. Like, um, when you're autistic, you have the ability to hear electricity and such. Mm-hmm. In Japan, I didn't hear it at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because of the technology they use or, or what, but like, you know, you, you have to give Japan a lot of credit because they think of, they think of everybody when it comes to like, especially when it comes to disabilities. When you walk down the street, the whole yeah, street the blind. is a line yeah. for those who are blind. Even the stairwells are made for those who are, who are blind. Huh. Um, they have things, they have things for deaf people. They have, they, they think of every person, they think of every disability and they absolutely make sure that you can get around their country. No problem. No matter what your disability is. And they also, from, from my perspective of a mental disability, they also function their country in a way that doesn't overload you in such a way. That is one of my biggest problems with living in America is that everything feels overloaded. And I feel overwhelmed so much when I'm, say, like going around downtown Boston at night, or especially New York City. New York City, like as much as I like going there, visiting there, it is such a loud town that there are times yeah. where I feel super. I was I was just about to say. It sounds like you're describing cities, not yeah. because yeah. I mean in America. Because in America, it's it's the cities that are the problem. It's not the it's not like the rest of the country. Because like you go to Middle America and everything's great. But yeah, yeah, I'll I'll admit that going to places like Iowa, Michigan, nice and quiet. Mm-hmm. Granted, there are some very scary people that I've seen in Michigan, but like. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like all of Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I got I got at least one more question. Yeah, which one of us are you going to miss the most? <laughs> <laughs> Don't answer it. Don't answer it. I'm not. <laughs> he answers it on the next No Borders. No Borders. Yeah. <laughs> on the next No Borders. No Borders. It's like I really missed you in the past. <laughs> I missed yes, you. yes. <laughs> no. Or how about this? Favorite moments with with everyone. My favorite moments. Individual moments. Okay, with you, Derek, it was definitely doing both Coffee House Central and recording the documentary of Rainbow Terrace. Yes, and we played uh, 
Was it Endicott? No, no. Yeah, it was like Endicott College. It was for the Day of Silence, an LGBTQ yeah. event. And Merrimack. It was Merrimack. Merrimack College. Yes, that was. That's probably one of my favorite memories because we made we made such a big documentary because a lot of music documentaries are about bands that've been around for decades and everything. I wanted to make a documentary about a band that's just literally starting out and it's their first ever concert. That's cool. That is my first paid gig. First paid gig. <laughs> yes. I got 25 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Um, let's see. Jonathan, I'm trying to think. There's, I would say definitely the two of us, and I think, you know, Derek there too. Mm-hmm. Actually experiencing the pillows live together yeah. at the Royale is yeah, like yes. that. That's a memory that I think really just stands out for me. And like just experiencing a band that we both have like grown to love from an anime that we both love, mm-hmm. and experiencing that live in person that that is probably such a fun memory. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'll just say before, I know you're looking at me, listeners <laughs> can't can see, we should, it's a shame we didn't get to do more yeah. experiences before you left, because I, uh, I, I met him, like, relatively recently. Yeah, I will say, I will say though, we had a great dinner at Scorpion Bar. Oh, yeah, that was Scorpion awesome. Bar is great. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for reminding me, that was yes. a success. Uh, Greg, I, I can't help but thank you so much for, for when it came to buying my gaming PC. Like, oh my gosh, that's uh, great! Uh, yeah. you, you, without you, I would have been freaking lost. <laughs> oh no. Mm-hmm. It, Andrew's, Andrew's just as much of an expert as, you know. But you're the one who came. You're yeah. the one who actually yeah, went, showed to, went to the store yeah, and Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> we found some great quality product and got you a solid machine. And uh, you know, one of these days, I expect you to buy Rainbow Six Siege. And I do have it. it. I just haven't had time yeah, to go just on and never play played it. it. Now it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's actually gotten worse since you bought your. Uh, I only spent ten bucks for it, so it's like I'm a yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I've had more fun playing something like Subverse over Rainbow Six. <laughs> if you don't know what Subverse is, Google it. <laughs> or don't. Or don't. <laughs> oh, so Andrew, like you've been the one I've like hung out with, like outside of Derek. You're the one I've hung out with like the most. Mm. I would say probably. Um, oh God. I would definitely say. Two of us definitely sitting on our bed, <laughs> sitting on my bed and recording those two best of out of. Yeah, nobody knew that we were sitting on the bed, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, no, no, we said it once. I was like, oh, yeah, si- yeah. The, the phrase I used was, we are 16 candles thing. <laughs> <laughs> but those two episodes were such a blast to record. Yeah. But I, would, but I still will say, like, the first time you. You, John, and I hung out, and then adding Sarah Forty to Believer, meeting her for the first time too, yeah. at that Wolf Children's screening, recording that segment. I felt like this is something special. I mean, dude, remember when we were just over at your house and we were playing Sniper Elite? Yes. And, like, oh, <laughs> and we dude. shot those guys in the balls. Having <laughs> <laughs> uh, Victoria play horror game. Yes! <laughs> uh, Classics. Classics. The classics. Yeah, there's a lot of memories, and I'm definitely going to be missing all of you guys because you know you've been some of my you know, best friends these, these yeah. like decade and a half for him, and then for the past ten years with 
Andrew and Jonathan, eight years, and I know less than a year, but you are a great guy, DJ Mana. You are fantastic. Yeah, coming up. Doug, you've been such an easy friend to have. Mm -hmm. Let me say that. And the reason why you gravitate so many people towards you is because of your infectious personality Mm -hmm. that your students are going to yeah, it's it's not going to be hard, and and it's not like it's not like we're we we are really not going anywhere, you know. Like yeah. it's, like we still have the Wicked Anime chat, and we still, it's just that we can't go and like take a train into Boston and see you. Now we just have to fly a plane over and then <laughs> stay at your apart your tiny apartment at some point. Mm-hmm. We'll and, all sleep on the floor. I don't yeah, care. <laughs> you know, like as as a person, and this goes into something we were originally going to do, which was like how we've changed and evolved over the years. Like you know, I've. I've definitely grown up a lot more since I began No Borders Erased back in 2006. 21-year-old me is a totally different person from 38-year-old me. And, you know, I had a lot of growing up to do now, especially with this upcoming position with the JET program. I had to grow up more. I was having a conversation with my mom once, and, like, she said that, you know, my mentality, and she means it more in a positive manner, is that... Although I'm 38, I definitely still have, like, the attitude and personality of someone who was in their, like, mid-20s. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to play in my favor when it comes to connecting with these students at the school I'm going to be teaching at. I don't – I I never, like, saw you as somebody who was, like, so significantly older than us either, Mm -hmm. which you're not, by the way. But, like, but, you know, like, there's never been an age gap thing because, like, yeah, it just seems like we're just, we're just friends. Yeah, we, we, yeah. We, have weird. we have mutual interests, and we, and we just hang out around those yeah. mutual interests. You know, and I find it funny, like, so it's called, we're called Boston Bash Brigade, but our mantra is bastards by name, not by reputation. Mm-hmm. And although there are times where I had to be kind of a bastard or an asshole when it came to certain anime reviews or video game reviews... It was called for at those times, but when it came to actually doing a podcast show, when it came to like being just a good person, I was just doing my best to not be an asshole, (laughs) you know, and I was, and going deeper, you know, I was raised right. I was raised by good parents. I was raised by a good family. I was raised by people and learning that, you know, you should never judge someone over their disability, especially their race, their gender, who they love, who they pray to, or if they don't pray to at all. Uh, this myself and the show has always been one that's inclusive to every decent human being on this planet. So long as you don't use like your race, your faith, your gender, or anything that makes you do or say horrible or disgusting things. You're okay in my book, and I want you to know that you are always welcome on my show. And that's something that I've always really wanted to be. I never, I never wanted to be a person who tried to push people aside. I always, even back in the original Boss of Axe Brigade, I always said there's, a, there's always an empty chair, and that empty chair is for you. So please pull up a seat and be a part of the conversation. And I hope that during this time that I've been here and during my time with Boston Bass Brigade, Wicked Anime, No Borders and Race, I hope I did good. I hope you felt welcomed by everything that I've done. Yeah, man. 
We're going to take one last break, and then we're going to wrap things up for the time being. The next band I'm going to play is a band that I've been following for the last couple of years. They're called Queen Bee, and their lead singer, Avu Chan, has got one of the most unique voices in music today. And they always sound like they're like a supervillain who's ready to cause all the chaos in the world. Um, Avuchan, you may know as playing the title role in Masaki Yuasa's uh, rock opera movie Inuo. And you can actually hear Avuchan covering the Bee Gees Staying Alive in the amazing action flick Bullet Train. Uh, yeah, okay, now you know who I'm talking about. The song I'm going to play by Queen Bee served as the ending theme to this past season's hit series, Oshinoko. This is Mephesto. ラストチャンスに飢えた爪先が踊り出すまま駆けたこの夜空波の下に数字の波かない星は宝石の憧れ浮かぶ涙と汗は血の名残目の中で死が泳げなきゃ芝居だけどステージが苦さない
Hey, it's 42 Believer. First, I just want to say to Evan, thank you so much for being my friend all these years and for reaching out to me at that Wolf Children's screening and saying, yeah, come over, sit with us. Because that definitely altered the course of my life. And I appreciate every memory I have with you, every Anime Boston, every piece of merch we looked at, the craziness that was Anime Expo. You really kept me grounded at Anime Expo, which was a cluster fuck in its own right. And what I just want and hope is that anybody who has ever listened to No Borders, No Race understands how much love, effort, and time you just pour into it and how you've mastered it over the years. It's just become this amazing thing. And I know that it's going to be going away, but it's because of something amazing. It's because you're doing something really cool, something that's special and different. And I can't wait to hear all of the amazing stories of what it's going to be like over there from you. And I hope that no matter what happens, that there is some kernel of No Borders, No Race that follows you onto all of your future projects. And again, I just want to say thank you for having me on to be a guest. It's It's been a privilege, honestly. Um, and I wouldn't change any moment for the world. So thank you. And let's see what happens. Have a, have a safe flight. And uh, you better send me all the pictures. <laughs> When I'm lost upon a spitting, raging sea I hear your voice, I sing a sweet melody And when it's hard to find a reason to believe I hear you call, I hear you calling me The thought of you just carry Carry me
Devil, The Heart and the Fight, that was Skinny Lister with Carrie. And Skinny Lister is a band whose friendship I've cherished for a decade. They have toured on their own, but they have opened for the likes of Floyd and Molly, Dropkick Murphys, and Frank Turner. That folk punk trifecta. They have a new album coming out this year, which is now being finalized at Abbey Road Studios. And that's it. Shit. <laughs> this is... This is the end of the final episode for now of No Borders, No Race. And for starters, I'd like to thank everybody here for coming and participating in this episode. Thanks, Tyler. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Tyler. Yes, thank you to Tyler Abstract for coming. Elite for Derek, of course. A friendship that has grown so much over the last 15 years. Ever since... You started recording all of my coffee houses and stuff, and then you eventually basically became our... Uh, Documentarian. Slash groupie. <laughs> well, groupie involves sex, which I've gotten out of. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did get you to move in with me, too. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> you know, we've got our, got our college chapter, got our roommate chapter, got our podcast chapter. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to be my pen pal chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Of course, John Star AFLM and Security Guy Great from, from Wicked Anime. Wicked anime. And I, uh, I know the show's still on indefinite hiatus. I hope it comes back. Maybe me moving to Japan might push you guys to, to us, for us to start actually having audio chats again. And just them turning into podcast episodes. Or we can just fly over and visit you. Yeah. <laughs> And DJ Marino Tilde, Alex. I know this is your first time on the show. Probably the only time for the time being. But I'm so grateful that you could be a part of this. You've been an awesome new friend. And I'm glad that, I, that you're one of the very last people that I became friends with before my big move to Japan. Hey, I'm going to miss you, man. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and before we go as well, um, some other people I would like to thank. For, first and foremost, shout out to WMWM Salem. Um, back when I was just starting out, Anthony Segues was the guy who helped train me to become a DJ there and to start No Borders or Race. And Bob Nelson, who still does a show, I think the Juke Joint, on Sundays on WMWM Salem, he taught me how to record my shows and basically wow. how to post them online before podcasts were even a thing. Um... To one of my, to my very first co-hosts of No Borders a Race, Blue, Bluonic, you know, he helped give me the courage to go on every single week when he was a part of the show. Because going on, uh, going live on a radio, even if it's college radio, is scary. Especially for someone who had a lot of social anxiety issues like I did. And still kind of do from time to time, depending on the situation. Greg knows. He works for, he works for radio. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, to Rochelle, Amanda, Ninja, and Panda, to Electric Sisterhood for giving me the opportunity to spread my wings more. First starting out as a writer for the Electric Sisterhood, and then helping to build what would be the Boston Bass Brigade website, which... You know, if I was still on college radio, you know, no disrespect to WMWM Salem, but like I don't think I would have had the exact same opportunities I would have had 
uh, if I was on, still on college radio compared to having my own website. I don't think I would have gone to PAX East or Anime Boston or E3, Anime Expo, Anime NYC if it weren't for Amanda and Rochelle. Um, Got to give it up to The Stampede, a band that I've been championing for many, many years and whose theme so- whose song, The SS Shitstorm, has served as the opening theme to No Borders No Race since 2019. Um, they're, they're awesome friends, awesome people. Um, I know that Manny sometimes will come to Japan to play it, to go and see Fuji Rock, go to that festival. So hopefully if he does that again soon, um, our paths will cross again. And I do hope my paths will cross with Chris and Tony and Mark. I know there's one other person in the band that I might be forgetting, but, but you know, there's a lot running through my mind. I do want to give a shout out to Nerdy Show as well. Hmm. Kat has been such a great person and a great friend. Even though Kat and I have only hung out a couple of times when she has come out and visited for like Independent Comic Expo over at Leslie and everything. She has always been such a great chat and a really cool friend. Um, Of course, Phil's recap and review, Phil the Issues Guy. I've been (laughs) friends with him since my college days in TV production. As you heard in his like farewell segment to me, um, there's nobody out there like Phil the Issues Guy. The amount of energy that this guy brings is unlike anything in the world. He's a he's a he's funny. He's informative. And he's a phenomenal actor. And I hope I hope one day soon that he gets like that big break that he really absolutely deserves. Um, I also want to thank. Sean McLarnon and the team at Shameless Promotion PR because they helped expand my knowledge of so many indie bands, not just in America, but places like Italy and Spain. Uh, Zoheb from Kabar PR, who introduced me to Iranian death metal, which I didn't know was a thing. And technically it isn't because it's illegal, but it does exist. Um... I do also have to give a very, very big thank you to Mikio Hattori-sensei and the Cultural Exchange Initiative because mm-hmm. over these four years, um, having the, the earning and learning the experience of teaching English on, uh, to Japanese students online and also doing, those, doing my Nihongo Yoyaku segments entirely in Japanese. And without her, I wouldn't have been able to do that full episode in Japanese. Without her... This new chapter in my life probably never would have happened. Mm -hmm. And I cannot thank her enough. And I can't thank the Cultural Exchange Initiative enough for everything that they have given to me. And I will promise them that I will not let them down when it comes to being an assistant language teacher in Tokyo. And I think the last people I should thank is you. The listener. I know Boston Bash Brigade started out as though know, this rowdy kind of show, bunch of guys, bunch of yeah dude kind of people. Uh, but and then you know a few years after that, I brought back No Borders a Race as a podcast show, and I don't know. I actually do not know how many people listen in on this show. I do not know how many people have tuned in. How how I've grown an audience. 
if I, my audience has dropped down. But if you're listening to this, know that I appreciate you for inviting me into your home every other week to bring you the best music that I believe exists in Japan, in America, in Europe, anywhere around the world. And again, I am going to do my absolute best to not let anybody down when it comes to you know, teaching and living this life that I have been wanting to live for a very, very long time. While this is a goodbye for now, it is not a goodbye forever. I will, you know, there may be something that comes out of this in the future. There may not be No Borders or Race. It could be No Borders or Race. But know that, you know, this isn't the last time you are going to hear my voice. You're still going to be able to read my voice in articles and reviews and such on the website. But when it comes to hearing my voice, it's going to be sporadic. But I promise you, I will be back and I will return. And hopefully, when I return, I will have a lot more knowledge to dish out to all of you. The final act that I'll be playing on this podcast episode is a band that John Starr had brought up earlier, and that is Baby Metal. The band that took the world by storm with its unique mixture of death metal and J-pop. A band who not only earned me some respect for the idol scene, but also rekindled my love for metal music in general. If it wasn't for Baby Metal, as John had mentioned, I never would have heard of artists like Sabaton or Avatar, or Bring Me the Horizon, and all these bands that have become linked up to baby metal, I have grown to love so much. And it's crazy to think that these three adorable Japanese women have become such a staple in the world of heavy metal. Um, they are going to have a tour uh, at the end of the summer with Death Clock, which I, oh, that is one really thing that I, that is like, that's a big regret. <laughs> the fact that Death Clock are flying, finally coming back to Boston. Mr. Bungle is playing oh, in Boston. <laughs> and it's like, why couldn't you have done this before I left? But no, uh, that's my own. Uh, it's a good trade. It's a good trade. It's a, or it's a fair trade. It is a fair trade. It is a fair trade. <laughs> it's not a good trade, it's a fair trade. Um, but I'm going to be playing the song from their 2016 album, Metal Resistance, my album of the year pick that year. And it's the last song on the album, and it's the Japanese version of the album, which I think is appropriate, considering the show this is. This is The One. And until, well, whenever, this is your King Baby Duck. AFLM. Security guy, Greg. John Starr. We for Derek. Reminding you, as always, that you do not have to be from Boston to be a bastard. But, but it sure helps!
If you are still here, thank you for putting up with this long and massive show. Even with this episode clocking in at five and a half hours, I still feel like I haven't really summed up what I've been doing here with both No Borders, No Race and the Boston Bastard Brigade. I haven't really summed up how I felt as the clock winds down towards this big move to Japan. And I don't think I can, because these emotions are too tough to describe in words. But I'll try to sum it up as such. I am grateful to each and every one of you who has listened. I am grateful to all my friends who came to send me off in person. I am grateful to the friends who've recorded these special farewell messages. I am grateful to the people I've connected with all this time, from fellow podcasters and game developers to voice actors and musicians. What else more can I say except that I'm grateful for everything that has happened in my life thus far? As I am recording this, I am getting my final things together for the trip. My suitcase is about ready to be packed, and I am getting all of my necessary paperwork together to make this big move. I'm nervous, as anyone should be. But the more I look into the school I'm working at, the more I look into the place I'll be living at, and the more I know that I will have friends there awaiting my return, those nerves slowly fade away. I said this on the Japanese episode, but I didn't say it in English. I aim to build a life in Japan. It is where I want to be for the remainder of this long life of mine. I want to meet my soulmate. I want to have a family and just live like I've always wanted. And I invite you all to join me on this new journey of mine. Coming soon to Boston Bass Brigade, Duck Amuck in Japan. I don't know when, and I don't know how often, but it will be coming. It may be through podcast episodes, and it may even be through YouTube videos. It just, you know, depends on my time. But even though No Borders of Race is ending for the time being, there's still a lot more to come from Boston Bash Brigade. Until then, keep supporting great music, keep watching great anime, keep reading great manga, and keep playing great video games. I will see you on the other side of the Pacific. And right now, I'd say it's just about closing time.